Hello, listeners. Welcome to episode 59, the mega episode, the celebration of Scale Model World Telford. Two of us, Ivan and myself, JB, had the opportunity to, to attend the largest scale modeling show in the world. It was certainly a grand experience where we saw inspirational work, met some lifelong friends, and had unforgettable experiences in which we're going to share today. So buckle up, sit back, and enjoy the ride to Telford. So in our first segment, we're going to highlight a time with myself, Ivan, Jackson, and John Everett. We're compadres for the entire time there, and we went from Telford to Tiger 131 to Tower Bridge. But before we get started, I think it's important to highlight some of the key statistics around the massive show that was Scale Model World Telford. This year, the show garnered over 9,000 visitors over the two days in the International Center in Telford. This was up exponentially from last year, which was around 6,500 and almost to pre-COVID numbers of 10,000. For the competition, they had over 1,200 entries for 96 individual competition classes and 45 additional sponsored trophies. From the countries that attended the competition, and this is the competition only, you had a true international presence with representatives from Canada, the Czech Republic, France, Germany, Greece, Guatemala, Ireland, Israel, Italy, Malta, the Netherlands, Poland, Portugal, Slovakia, Spain, Switzerland, and the United States. Of the competition entrance, 73% represented the United Kingdom. So that was a really, really, really great international presence at the show. And that's the competition only. That doesn't include the SIGs and groups. And for the exhibitors in 2022, there was 106 UK branch and club displays, 93 special interest groups, 21 overseas displays, and 11 invited display groups. It was a really, really great time to get to know all of them. And certainly the diversity of people in the hall was absolutely fantastic. Lastly, we'd love to highlight the traders for the show, of which 109 traders and vendors attended nine of which were outside of the UK. Despite COVID and some other travel restrictions, they were able to make it. And it was awesome to see authentic airliners from Germany, Hong Kong models from Hong Kong, Kinetic models from Hong Kong, Qatari from New Zealand, the Arsenal from France, Naval models from the Netherlands, Pontos model slash Wolfpack from the Republic of Korea, RP models from Portugal, and White Ensign models and Tom model works from the USA. The Armory Group is also technically a UK trader, but Ilya is a Ukrainian-based in the UK and was stocking Ukrainian products such as Dora Wings. So that was a really, really great presence from an international perspective across all three major components of the event, the club and SIG tables, the traders and vendors, and then ultimately the competition. So it was, dare I say, absolutely fantastic from the Plastic Posse podcast perspective. So with that, I'm going to sit back and we're going to roll the episode.
All right, listeners, welcome aboard to the Scale Model World Recap. We're going to Telford down to Tiger 131 and then to Tower Bridge. So buckle up. It's going to be a great ride. On the episode today, I have with us the guests that joined throughout the journey. So we have the Lord Ivan Jensen Taylor. Hello, everyone. We have Jackson Stanton. Hey, guys. How's it going? And the what would John Everett do in the house? I don't, I don't know what I'll do, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> How are you doing today? Good. And then lastly, we have Scott along for the ride. Scott did not join us, but he was super interested to learn more about our trip. I think some of the questions that he'll ask throughout this segment will be really beneficial for our listeners to give more you know, color, more insight, and just good knowledge about the show. So welcome on board, Scott. Thanks. Excited to hear about this uh, trip in more detail. Yeah, it was certainly an exciting trip. It lasted about six days. In my mind, though, you know, I think we can all agree it probably went super fast. It certainly started before we got in country, the three of us Americans. And really, I'd kick it over to Ivan to kind of tee up maybe a little bit of background about the show for our listeners who don't happen to know about it. But then also, you know, what what was his prep work? What, what did you do? Because I know there was a lot of things, you know, in the background getting ready uh, to host us three and make sure it was a, a really smooth trip. So take it away, Ivan. Thank you. Really hard. Very hard to plan a trip. And it's really hard to plan a trip for people who've never been to an event like this. I'm certainly no JB. He's the greatest host. And I was stressing so much. I was like, right, hotel rooms got to make sure there's there's the right amount and three people aren't in one bed and restaurant bookings. And it's stressful, but my word, it's it was worth it. So yeah, that I, I was working every single day on the run up to to Telford, and I knew you guys were flying in Thursday night, Friday morning. So it was kind of hit the ground running because you arrived on pretty much we call it the soft day of Telford. Like the show was getting set up, it was it was busy, it was started. We we did originally plan to go to Cosford and meet up, but because of timings and Cosford closes at like four o'clock, and you guys were. A little bit slower at getting up up to Telford. That never happened, but we we met up at the hotel. It was great. It was fun. I was presented with the greatest framed <laughs> item on the planet, <laughs> the white crayon <laughs> that will be taking pride of place on my wall. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of planning going into these sort of trips, and Telford's it's with it being only be really being a two day event. It's condensed so much, and it's nonstop, and there's so much going on. Yeah, it's 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 hard to plan. And then the planning after Telford to, to get down to Weymouth and stay there, again, more hotels. And the logistics of getting down south was very interesting, <laughs> to say the least. But then after that, it, getting to London, it was smooth. No one lost their rag on the train. The tube, on the, the other hand, that's a that's a different story. I was I was dead to the world. John just looking at me like, "Are you good?" I was like, "I'm I'm 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 not good. I, I don't like this. This is foreign to me." But once we were in London, it was great. Everything was smooth. Walked 9,000 million miles. It would have been easier walking <laughs> to the sun. Um, but yeah, it, it was great. Obviously, that was a very, very condensed and vague presentation of what we did. But we'll talk a lot more detail yeah. about each specific thing we did in this in this episode. Yeah, we'll certainly jump into each segment a little bit more. That was a great kind of prelude to what happened. Like you said, the soft opening of Friday took a little bit longer to get up there, but I still think, you know, it was really, really, really fun. As soon as we got into the lobby, especially, I met you with John Everett. 
who had a very interesting journey to Telford. So I'd love to kick it over to John, talk about his trip into the country. I know there were some travel complications, and then he took the oldest form of transport to get to Telford. So tell us about that, John. Yeah, I was hoping to get in a couple of days early and hike up to the top of uh, Mount Snowdon in Snowdonia, the highest point in Wales. And as a note, the highest point in Wales is half as high as our houses in Colorado for both myself and John Bonani. So not a tremendous, tremendous uh, Mount Everest excursion, but a good hike nonetheless, about, I don't know, four or five miles out, four or five miles back, but couldn't do it. Uh, the railroad, railroad strikes and limited bus service between uh, the station at Bangor, getting down to the town of Lambaris and finally up to Snowdonia, couldn't do it. So made an alternate plan. I took the train as far as Shrewsbury and we stopped there for the night. Uh, had a nice little night, local hotel. It was great. I booked it through the, the app, worked well. Stayed the night in Shrewsbury, and the next morning, I walked to a little uh, little village called Upton Magna, about six miles. Took a couple hours, two and a half, three hours. Stayed at the little hotel called the Humont, and a uh, good, uh, good bed, bread and bear, breakfast there. And then the next after that, after that, I walked into uh, walked into uh, Telford, another six or seven miles. And uh, so, all in all, yeah, I did about six or seven hours of walking to get to Telford from Shrewsbury. Really nice. They've got. Uh, the UK has a great little system of, they call them the national cycle route. I took cycle route number 81. Essentially, they're paved They're paved country roads. That's all they are. Just enough for two little cars to get past each other. As a pedestrian, you kind of have to step to the side to let cars pass. A woman was out there riding her horse across the landscape, said hello. So that was a lot of fun. So walked the little trails, a little bit of mud, a little bit of rain, but not too bad. Really good weather all in all, not, not too cold. Walked into... Walked into uh, Telford, found the hotel right away, and then met up with the group in the morning. So yeah, that was that was my little personal thing getting out to uh, Telford. I like to tell people I walked to the show, but not really. I walked over two days between Shrewsbury and the show, about twelve miles. So all in all, not that serious. I can't wait to see that rom com. You know, John <laughs> walking on a country road and he meets the beautiful woman on the horse. That's what Ivan's hoping to do when he comes to Texas. <laughs> Absolutely. More, more likely to actually happen in Texas, I think. <laughs> so, you know, the, the the last person part of the party and part of the posse that was part of the core group uh, was Jackson Stanton coming all the way from D.C. Jackson, give us a recap of maybe until when we met up and also, you know, what models did you bring and, uh, you know, how you packed them? Because I, I think you brought a lot. Yeah. So uh, I did a lot of my planning the night before I got on my plane. Uh, I worked the whole week. So I got off work Thursday night, had my roommate driving to the airport. So I didn't have a whole lot of time throughout the week to uh, really get stuff prepared. But I think it was Wednesday night, I went to Target and bought one of those. It's actually a a Christmas tree ornament organizer. It's a two-tier Rubbermaid container that uh, has latches on the side. Literally all I did was just, I think I put three models in the top, two in the bottom, packed them in with newspaper, and they didn't really move around at all. So I brought my shipping Sherman. I brought my tadpole, my Samoa that I just completed and haven't even posted pictures of yet. And then I packed my group build Sherman, the Firefly, along with my Tiger for the uh, 48 hour build that we did recently. So got all those in there. They, uh, they got to the show perfectly fine. No issues. Uh, I was really stressed out about flying with models. It's it's really not that bad, especially going through TSA. Uh, I was one of five people in line because my flight was flying out at 11 p.m. So around 9 p.m. there was 
no one in line at all. Yeah, it was very hassle-free. I packed very lightly. I think I packed like a couple pairs of pants, enough underwear and socks for every day. I think two hoodies and a jacket and then like two t-shirts. And I was good. That was all I needed. Left me plenty of extra room to bring back goodies from the show and anywhere else I picked them up. Nice. And there was no shortage of that. We'll get to that segment later. Oh, yeah. So th- this is kind of where Jackson and I meet up. I very similar circumstances, Jackson. I flew out from an afternoon evening flight from Denver, nine hours into London Heathrow direct, which was absolutely fantastic. But I, I made a wood box instead of, I typically do what Jackson uh, does, you know, have the two tier uh, ornament box, very simple. But this time I'm like, eh, I'll do it a little better. Uh, I'll do it a little different. So I made a wood box I picked up from Hobby Lobby. I lined it with felt. And then I think I fit about 10 or 12 pieces in it. So I had them stacked in there and it worked out really well. Again, TSA, no issues. I think, again, we probably can all agree as you walk through with models, it, it's, it's just be respectful. I think is probably the the easiest thing to do, and that's the easiest way to get through without issue. Uh, you know, and and be open. I was asked both coming and going. Hey, what's in the box? And I'm like, oh, scale models. They're like, oh, my friend does Warhammer. So everybody is inquisitive. And you know, again, if you if you ask politely too, if you are concerned, you can just say, hey, you know, just just be careful, especially if they pull it out to scan. Uh, but on the way, I was asked, is there is there a tank in here or a diecast car or something? I'm like, yeah, it's a scale model. Welcome to open it up if you'd like. And they're like, oh, no, it's okay. Cool. Go through. So it was really smooth. And then uh, I think, and, and Jackson might agree, one of the most stressful times in air travel is actually getting your box from the aisle while you sit down. So it's, it's like one of the most stressful times. Everybody's getting on the plane, rushing around. I always make sure it's like one of the moments I take my time and slide the box under and get that secured. And then I put my other bags away. Flight was uneventful coming across the pond, landed at Heathrow on time. And then Jackson and I were fortunate enough to get a ride from John Bryan, a listener and, and great modeler. You know, he's building an awesome uh, helicopter right now that he's riveted. It's super nice of him to pick us up. Essentially, he, he had mentioned it was kind of on the way. So he got us in, I think we left there shortly afternoon. And then we uh, jolted up to Telford. And as Ivan mentioned, unfortunately, the, the venue closed a little early. So we ended up just going to the hotel and at the hotel, that's where we did meet up with Ivan, Graham, Luke, John Everett was there, gave this beautiful gift to Ivan. You know, Ivan considers himself a white crayon. So John was kind enough to get this uh, white crayon framed, matted, and then uh, it's almost like a gold leaf frame, very, uh, very stately. So, it, you know, it could be hung in Windsor Castle if needed, you know, one day serve, serve as a, you know, a reminder to the, the great monarchy of Ivan Jensen Taylor. Um, but it, it was, it was really great. And that, I think, you know, we chilled out for a little bit and then Ivan, that was the point where, you know, walk our listeners through for entering at Telford, you can get in early to enter. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just after five or six o'clock, they open one of the rear entrance is not, not the clearest in the world because we had to go, we went through the trader entrance because we had the wristbands for it, but everyone can get in if they're entering the competition on the Friday. Uh, either five or six, you can go in and that's when you get your first real look at what the show is going to be about. That was the thing I was really looking forward to seeing the reaction of you guys. Like, right, you're in before the public. What do you think? And it, it, it was a big deal. And getting you up on the catwalk um, so you could see everything en masse, is, it, it, that, was, that was cool. But yeah, you can get in on Friday, put your stuff in the competition and have a bit of a mooch around, like do some recon so you can see what you want to buy as soon as you get in on Saturday. VMS yes. included. That was the first thing we went for. We, <laughs> we, found, we found one stand with it. And we were like, right, I said, have you brought any more of this? 
no. It's like, right, first place tomorrow, get there. And then luckily we did actually find Albion Arlo. He's also had quite a stock of it. So the way that they were there, just not as obvious. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, fri- the Friday is good because we, like we've described it, it's like a mini mini day in itself because you can be in there a good few hours. You can you can see a lot of the displays, the SIGs, the clubs and the traders. Obviously, you just can't really buy anything. So it yeah. does give you a good chance to look around and get a feel for where everything is. And you can go fresh on Saturday knowing what to expect. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to open it up to Jackson and John real quick. What was your first impression? I'll, I'll start with, uh, we'll go in reverse order. We'll go with Jackson first. What was your first impression kind of walking in the hall and, and soaking in that first experience, even though it's that soft opening? What did you think of the, the venue and, and what, you know, what was in front of us essentially? I was immediately blown away. So when you go in through these back doors, you know, you go in, you're in the first hall or third one. We always got the numbers mixed up, but you go into the this first hall and it's just filled with tables for SIGs and people are running around setting everything up. You've got vendors with kits piled up to practically the ceiling with, you know, uh, tarps and blankets and stuff over them uh, for the next day. And so, you're, you know, you're like, oh, trying to peek through and see what they've got. But it was an absolutely massive hole. And then, you know, we keep walking and I'm just like, oh yeah, go through here. We go through another identically sized hall. And I said it at the show, for those of you that are on the East Coast, if you've ever been to ODO in Richmond, that I think is one of the bigger, bigger, if not biggest East Coast shows. The size of that venue, which is very, very big, was the size of one of the halls at Telford. And there were three of them. And so if that gives any, you know, relation to size, like, it's really hard to put into words just how massive the venue was and it was filled up too. There wasn't empty space. The other thing that jumped out at me was the size of the contest area in relation to everything else. Cause you go through those first two halls going through the back door and it's, you know, all SIGs and vendors and uh, magazine stands and stuff. And then you get to the last hall and most of that is still SIGs, but then off to the side, you've got a very small contest area. And that kind of reinforced the whole thing that we've been told and been talking about in that the SIGs and the people are the focus of the show and that the contest really does kind of play a lesser part than it would at a US show. So that was kind of a, a shock, uh, or maybe not a shock, but it was, it was cool seeing and then, yeah, getting up on the catwalk the first night and just being able to look over everything was just awesome. And it was crazy to think that, like, come few hours, the next day, it would have been filled with people. And even still looking there, trying to picture that, it did not match the the amount of foot traffic there was the next day. It was it was awesome. Yeah, it was it was pretty epic. You know, John, Everett, what are your, what are your thoughts at that moment too when we came in? Much much similar, I think. But uh, for me, having been to Telford back in 2019, just before the virus happened, uh, I remember walking in, and the, the, the ceiling there has got this very black paint to it. And I walked into the building, and oh yeah, I re- this is my happy place. I remember this now. So having walked in again. Seeing it as we did on the on the soft open before really the crowds got in on Saturday. I, I even mentioned this a while ago, maybe on the last podcast, that um, I think having the contest area down on the lower floor is a better, better layout. Uh, we were able to get in, but I don't know, maybe half the people or so who were entering something in the contest had it already out on the table. And we were able, because we got in early, to see everything up close without the crowds. You know how it is at a big model show. You're kind of, you don't want to interrupt that guy's camera picture, but you also want to see the model. And you kind of feel like if you if you spend two or three minutes really closely examining something that you like, that maybe you're stealing from the people around you by grabbing your two or three minutes. So 
having that first day when the crowds were light to be able to see some of the things that were on the table. And I think also those who are really determined to get in early and get their work on the table on that first night are the ones who've probably put more effort into their models. So it's maybe a little bit nicer to see those up close. So I like, I, I enjoyed being able to do that. So if Telford can use that floor space again to have the contest in the lower areas. I think that's better than they were upstairs because upstairs does get very, very crowded. And also I think it, it sort of makes it isolated from the rest of the, the vendor room. So if they don't need that space, I say, let them, let them keep the contest down there, but uh, that'll be down to the organizers at Telford. So did enjoy it. Like, like you were talking about earlier, by all means, you scout it out. You find out where the good guys are that you want to, that you want to buy your specialty items from the next day and hit those first thing in the morning. Um, I'll have to thank uh, Jackson for getting me some VMS product there that was hard to come by otherwise. Learn where the layout is. And that's sort of, okay, here's Telford. I'll set for tomorrow. And that was probably my first impression walking in. Yeah. My, mine are along the same lines of of both you and Jackson. Just to, you know, walking in the back door, you see so many pictures of the event and you you know, build up expectations in your mind of what you were going to see, what you're going to experience. Uh, and they all came to fruition, to be honest. And I think IPMS UK has a lot to be proud of of that event. And especially on Friday, you know, what I was impressed with was everything's almost set up. I think there was maybe, you know, just a handful of tables in each hall that hadn't been set up, but by the opening the next morning with, uh, you know, it was, it was chock-a-block full. And that night, you know, Ivan had ranged for us at a classic British establishment, TGI Fridays. It was good. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Another big group party. I, I respect Ivan a lot for playing, uh, you know, orchestra lead and really hurting the cats in some moments. I, I think what's important too to note in the area of the the International Convention Center there, or the International Center at Telford, uh, we stayed at the Premier Inn, which is literally right up the road. But it's super nice because it's almost like a microcosm of it's a it's a little town. It's a town center. Everything's walkable. You don't have to worry about a car once you get there. And you know, there's modelers everywhere. And when we were leaving the venue, Ivan made a note to me that said, you know, he, he told us like, oh, the line's going to be out here tomorrow. And we hinted on this in the last episode. And it, the line would start over 300 yards away from the venue. But once you're in the venue, it's the same distance. So, I mean, honestly, quarter of a mile long, if not longer, I think, to get into the, this, the venue itself. And, you know, maybe I'll turn it over to Ivan to talk around the timing of the Saturday. So there's, there's specific times of when certain people can enter and, you know, Ivan, I'll kick it over to you to, to kind of lay that out. Yeah. Nice one. Uh, so if you have a trader wristband, you can get in between 8am and 9am. Usually you go in through the rear trader door, but I think by half past eight, they shut that and, but you can just cut, you cut the line going into the, the front of the, the venue. And then from 9am till 10am, it's IPMS members. One thing to note how extremely well organized IPMS was. Uh, before the doors opened to members, they had the volunteers going down the line, checking membership, giving out wristbands. So as soon as that the gate opened, everyone could go in. There's no checking stuff. There's no, are you a member? Oh no, I'm in the wrong line. It was a simple, just, right, you've got your wristband, get in. Once that line was down, eventually, then ticket holders... Uh, e-ticket holders can get in at 10 a.m. Uh, again, it was really well organized. It was a very well, very well oiled machine. It was very efficient, so there wasn't as many volunteers needed. It was it was interesting because we went in. I think we got in about quarter to nine in the morning because we we slept in a little. It was busy, and then between nine and ten, we were like, "Yeah, it's it's very busy." And I said, "Ticket holders aren't even in yet." And then it got very very busy. Um, and it was just, it was great to see it at full capacity. It's like, yeah, this is, 
it's there's a buzz, there's an atmosphere, there's a vibe. It's really cool. Everyone's, it's like Jackson said, it's a celebration of the hobby. And to see it so busy and everyone's so enthusiastic, it, it, it was great. I, Ivan, I'd, I'd like to ask you a question here. My frame of reference is IPMS USA Nats, which obviously is just a fraction of this size, but it really, really sounds like IPMS UK just did an amazing job handling, I mean, 9,000 people. That's that's tremendous. I mean, give us an idea of, if you know, of how many volunteers that we're talking about and, and if any special shout outs you'd like to give you know, to people that have put it on, because I'm curious about that. I think JB might know more about that than yeah. he, he attended the meeting. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw this one to him. Yeah. Yeah. So Scott, that, that's a great question. Hats off to IPMS UK. You know what? We were very lucky, Rob Booth and I, uh, e-board members for IPMS USA, the IPMS UK folks were really open and we had a great executive session on Saturday afternoons, almost for two hours. And we discussed everything from, you know, what the IPMS USA Nationals is, what Telford is, you know, where there's similarities and where there are cultural dis- differences, where to be honest, it's good that they're different in a sense. You know, we, you know, the IPMS USA Nationals contest vendor hall seminar focus, a little different, a lot different with the UK. And there was a good discussion around where where can we integrate maybe some good ideas between the shows uh, to make each better. But you know, in terms of staff, I had the opportunity to meet with a few of them. So John Tapsell, he is the publicity officer, and he really helped out the Triple P get access and help us out, really introduce us, show us around. And, and it just was a gracious host from a show perspective. We also met with Paul Reagan, the president, Rick Middleton, and then also I had a chance to meet with Andy Brown, the contest chair. So those are some of the core folks. And I know I met some other, I met their treasurer. So I, I would say there's probably a dozen core leadership positions that support the show and kind of the major roles that is very reminiscent of IPMS USA. And then from a volunteer perspective, I think what helps is there was actually staff. There was a lot of staff from the venue itself. And they, I would say, policed or ensured that the queues were properly lined up and doors were guarded and and everything was running smoothly from a facility standpoint. I will have to go back to them and ask from a IPMS UK manpower, woman power perspective what what that looks like. I don't think it's I don't think it's terribly heavy-handed because again, I know there's a core group. I'm sure they have a lot of volunteers that support it. And one of the easiest ways to see those volunteers, they were all wearing bright yellow fleeces. So bottom line, I don't have a great answer core leadership group who worked their tails off the whole weekend uh, and probably days before and likely days after to get the event ready. So again, I, I got to give a shout out to the e-board from IPMS UK. They were gracious enough to take time out of their extremely busy day to really talk business with Rob and I and, and really help bring the two organizations closer together. And you know what I look forward coming down to it is you know maybe there's a quarterly or biannually meeting between e-boards to discuss, you know, hey, how's your show going? How's our show going? Is there anything that's working, not working? What what would you recommend? Hey, we'd love some feedback with this. I think those conversations are just starting and certainly look forward to them growing. But long story short, core group of folks that run it. And then there's a lot of volunteers that make it possible. Awesome. Well, I really, I appreciate that. You know, just again, from a scope standpoint, it just seems tremendous. So my hat's off to them, obviously. And then Jackson, a a quick question for you. You know, you're much younger than all of us uh, and uh, maybe not as much Ivan, but, but um, just wondering on your perspective, you know, as a younger person kind of coming into an event like Telford, you know, what were your impressions and, you know, does it make you want 
want to become like more involved in these kind of events or kind of what you thought about attending Telford? I mean, I've always kind of been really big into model shows, so I don't know if I could have really become more into them. Uh, I already already go to every one I can. It was awesome. It, it was massive. It was an awesome community. The SIGs really made it for me as well. Uh, from a, a young modeler's perspective, I did notice a lot of uh, people my age as part of the SIGs rather than in the contest. So that was really good to see. Uh, one of them I introduced to Ivan and JB he was a Christian Wolf. He goes by Wolf Scale wolf scale models or I, I can't remember his exact instagram tag but he does great work i've talked to him a lot on instagram he's close to my age uh he was at the show actually with his dad as part of their local club so he brought a lot of stuff to display for that and uh that was really good to see so i think it, it definitely gave me more mojo I, I got back and i was like i'm ready to you know start working on more models and it's sad that the next show for me probably won't be odo until february but yeah, it left a good impression. Like I said, I, I don't think it could have made me more bought in to the whole idea of being part of community because I think I'm already pretty, pretty set in with it, but it definitely reinforced it to say the least. Yeah, I think that's a great, I, th- I think, like you said, it's a celebration of the hobby and it's acknowledging the community that exists within it, celebrating that community. Right. And and that was something, you know, maybe this is another great topic to segue into is the SIGs for our listeners that attend the IPMS USA Nationals. UK is very different in regard where, you know, we are about half and half traders, vendors, it's traders and the SIG. And maybe, you know, maybe it's two fifths traders, two fifths SIG, and then, a you know, a fifth of the contest or even smaller, to be honest. The focus of the SIGs was really really cool because you see stuff there that you, you could never imagine seeing. And, it, it, you know, I saw a Panzer II DeLorean. I, I don't know if you can find that most anywhere else or ever entered at a show. So that was really cool, you know, and, and maybe I'll go around the room to to everyone on the line and talk about maybe what was your favorite SIG? I, I think Four Corners will come up in almost everybody's discussion. So uh, we'll save that for maybe a special uh, discussion later because they were really the star of the show from the SIG perspective. Uh, They also had prime seating. One of the SIGs that stuck out to me, I'll just mention briefly before passing it off to John Everett, I really enjoyed the 007 SIG. There was a table there dedicated to the models from James Bond. So they had, you know, the Moonraker shuttle, the, you know, DB5, the tank from Dr. No, the T-55 blowing through a wall like Goldeneye. They had little Nelly. Everything, you know, the odd job, you know, slash James Bond (laughs) fight scene. So it it was but professionally done. And I have a picture of it on our on our page, you know, little things like that, where it'd be difficult to see that subject matter, to be honest, very rarely entered at shows. And it was really cool to see it all together. And they also really presented in a professional manner, too. What's important is they take pride in their work. They, they, the, the table is there, you know, they're truly their display, the way they present themselves to the world in that matter. And they spared no expense. They even had business cards. They have a Facebook group and were really genuine to talk to. And I think that's important that all the SIGs probably operated along the same way where they're sitting there, they're engaging. You walk by, you know, you make a comment, oh, I love this. And usually the modeler's right there and you can strike up a conversation. Before you know it, you're a half an hour, hour later, late for lunch. So that that's just really the, you know, the tempo of the show. And I'd kick it over to John Everett to, you know, discuss maybe what, what stuck out in your mind in the SIG tables. For me, the SIG tables, you love the individual topics of guy that did Star Wars, the James Bond thing. I remember seeing there were guys that did strictly U.S. Air Force, Cold War. The SIG tables are interesting in their own way. But for me, it's really down to the club tables. The club tables are more interesting to for me just because personally, the t- 
topic on the table is less important than the people who built it. When you get to the UK, the, the UK culture, American culture, it's just different enough. There's no language barrier really to speak of. I mean, but the people have kind of a different outlook on the world. And to sit down in the club and we've got a, a guy I've known online, Pete Haley, for a long time. He came with us out to Bovington. Um, he's got the Avon Club. He was in the Avon Club. I sat down with there with those guys. We had a really great conversation about everything, about model building. U.S., U.S., U.K. relations, EU relations, how all that stuff. So there was a really good conversation to be had. And for me, it's the club tables that bring that in. And the guys generally with the club table, you get that like any club, you get a wide variety, a wide spectrum. Every guy doing crazy sci-fi like I enjoy doing all the way up to the really serious, historical, deeply detailed Soviet armor between 1960-1970. A guy had a specialty in that stuff. So in a club, you get the wide variety of models. And you get a wide variety of interesting people to talk to. And because of the differences between the States and the UK, there's just enough of cultural interaction there. I think there's a lot to offer in talking to the clubs. So for me, the clubs stand out over the particular special interest groups. Uh, that's a that's a great point, you know, and I think that's that's where Christian right Jackson had put a lot of his work is with his club table, and you know maybe good segue Jackson, what what, what did you enjoy about club sig uh, tables? Yeah, so Christian displayed a lot of his work there. That was one of my favorites. He brought his uh, he's got an M sixteen AA half track that I absolutely love. I think it's one of the best whitewashes I've ever seen. It just looks so sloppy in like a good way. Uh, so getting to see his work was a highlight. Um, you had already mentioned Four Corners. I mean, those are just superstar models right there. They're celebrities and in, in their own right. Uh, Mind the Gap was there. Amazing diorama. Spuds. Uh, M4A3 one of, or yeah, 105 was one of my highlights as well. Uh, but other than those two, there was uh, the Rubicon. I don't know if it was a club or a SIG, but the Rubicon table uh, across from the vendor, uh, that group of people, they did some really awesome dioramas and vignettes with Rubicon models that really, really made me want to start building some. Um, they were all very well done. And then there was another table. I can't remember who who the actual club was, but a guy that was part of it had built almost like every Sherman and Lee mine clearing vehicle that had like ever existed, all scratch built, used conversions and stuff. And it was a really, really impressive display. He just recently did a, uh, a Mark one land ship mine clearer. And I think that he posted that to Facebook. So I might be able to track him down through that. That was really awesome. And then the other one that was a highlight was there was a, a SIG that was all about range targets and range like observation vehicles. And they actually did the black and white kind of bumblebee looking Sherman that's in Germany right now that was used as a range observation vehicle. So seeing all those, those are probably my highlights. Nice. And I recall everyone. Yeah. And for our listeners, the range targets, it wasn't only ground targets, but air targets as well. So it it was a complete mix of, you know, diverse subjects that were painted up as range targets and you know, only Telford, you're going to see that kind of stuff. Last but not least, I, I'd kick it over to Ivan to, you know, highlight, you know, what, what stuck out to you in the club and SIG tables? Well, sorry to sound like a broken record, but it's, it's hard not to mention Four Corners. <laughs> they were in the perfect location, like to look at that table and not feel crap about your own work was difficult because they were so good and everyone on that table super talented super nice guys they, they were the highlight of the show it has it has to be said jackson's kind of said of the ones that really took my attention like the, the rubicon sig yeah so cool because those are small models and some of them are full interiors and there's cool dioramas they really made the table look interesting and again like jack said that the, the, it's a small table but it's all target stuff and 
the the wasp Sherman looked really really cool. It was crisp. It was so clean. It was nice. It, it's and it's hard to recall everything because of how many were there. It's because you'll you'll remember some models. It's like, well, was it on that SIG or was it on that SIG? Like a Battle of Britain SIG. But then there was a Spitfire SIG. It's like I can't remember which model that belonged to. There was just so much that grabbed your attention, and it's it's really hard to remember quite to place where it was. There wasn't a bad model in the in the venue. Everything was just astonishing. Yeah, astonishing is a great word, and I'll pick up and highlight a couple SIGs that stuck out to me just from their presentation. I thought the Harrier SIG next to Four Corners was really well done. That showed the history of the Harrier. I'm pretty sure there. Was a bomber command SIG. You know, Jackson had an intimate relationship with the Harrier SIG. No crises, but it was it was it was good. Um, but you know, one of the ones that stuck out to me too was the Aerobatic SIG. They they were really really interesting to talk to. I got to talk to Gary, the organizer, super nice guy. And what was really cool about their SIG is they had a giant U, and inside the center of their SIG, they literally had like a bar. So they had drinks, they had food, snacks. Again, it goes to the social aspect of the show. And I was fortunate enough to get introduced to them uh, through the IPMS UK leadership. And it was, it was essentially like, Hey, I've never met you before, but we're really good friends. You know, we instantly bonded over scale modeling, talked about the SIG, talked about the prep work that goes into building the SIG. You know, the idea for the aerobatic SIG for that matter, it was three years in the making because it was going to launch at COVID at the 2020 show. But unfortunately, you know, they didn't hold it and they didn't want to have it at the 2021 show. They wanted the, the show to be able to rebound and really put forth a, a great effort in displaying something that they've worked incredibly hard on. So theirs was all about aer- their aerobatic SIG, but it was highlighting the Snowbird. So they had a giant display of everything related to the Canadian aerobatic team Snowbirds, the history of their aircraft. They had some RCAF stuff. Just a really, really good. And then they had the themed fighter helmet with, you know, the beer cans and overall really, really well done. And then gifts are a big thing too. So I was given a bottle opener from that SIG, which I thought was really cool. And one thing I learned, again, sensory overload. We'll do it a lot different next time. Not different in a bad way, but just to increase our presence, the value of the show. And it's just, it was just great. I mean, and you meet a lifelong friend and it was like, hey, if you're back next year or you want to come back tomorrow, come on behind the table and, and have a drink. You know, we're, we're here to celebrate. And the same with the USAF SIG. I was walking by, saw a friend from Pittsburgh, grabbed me, you know, we had a drink of Jeremiah weed and, you know, talked about the display that they had there, literally, you know, countless aircraft from, uh, from the United States Air Force. So again, experiences like that are really, really, um, just really, really important, really memorable and something that is super unique. So I have, I have a question for all of you. I want to start with you, John, um, because you're a, an eboard member here in the States, but I'm really intrigued by the concept of the SIGs. And it's something about Telford that probably, if I'm honest, is is one of the biggest reasons why I'd want to go. So what what did you think about, you know, the the difference in cultures? Like how could we bring that SIG concept on some level if we could over here to the US and bring another non-contest element to the show? Because I think what I'm hearing from all of you guys is it was almost better than the contest, you know, getting to see the work, talk to the modelers, you know, and and being inspired by the work that you were seeing. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think a lot of it harkens back to what John Everett talked about earlier concerning cultural differences. I think there is certainly an opportunity to bring aspects of Telford, especially the SIGs over. And, And that's not to say it's never been tried before. I think what IPMS unfortunately, is a victim of is really the locations in which we hold these contests. 
you know, Chattanooga is a great example of a contest, a not, I should say, a convention where they really embraced display only SIGs and gave them ample real estate to display because the facility had the had the ability to do that. Unfortunately, we're we're in a unique spot where we're, you know, too big for our typical facility, which is an embassy suites like Omaha, but we're too small for a larger convention center. And how do we operate within those con, you know, in those constraints? Now, I think, you know, looking at 2023, we're locked in for Texas. But I think what we can do, and we've already talked a little bit about this, uh, Rob Booth and I, you know, how do we operate with what we're given with? You know, we'll have the contest. It's going to have amazing work on the table and we'll have the traders as well and seminars, but, you know, specifically the contest and the contest room, I think there's an opportunity to, you know, leverage that and extend the hours one night and create that social gathering. Is it reminiscent of the SIGs? No, but it's still enabling a conversation where, you know, if you've built something, we encourage you to go to the hall, go to the table in which you've built it, or go to some, you know, walk around, bump into people, talk to them about their models. I think that's maybe the first step. Where I see a potential big opportunity to bring more SIGs in, uh, and even clubs for that matter, is Madison. I think the facility there, the show, uh, you know, the show chairman, Jeff Hearn, has expressed it as well, you know, really looking to deliver something special, that customer experience, that convention experience, and they'll have the real estate for it. I think that's the important delineation is we IPMS are understanding those constraints, how big the facilities are, and we're looking bigger. And, and I think also, I'll, I'll just also end on it too. The UK is a lot smaller than the US. One of the benefits I think they have is they can drive and bring everything in where it would be difficult, I think, in maybe some areas where to get a SIG type of participation for everyone to bring stuff. But you know, who knows? You know, I, I, I think anything's on the table uh, and we've certain, you know, if there's anything to be proven, it's everything can be proven wrong. Look at how fast hotels sell out. Look how many models are entered on the table. Look at how many traders are lined up for 2023 in San, in San Marcos. You know, bottom line is we see all these benefits and we're noting them, but it's like gradually and, and really methodically too. How do we you know, change a show for the better without risking anything, essentially. And it's it's those baby steps operating what we have to work with. Uh, and, and this year is hopefully extending those contest hours and bringing that social aspect into it. So long story short, we're working on it. <laughs> John, John Everett, I'd be interested in your perspective on that as well. What, you know, what elements, if any, do you think that we could bring in over here to our IPMS shows in the U.S. to make them you know, maybe a little more club-based or modeler-based and, and less competition-based. Well, it's um, yeah, I I, uh, I might I might get myself excommunicated from the community here from the IPMS membership, but uh, I do think maybe we ought to put less emphasis on the contest, put less emphasis on the contest because it's but it's how we've we have a legacy of giant contest rooms with thousands of really well done models on the table. And out of thousands of incredibly well-done models, a handful of them perfect. Well, this model is more perfect than that model. Okay, sure. Um, Today, from that guy, it is. That's it. John Everett's opinion is done for the day. Thanks very much. (laughs) 
Ivan, um, you know, when, when you started talking about Telford, we see you on all these chats and everything, your eyes would light up. So what do you think uh, from your perspective is just the best thing? What gets you so excited about scale, scale model world? And then after you answer turn, have you guys answer as well? What was your favorite thing? That, that you took away what you know was it was it the social aspects etc yeah this was this was a worry for me i was very concerned that i oversold it i was like they're going to turn up in dreary rainy damp old britain and be like this show sucks um but no it was it was so good for me the highlight is just meeting everyone and and seeing people's work and and listening to people talk about the work and you can tell how much they love it how much passion they have for a project because suddenly you'll have talked to them for like half an hour on just how they applied a decal it's great people's enthusiasm <laughs> to keep going back to it jackson said it's it's a celebration and and to get that many models in one venue at once to enjoy what they do is is amazing and it was great meeting all like old friends and that but it was so good to have the guys from the us come over because last year i was part of the posse last year but i was kind of on my own doing it it, it wasn't the same it, it was great for it's it's the friendships it's the meeting the people and it's it's talking about the hobby it's just a big celebration that, that that's for me is the highlight to be honest there could be no models or kits to buy or traders in the venue and it would still be amazing it's not about buying things or new new items uh easy for me to say but it's just the enjoyment of the hobby and the enthusiasm people have that's that's what really gives me the buzz yeah i, w- I would just echo that you know one of the things that stuck out to me is meeting all the people uh, and i actually wrote down a list of you know who we all spoke to because there were so many and and some of them you know i, I do want to mention them because it was it was it was a great opportunity to put a face to a name and a lot of them are supporters of the show so literally meeting people from all over the world for that matter. So Paul from Denmark, Richard and his friend Wilson, he's a he's a 777 pilot based out of Hong Kong. Really great to meet them too. Carrie out of Vancouver, you all have out of is IPMS Israel, Mick IPMS Ireland, Neil, Simon, you know, our Australian friend who who we bumped into on the street and ended up hanging out a lot, you know, throughout the evening with them. You know, there was Darren from from Scale Model Hanger, super nice to meet him and his group of friends. There was his friend Will, and then there was also Paul from IPMS San Diego, Kieran and Pat from Ireland. You know, Pat, uh, you know, our good friend that we we had talked to at at IPMS Nationals in Omaha, who was with Steve. It was really great to see him, although brief, but really really nice. Uh, and then you know, Joel Middleton as well. You know, his 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 crab RIP, but we will resurrect it. I made the promise that it'll come back. And one of my goals for when I return to Telford, I will bring his Sherman crab. Uh, restored into one piece. And then the lastly, you know, another individual, we met him and his dad, but it wasn't at the show. Uh, We were down at Bovington in front of Tiger 131. And one of the coolest experiences I think we've ever had related to the podcast was a gentleman came up, his name was Carl and his dad. He's like, Hey, just want to say hi, you know, listener of the podcast. I saw you guys at Telford and really just, just wanted to say hi. And and we talked for a good amount of time, took a selfie. I haven't slipped him uh, a coin at, uh, it was pretty smooth. I I think that was your, I think that was the perfect, you know, you perfected it at that point, but again, I I learned from the master. (laughs) It's all about that pinky, man. So it, uh, yeah, getting the people, uh, you know, as John mentioned, sitting behind a table and chatting with somebody that either you've never met before or have just gotten to know them and sharing that conversation about a hobby in which we love. And, And also, you know, cultural differences too, had a great breakfast with you all from IPMS Israel and, just really, really interesting to learn his background, IPMS in Israel, and and just everything about their club and how they come to Telford every year. So it's very hard to find that kind of diversity of of people, and that's uh, 
you know, it's something special. And, you know, I'd, I'd kick it over to Jackson to maybe talk about, you know, his relationship, you know, really great friend now with Christian and what, and what you did not only at the show, but what it led to following the show as well. Yeah. So like I said, I, I talked to him a lot on Instagram. I followed his work for a while. I kind of threw together a discord a while back of just younger modelers. So that way we can, you know, just send each other memes and stuff. And so we've talked quite a lot. Yeah. Getting to meet him. It was awesome. Him, Ivan and I just ended up spending almost an entire day of the show walking around being like oh like look at that kid like you know you should buy that and stuff like that so yeah it was really fun hanging out with them at the show and then a few days after the show on my last day in london i actually didn't even know he lived in london very close to where we were staying and so uh i was like hey like do you want to hang out i've got this last day where i'm going to be the the sole survivor in london our group's all dispersing the the earlier that morning he was like yeah so uh we were going to meet up at a local hobby shop but he ended up having uh i think some school commitments pop up but afterwards uh he him and i went to a little food court really cool place with like a bunch of different international foods all in the same place and we just uh yeah caught up we chatted got to get to know each other more had a cute little pizza date showed him my models it was awesome and then uh he actually was very helpful in pointing me in the right direction to get back to uh heathrow on the tube he was uh we actually took the same trains so yeah and on top of that completely forgot we uh met up with him as well uh, a couple days before at the imperial war museum i was like you know, hey, Ivan and I are going to hit up this museum. Do you want to come hang out with us for a little bit between your classes? Like pull up. And funnily enough, we actually met each other on the train going over to the museum. We didn't realize it, but we were both on the same train car. And so we got off together and, you know, us three went up into the museum and, you know, took pictures and had a fun time. So, yeah, it was, it was awesome getting to, I guess, meet someone that, you know, I've talked to for you know, a long time now over Instagram, just getting to put a face to a name and, you know, getting to know him and his dad and see his work in person. And it was awesome. And now I've got a close friend in London. So nice. And, you know, it's very similar circumstance. I think with you, John Everett, you know, your friend came down and met you at Bovington for the day. That, that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that was, that was Pete Haley. I've, I've known, I've known Pete Haley online, at least from Facebook for years now and, and met up with him back in 2019 at my first Telford visit. Um, super cool guy. Lots of fun to hang out with. Uh, interesting. And, uh, and he's got a club that he comes with. I mentioned earlier, the Avon builders, I think they're called. And um, yeah, Pete, Pete came out to Bovington, met us there. He hadn't been to the museum for a long time. I think that's true of a lot of British modelers. They have visited that museum a long time ago. And when you come to Telford, it sort of reinvigorates the interest in that because Telford, the airplane museum at Cosford is just down the road. So I think the, the show at Telford does get the locals fired up about going and visiting their local museums. So yeah, I want to say a little shout out to Pete Haley for his, uh, for his coming along with us on that. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that, that was super cool. And, you know, going back to the show, looking at Saturday, putting it into perspective, it was really the most overwhelming day, I think, in terms of people everything on the table. And what was really cool for our listeners, you know, when they judge the contest, they judge Saturday and Saturday afternoon, they place a card next to all the winning models. Um, so I thought that was great. So you see what won there and then they pull the pieces that took the best, you know, best of their category and put them in their own category. And then the idea is, you know, you leave your model on display, people come by, photograph it, understand what won, and no one else le- takes their model. So that was the other interesting thing is, you know, the models were awarded, you know, placards placed, Jackson and Ivan uh, picked up a few each, 
And then the following day on Sunday, you actually go collect your award. But it was, it was an interesting way to acknowledge what won. And it was cool. I, I enjoyed being able to understand and see, hey, the, this, this is the best in class. So that, that was really cool. You know, Saturday, you know, I'm just, I'll, I'll just talk, you know, Saturday wound down. We ended up going to dinner, met Marcus Nichols out, which was a absolutely fantastic time. We met his friend, Carl. Carl is the gentleman who built the Lancaster dropping the, um, dropping the bomb that, you know, did this, you know, splash and that's what's suspending it above the base. Uh, really, really incredibly nice guy had the opportunity to talk with him throughout the night. And then Simon joined us as well. And then Sunday we went back to the hall and maybe Ivan talk about, you know, on Sunday there, there's something unique that happens and, and maybe share that type of share that event. And then we can also talk, it was just a very somber moment. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. So Sunday uh, is, is when we do the remembrance. So Sunday is a quieter day. It's noticeably quieter, which I, I think is actually nice. You get the hustle and bustle of Saturday and then the Sunday is like, right, you can just kind of chill and look around things. Now you've done, you tend to have done your purchases and that. And then bang on 11 o'clock. There's no warning. Well, there is, there's an announcement in the morning, but there's, let's see, no prep, no warning. As soon as it hits 11 o'clock, the room falls silent. And I mean silent, like all of a sudden, massive crowd, and then you can hear a pin drop across the like the the convention center. Then the, the military's on the on the catwalk. You can hear them. Small reading is said, and then the last post is played, and it's it's quite it's quite a moment. Usually, like everyone, dead respectful, nothing said. There's no noise to be heard. That happens. Then once it's all finished and wound down, everyone applauds. It's it, it's it's a really nice quiet special moment and every year it gets me a bit i know it's going to happen I've, I've i've experienced it i think every year and even when not at telford i've experienced them in the local area with my the cenotaph i know what it's like but it's, it still gets you right in the fields it really does yeah the entire facility drop dead silent really really um just just a, just something really everybody should experience it was it was a it was a very um yeah somber moment and and really respectful too. So that happened 11 on Sunday. And then I think, you know, turning into the afternoon, there's probably a mad dash to hit all the traders before the day's over. And one of the things I'll just start and then kick it around the room too, is like, what did we buy? What, 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 what we couldn't find? I mean, literally there was everything there. Um, I think what stuck out to me most is the amount of new stuff the new kinetic F-16, there were comets there, the new Anson from Airfix, like literally all the new stuff, finishing products, the consumables, they were all there to be had. There was no shortage of great things in the vendor hall. And maybe Ivan, I'll, uh, we'll start with you because your stack was quite large. It, right. It was, but if we compare it to the US Nats, it was minuscule. It's large because I bought the 116th Sherman and the 116th quarter ton utility truck. I also, one of the first purchases I made, me and Jackson were walking past this stand and they had a massive corner of machining creaker kits. And I was like, whoa, you don't see them over here. And they had the nut, nutcracker, 90 pound down to 45. And it's like, I would have to be stupid to not buy that. I mean, it's ugly and I didn't really want it, but it was 45 pounds. So I bought it. Another purchase that uh, I got, I got the Rubicon LVTs. Me and Jackson were at the Rubicon stand for quite a while with Christian. And we were looking at them. They were built up in glass cabinets and they looked really, really, really nice. We were talking about the different types of LVTs. 
Uh, and then I ended up getting the um, uh, the LVT4 and the LVT A1 uh, slash A4. I did a swap. I did quite a lot of swaps. I did get the MK the Mark 44 Ammo Knight from Jackson. I also did a swap and got the the nose part of the 132nd Lancaster from HK uh, models because I wanted to do one, but I didn't want to do the full model. Just the nose will do for me. Again, me, me, Jackson and Christian were walking past the stand and he's like, oh, Tasker M4A1, you should buy this. And we all know it takes a lot to convince me to buy something. I was like, okay. So I bought that and and that was it. I, I'd have to say a massive thanks to everyone we met because got a lot of freebies from people and gifts and, and stuff like that. So there was a lot of, a lot of gift giving and a lot of swaps. It was it was nice, but I didn't actually spend a lot on models. Uh, I spent more on gin, but I do have to give uh, Spode John Murphy a, a really nice shout out. He gave me a beautiful bottle of gin. I've got this reputation. I must like fruity drinks. Uh, so I got that. The, uh, I have to give a shout out to Mark Bradley and his his, his wonderful missus, uh, Jamie. Cause I think they made six million cookies for us. <laughs> I had a check bag just for them. <laughs> they were they were astonishing. They really were. Just yeah, the generous generosity of people in this hobby. I know I'm going off track. It was what we bought, but yeah, I didn't buy much. It just happened to be what I did buy was rather large. It was a great vendor hall. You know, John Everett, what'd you pick up at the show? Oh, um, for me, what did I well consumables? You mentioned that earlier. I got yeah, loads of sanding sticks. I was lucky enough to get some of that ultra mat that uh, that was in short supply there from the Albion guys. I did. I got quite a bit of Albion metal. If you've never never used it, the uh, Albion alloys product, they're they're aluminum tubing, aluminum brass tubing, copper tubing. We're accustomed here in the U.S. to have K and S, which is very good stuff. But the Albion is extremely small, like half a millimeter in its tubing and and two millimeter tubing. And it's really good if you need to make anything out of tubing, a structure of any kind out of tubing. They're they're the people to go to. So they had uh, good stuff. So I got some Albion, got some Matt, and um, I've already kind of posted it out there on the Facebook. I needed um, I needed a uh, a a wooden stand, a nice stained, really pretty a wooden stand for um, for my lightsaber. Oh yes, yes, my lightsaber that I made, and uh, I did. I got a wooden stand for my lightsaber, and uh, if you haven't seen, I've got some pictures out there on the Facebook. Facebook, but uh, those were the primary things: consumable lightsaber stand and uh, some some Albion. So Jackson, I saw your post show picture. I think you bought more chocolate than than modeling related supplies. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say this is going to turn into an hour segment of Jackson's bringbacks from England, but. <laughs> Yeah, so I did get a lot of people. A lot of the chocolate was not for me. Uh, I was held at gunpoint by my friends and family, and they said, if you don't bring back chocolate, you know, we're going to disown you. So I got plenty of that. But at, in terms of Telford, stuff I bought, I did find my TARDIS kit. I must admit, I did actually order one in advance. I ordered one to Ivan's house. He brought it for me. Just in case there was one at the show, there was one at the show, so I bought a second one. Um, so I got those two kits because those are very hard to find in the U.S., Friday, when we were there kind of scoping everything out, I saw uh, it was the Ming Rolls-Royce Armored Car Kit, and it was a really good price. It had photo etch inside along with like wood paneling for the whole truck bed and everything. It's like 30 pounds. And I was like, done. I'm there. So I went and picked that up first thing Saturday morning. I found something I was not expecting to. It is the Dinghao uh, reboxing of the AFB Club LVT. It's got a big howitzer mounted on top of it. Very, very hard to find kit anywhere. Got that for a good price. Probably the biggest steal, though, was um, the two research squad books. So the Tiger Research Squad book and the Panther book on the uh, running gear. I got both of them for like 20 pounds combined, uh, which you can't even touch one in the US for that price. So 
really lucky to get that. Uh, I got lots of stuff for TJ and Zach to bring back as well. I got some bust for TJ. I was very jealous of his Doc Holiday bust I bought him. I almost stole it myself because it's awesome. Really excited to see what he does with that. Ivan gave me uh, a few kits to bring back. He gave me a Ryfield East, or a, I keep doing that, Ryfield Firefly and uh, two. Well, he gave me one Romfell armored car and then Graham gave me the other one to bring to TJ. So got two of those. And then uh, a lot of consumables, a lot of VMS, a lot of uh, foliage. There is a store MDP models, I think, that was selling a lot of like diorama accessories. So I spent way too much money there. Well, yeah, one of the highlights was uh, Spud had give, given all of us when we first got there this little sample pack of Plymouth gin. And uh, I was looking at the container yesterday with TJ and one of the bottles is quote Navy strength and it's 114 proof. So I'm saving that for like a night where I really need to forget something. I'll just down that and you'll find me a month from then, you know, in a ditch somewhere. San Marcos 2023. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'll bring it to that. (laughs) So that was very generous. And then um, Luke and Graham also gave us a little goodie bag of, um, Black Rifle Model Works swag. So I actually got a mug next to me that I was using this morning and some pins and stickers. So yeah, it's a lot of generosity with uh, all the people we met. So yeah, and it's it's a good thing you bring up Luke and Graham. We haven't mentioned them much already. You know, we hit on Spud. He he was an excellent host, especially at the Four Corners table. Almost considered our home base. He was very welcoming, and everyone on his team: Pete, Andy, Dan, um, Ian. Kev Smith, I mean, all really great modelers, but really great people more importantly. And they even gave their own show award, which I thought was great. But in addition to those folks, you know, people that I I would say they took care of Ivan. So I think we're thankful for that. Uh, Luke and Graham, you know, salt of the earth types of individuals. We've had Graham and Luke on right before we went to Telford, but they are, they are certainly great people, really inspirational work. You know, Luke had brought a lot of his work and put some of it in the contest and did very well. But then he also put a lot on the Rubicon table as well. So, he, you know, we talked earlier about how good that table was. It's a pretty sure, you know, couple pieces on there, especially the, you know, exploded Tiger II that showed the interior. That was Luke. So a lot of his world-class work was on display and it was super cool to see it in person, but then also have it rewarded. So those two gentlemen are, uh, you know, they, they're really good. And especially having to deal with Ivan, I think... Uh, all weekend was great. I mean, it was funny. It was, uh, it was very, uh, it was very parenty in some instances. So it was, uh, it was really good. They're, they're great people. Yeah, they are. Um, <laughs> they, 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 they have to be to put it with me. No, but they are the, 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 the bestest type of people because they're really humble guys and you can just tell how much they love the hobby. Yeah. The, the, they're all right. <laughs> they're all right guys and, and maybe this is a good segue so we've talked a lot about about telford and maybe we'll spend the next you know just a little bit of time to talk about the remaining part of the trip because you know at the posse it's not only about the show but the entire experience it itself so i will say telford ends rather unceremoniously it uh people kind of fade away i i thought it was i thought it was very reminiscent of the oceans 11 uh, at the end, when everybody's standing around the Bellagio fountain, you know, the soft music's playing and, you know, you shake your hand and you slowly walk away. I felt that at Telford, where at the IPMS Nationals, you know, we have the award ceremony. We have some significant events that are part of the show that kind of signify its closure. Where at Telford, again, it's just, it fades away. And and that's what it felt like. You know, we, we set a time, hey, wheels rolling at four o'clock. 
and we were out the door and we were in the car playing Jenga or Tetris, I should say, with, uh, with some purchases, but it was all, it was all good. And, you know, we made our way South to Weymouth. We were lucky enough. John and I rode with Luke and Graham super, again, the two fine gentlemen we just discussed got stuck in a little bit of traffic, but I don't think that was a problem because it goes back to what John said. We talked more than just models. We talked life events. We talked, you know, family, culture, a little bit of everything, road laws for crying out loud. I mean, literally it was all on the table to get to know them, you know, the country, the hobby from their perspective. So um, really, really good. And then Jackson and Ivan, I don't know how you guys did it, but you were there, you were in way with like an hour before us. Yeah. Uh, so we were like right at the the front of when the traffic hit. So we managed to get through because your ETA just kept getting further and further away. It's but yeah, we nice. We slept in the car. It was nice and peaceful. And then we arrived at the hotel, which was glamorous. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. My oh, my room overlooked the sea. Yeah, yeah you were in the presidential suite. Yeah, the, the John Bernani suite would, wouldn't it? We I got me and Jackson lucky. got the dustbins. We got the Harry Potter under the staircase covers. <laughs> but the thing is, J- Jackson's room was still more glamorous than mine. Uh, and, then, and then John bunked alone. But it, it was a nice hotel. It was a cool area. Lovely place. Lovely location. Yeah, because we woke up in the morning and went for a walk along the beach. Met for yeah. a really cheap breakfast, which was yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I plan to, I plan to maybe go do Weymouth again or something down on that southern coast. Yeah, especially in the morning, the it was so clear you could see the white chalk cliffs of the southern shore, and I'd, I'd never seen that before. So it was, it was very cool and just a, just a beautiful area. And then we found a pub to, you know have a cheap breakfast in the morning. And then, you know, John supported a, you know, an older gentleman putting up Christmas lights that, you know, they had to be put up that day, John. <laughs> they did. They did. By, by Jove, it was, it was Christmas decoration moment. Whatever that moment is, it was the <laughs> moment to have Christmas decoration. And this, this, he, he was a neat old guy, but he was, he was older than me. And uh, he was climbing around on chairs and tabletops, putting up garlands, sticking it to the ceiling. And I'm sitting, having my breakfast underneath him thinking, okay, I'm just going to watch if, if he falls, I'll just get in the way. I can't stop him. He's too big. I can't stop him falling. I'll just get in the way and slow him down a little bit, hopefully minimize his injuries on the way to the floor. But he didn't, he didn't fall and he put up more garland for the rest. So uh, for what it's worth, the old fella did a good job of doing Christmas decoration at the pub. I felt really bad for Jackson. He had one mouthful of a waffle. He was like, right, I gotta go and shower. Yeah. <laughs> he would he would gone. It was really good breakfast too. It was cheap. Everything yeah. was cheap. You can you can't go wrong with the weather spoons. I want to bring up too that the night before I, I I've gotta give Ivan props. He had never been into a traditional English pub. And I <laughs> no, I have. I have. And he planted his feet firmly and said, I will not go into that pub. There is no chance. And I brought him in. I was like, we're going. This is, look, I'm here. You need to, you need to show me your country. So we're going in and we went in and they were playing Ramstein and he was like, okay, it's not that bad. And then (laughs) that he was fine until I started talking to the locals. And then you could see him just die inside. He's like, oh, great. There were a bunch of people wearing football uniforms. And I started up conversations with him. He's like, oh geez we're gonna get into a, a fight or something yeah so just to correct i have been in english pubs before i'm not completely underthal it's just there was a lot of people outside it who were quite loud it's like that's a deterrent enough for me and luckily there was seat, 
Yeah, the, the vibe. There were seats <laughs> at the bar, so I was happy. Ordered my traditional pink gin and lemonade. I was happy. And then Jackson's like, I'm going to talk to these two guys who are clearly drunken in football gear. I was like, please don't. So he does. And his friend is just apologising for him the entire time. He's like, I'm sorry about him. I was like, this is this is not good. I'm, it was we funny. should leave. It, it was until it started getting hostile. It's like, time for bed, I think. And then we wanted to try and get food. And it turns out you can't walk through a McDonald's drive through Yeah. Big <laughs> culture shock open. there. <laughs> That's not how it is in the States. <laughs> so listeners, yeah, while this is going on, you know, John and I, the adults in the room, we are back at the hotel, soundly asleep. Well, before the pub, <laughs> we did go to a really nice bar that had one man in it with extraordinarily loud music dancing alone. And obviously Jackson's like, let's just get a drink here. Again, not, not the place to be. <laughs> no, it turns out that a very small coastal community at like, you know, 9, 10, 11 p.m. on a Sunday is not the most... Uh... In November. <laughs> yeah, in November. <laughs> it's not the best place to party. But the morning we did party. So we finished breakfast, hopped in the car and made our way over to Bovington, which John had never been to before. And John, you're not, even, you're not even a tank guy, but you're like, you know what? Yeah, come along. No, I, I'm not a tank guy, but I'm not not a tank guy. If nothing else, the the historic interest of the of the machines themselves, um, even if I don't model the tank, I, I am curious. OK, well, where was it captured yeah. and what condition was it in when they picked it up and how much work has been done and who's done the work and how do they get parts? All that stuff I find very interesting, even if the tanks themselves are not necessarily something I will build. Yeah, it. It was great because, you know, at the event, at at the venue, I should say, at Bovington, we met up with Kev Smith came down. So we've mentioned him before. He is, uh, he I, I have looked up to him so long. His work has, in, has inspired me for literally ever, you know, back on the Missing Links days and seeing his work now. Unbelievable earth tone worker. He, uh, he joined us, which was great. We had Spud join us. That got us a little bit of special access, which was really, really cool. You know, John's friend Pete came down, but then also Daniel Brooker joined us. And unfortunately, he couldn't make it to the show, but he was kind enough to join us down at Bovington. He lives he lives about thirty minutes away. Uh, it was a it was a good reunion. Never met him in person before. Really, really great. Uh, you know, handed over the M4 improvised Sherman that you know was shepherd across the pond, but also made its debut at the. Uh, IPMS Nationals at the Sherman table, but then also traveled to Salt Lake, a show in Colorado. So it's been it's been all over and it was really great to meet him. But what was really cool was we were all and Luke and Graham joined us, of course. But it was great to not only be at Bovington with the armored vehicles, some of which are, you know, singular in in a sense of nothing, there's nothing like it in the world, but having the opportunity to just have chats around them. I mean, there was one point where I, you know, I pushed pause and said to Jackson and Ivan, it's like, we're here in between the King Tiger and the SDK of Sid 234 chatting with Spud and Kev Smith. I mean, come on. No, nothing better. Wow. Super cool. And then we're around the Japanese tank taking pictures. Jackson's like, let me show you the doorbell on it. Uh, And, and, you know, Dan Brooker, I think, right. Jackson was the one who showed that to you. Yeah, so I, I had seen a YouTube video about it a couple months ago, and he was like, you know about the doorbell, right? And I was like, yeah, I do. I didn't even think to like go and try to poke it, and then I, I did and had to record a video of it, and then I showed you guys. Yeah, it was cool. Just little things like that were 
little, again, micro conversations, you know, around these significant machines, you know, we're chasing, you know, we also have a selfie stick going around and, you know, Jackson's measuring tires on vehicles to do some 3D modeling. So, you know, overall, just a really incredible experience, not only at the museum itself, but enjoying it with some of our friends there. And then we had a Tiger 131 beer at lunch and, you know, the day just went so fast. I think in total, we were there seven hours, maybe. Six, six hours. And then, you know, John Murphy uh, Spud was kind enough to get us uh, the conservation hall opened. Uh, We had to resist, you know, I think we had to put up a wall, you know, we were holding Jackson because he wanted to jump down into the pit and go touch everything. Yeah, I needed to be held back for sure. (laughs) The T-14 was his baby. Unfortunately, he couldn't get close to it. Michael. Yeah. So for those who were very adamant in me seeing Michael again. Um, I could not. Their whole factory, what was previously the factory display was under construction or redevelopment or whatever they were doing back there. And uh, I can't remember why they said they didn't move Michael, but I'm sure they just did not want to touch it at all, given its rarity. So I could not go see that, but I did take some pictures with the the A176 of me praying for, as JB put it, any possible dating <laughs> profiles. <laughs> I'll also bring up. I, I'd love to ask John. You know, since since you you're not you're not a tank bite guy, but you're not not a tank guy guy. Walking through Bovington, maybe seeing some of the vehicles for the first time. What stuck out to you? You know, if you had to take something away, maybe from the World War II hall. Well, certainly from the World War II hall, it would be the captured the captured german tanks just because it's like seeing a famous person you know they exist but you've never seen one before in the wild and you come around the corner it's like oh wait a minute it's that one i know that one uh, so even a person like me who doesn't know a great deal about armor has watched enough History Channel or Discovery Channel to say, oh, hey, this is a thing I'm familiar with. And for me, that's, you know, there's that little, oh, wow, sort of museum moment that we all get from time to time in the places like Smithsonian or wherever they are, the National Museums. Uh, for me, yeah, from the German armor and the fact that a lot, most of those machines, at least in that section, run. They run, they take them out and they zoom them around that little race racetrack once a year. I, it was pretty impressive. Uh, you got to say that, like, well, with, with Jackson and his work as a mechanic there at the Tank Museum here in the U.S., um, the level of dedication, it's all volunteer. Those guys don't get paid. They come out, they scrape their knuckles, they bleed, they they choke down diesel fumes. And uh, just to keep these old historic pieces of machinery running. And for me, we, who was a, we had a docent there who apparently not just knew a lot about the Tiger 131, but had worked on it, driven it around. I, his his background, he's, he was a modeler, wasn't he? Yeah, that was um, Peter Smith, right, JB? Is that who that was? Yeah, yeah, Jackson's new best friend. They talked about yeah. okay. Okay. He does a lot of very good Sherman models, so I followed okay, his work so, for a while. Yeah, yeah, here he is just volunteering at the tank museum because, you know, he was bored and, yeah, keep these old machines running. So for me, the not not a tank guy, that was probably the most standout, was the, the pieces of equipment you know exist, you've seen them on YouTube, and then you come around the corner and there it sets. Oh, wow. Oh, it's you. Oh, it's you, Tiger. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that was certainly it because I hadn't been to Bovington for like three years and they completely remodeled the inside as Jackson, you know, we talked, you were there when they had the Tiger collection as well and totally different now. Completely different. It was very disorienting. You couldn't really tell where you were and what the building used to be. And then next thing you know, you're walking into that section where the TOG and the modern vehicles are and you're like, oh, I'm here. Like, I don't know what I just went through, but it was very, I like their new setup. 
It's very yeah. well organized. Yeah. Like John had mentioned, you go around a corner and it's like, holy cow, that's a Yog Tiger just right there in front of my face. And what's nice about Bovington is you can get up close to it. So it was. Yeah, you got to figure cool. of, of all the museum pieces out there of all the retired equipment and all the museums of all the world. The tank museum is the one where you don't worry about guys just walking up, touching them. You just, yeah, you know, oh, you're going to damage the exhibit. No, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really incredible. And that that's, a, you know, honestly, it's a modeler's paradise. It is so good. And you can get so close to stuff. You know, J- again, Jackson was measuring a few things. You know, I was taking photos of every rooftop I could get to with the selfie stick. Lots of uh, self-portraits with everyone, you know, updating our profile pictures with, you know, German heavy armor in the background. So it was just a really, really, really great experience. Beautiful museum. They have done a world-class job and I would encourage everyone to go there. I know Scott's probably a little jelly if Telford didn't make him jelly. Bovington with Spud certainly did. Oh yeah, that's a that would be a dream come true. I'm not sure seven hours would be enough. <laughs> but um, you know, favorites. I mean, you guys got some incredible shots, like John was saying, uh, great comet references for everybody that's gonna dive into the new uh, to be a kit. What was a favorite for each of you? Ivan, what was your favorite? Um, it's hard because me and Jackson were busy doing professional photo shoots, and I really like the stug that I got a picture in front of, but then I really like the Churchill that's next to it. And then obviously there's, obviously there's 131 and everyone needs a picture in front of 131. And then there's the King Tiger and there's the Yag Tiger, but it's it's hard to pick. But weirdly, I'd say my favourite piece, sir, I think it's the M4 Ray 176, I think. And that that's, that's a gorgeous piece of machinery. But then the Crab, which is crazy looking. It looks so menacing. So yeah, just choose any one of them and any of them will do. Yeah, for me... I, the Og Tiger always sticks out to me just because it's absolutely massive. It's huge, just just big, just unbelievably big. And, you know, it has Zimmerit on it. It has the Porsche suspension. You can get right up next to it. Probably the highlight for me. Jackson, it's probably one of the 12 Shermans they have there, the DD, I'm suspecting. I've got a hot take, actually. So I will say the crab was awesome. I can't remember if I had seen that. I don't remember if that was out when I was there back in 2019, but either way, seeing it again or for the first time was awesome. Pressing the, the button on the doorbell on the Type 95 was, that was cool. Honestly, my, one of my highlights was A, the Rolls-Royce armored car, because I had just bought a kit of it and that was not on display when I was there last. So it was really cool seeing that. And that's what I spent a lot of time measuring and taking pictures of. But the hot take one, it's actually one I, I showed you guys in the World War One hall, they've got a builder's model for the Mark seven or the Liberty tank. And uh, that's something that I walked completely past uh, the first time I was there. And then in the years that followed, I found out that that builder's model is like one of the sole examples of like the color that they painted the land ships in World War One, the service brown or service khaki or whatever the, the color is called. And so getting to see that and trying to take like a mental image of like, okay, this is what the color kind of looks like. I'm not normally one that's huge on color, but it's such a unique kind of greenish brown color. And it's something that I just thought was really fascinating and seeing a, a, a builder's model from, you know, the early 1900s that they built to, you know, create this tank from. It was just it was cool. It was one of my highlights and something that I'm, I think is often overlooked. They've, they've got this tank cut in half. What they use to do that, I have no idea. <laughs> like a diamond saw or something they use for cutting big blocks of granite out of the hills here in the Rockies. But uh, anyway, they yeah, they cut this tank right down the middle. But most interesting, not just looking inside and seeing all the mechanisms, but they have the mannequins of the crew 
that are in each of their respective positions while they would be operating the tank. And you realize that even for a big vehicle like this one, that they don't have a lot of personal space in there. They're banging their heads around. It makes you understand why all the tankers wear helmets because they're, they're just, just rattling around in that thing. You'd be banging your head off of all sorts of metal objects. And uh, for me, that really stood out as, as just um, not that they, they took this giant hunk of metal and cut it perfectly down the middle, but that, uh, that, it helped to emphasize just how tough it is to have that job and uh, makes me glad I never had to do it. And yet you talk to the guys that did do it. And just like the movie, that's the best job I ever had. You know, they loved it. The guys that did that loved it. They were also 19 years old. I, you know, I look back at the things I loved to do when I was 19 and I was like, I'm not doing that today. Nope. So uh, yeah, for me, that stood out. The one that whatever it is, it's cut in half. A, you know, Churchill, a crocodile, a, a centurion, I don't know, but I'm not not a tank guy, but I'm not sure what that tank is. But you liked it. Yes, I did. So one of the things you mentioned about mannequins, I will note this and then we'll continue on our journey. The mannequins there, especially for the Churchill, the one that was next to the Stug, it was interesting. I was up on top talking to Dan Brooker, and he noted that the mannequins in that tank were actually sculpted by an art school. They took a photograph of a Churchill tank and the crew of it, and they sculpted mannequins to match the photograph to highlight the crew that, I don't know if it was the exact Churchill, but it was certainly the crew were depicted and they were sculpted very well. They looked exactly like they did in the picture. So I I thought that was kind of neat to bring the human element into it. And then they kind of gave a little profile on each of those crew members, you know, where they were from, what were their duties on the tank. So it it was just neat. Bovington does that extra mile, I think, in telling the story. And then we ended our day at Bovington and we transitioned over to wool, which Ivan didn't know where wool was. Um, I didn't know wool was a thing. I was like, what does wool mean? <laughs> it, it's the small town next to Bovington for our <laughs> listeners. So at Bovington, it might be a long way from, from London, but it's actually a very easy place to get to because the train will drop you off right near the museum and you can either call a cab or an uber and it's a short you know short jaunt or you can walk there i've done both and the train we took it was it was a little over two hours you know spud was great he uh, you know graham and luke drove us all over there was a mass shuffle of ivan's wares from spud's van to their suv i didn't buy that (laughs) much it was just big stuff okay okay here we go listeners Hot take, we're leaving the hotel in Weymouth. Or no, we're in Telford. We're in Telford. We're leaving the hotel. And Ivan looks in his room and goes, ah, pillow holder. This is mine now. And he filled it up with his purchases. So he has the pillow holder. And then I'm getting on the elevator in Weymouth. And all I hear is like a mini explosion of kits in the hallway around the corner. And I go, and I hear, oh, God. (laughs) I go around the corner and it's Ivan there with his bag and his pillow sack that is burst. And there's just kits lying all over the floor in the hotel. And I look at him like, all right, this is a you problem. <laughs> Give me your bag and I will, I will meet you downstairs. Does, uh, it, does <laughs> it burst because of the weight of the gin and the octo jig? <laughs> I just looked on the phone. I was like, I want to go home now. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. He's tapped out and then he's just kicking his bag through the lobby out to the stairs. But yeah, we, we sorted that out. We said our, you know, said sad goodbyes to, uh, 
not goodbye, but see you again to Luke and Graham and, and John and John mm-hmm. escorted us on the platform, made sure we got on the right train. So super kudos to him. And, and then we had a nice, the train ride to London was super nice. I thought we just it was chill. Wonderful. Yeah. It was lovely, lovely train ride. Great conversations, great laughs. Um, a, a little bit of shut eye, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But it was it wasn't busy. It, you know, we each had our own. You know, John and I shared a table facing each other, and then you and Jackson had one across the aisle. So not bad. And then we got to the tube, and it wasn't that bad. It's 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 warm down there. But you gotta admit, it was it wasn't a bad walk from the tube to our hotel. Prime location, no complaints. I think I think my only gripe was my one, my terrible packing and the stupid ball bag I had, <laughs> which wasn't easy to carry, didn't fit on my other bag. And there was a lot of stirs that went up and down. It's like this, I'm gonna I was borderline like, I'm gonna throw this bag down the stairs. I'll meet it at the bottom. <laughs> and I think you know, we also have to note it. During this whole time, Jax and I are schlepping our built our built models and other people's built models through the tube too, um, with no casualties, shockingly. And then we we went, we dropped our stuff off, and it's probably what eight o'clock, nine o'clock. And uh, Ivan, you know what? What do we do for dinner? Ah, <laughs> so, so we we popped into. <laughs> we popped into a, a there's a Tesco near the shop, uh, near the hotel. Popped into the JB got some things, and then me and Jackson were like, "So, what are we doing for dinner tonight?" And JB's just like, "I got my beer and my chips. I'm good." <laughs> so it's like, right, me and Jackson don't know what we're doing for dinner. So, um, and he held both. He had one in each hand, <laughs> beer in one hand, bag of potato chips in the other. Held them up like he had just like won a medal or something. He was like, "I got my beer and my chips." <laughs> good we're like you know excited to go to some nice you know london dinner first night we're there and he's like there's a tesco right here like we're good what's for dinner tesco so that became a running joke on the trip yeah we ended up we dropped our bags off but we did go for a good walk we walked down to borough market past station west belfast tower bridge we stayed right next to so it was good and then we also hit um st paul's at night which was really cool too it was uh, it was good, and then you know on the way back we passed Shakespeare's Theater with, you know our our resident you know theologian poet John Everett, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who serenaded us the whole way across Millennium Bridge, and and did so yeah stone cold sober, stone cold sober. I mean it was it was a performance. We had people lining up actually. We had a mini group. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was curated and, and John was the star of the show. I think now maybe you're just exaggerating. We might've just been some idiots just walking across the bridge. We might, that might've been more close to the reality of it. We did have people looking at us. So I, you well, know, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, yeah. An American narrating from memory Shakespeare while walking across a bridge with other Americans. Yeah. I can see how that would draw, draw. some. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we went back to the hotel and took it easy. And then the next day it was it was off to more museums. And this time we we focused on the Natural History Museum. And maybe John, I'd kick it to you to kind of describe that that whole museum, what you looked forward to there. Cause it, it was really when we talked about London, it was it was the number one thing you wanted to do. Yeah, no, for me definitely. Um I on my trip back in 2019, I was I went to a science museum instead or a history of industrial science museum instead and missed the natural history. And I was glad to be able to do it this time. It's um, 
that museum, given its history and how it was constructed and all the rest, the architecture is almost as good as the exhibit. So you go there to see this, you go there to see that, but the architecture of the building itself is beautiful. And the level of detail that's been woven into the very stone of the building itself, the little sculptures that you can't see if you're just 50 feet away, you literally have to be standing there, you'll be sending a text message or something on your phone and you realize, oh wait, that's the face of a carved monkey looking out at me from this pillar that's, and it's been there for a hundred years, you know, um, just the, the, the choice of color and the way they've designed the staircases. And if the best, obviously go online to see the photos, but the best analogy is when the Harry Potter kids go into the hall with all the staircases that swing around that kind of vaulted cathedral like enclosure. And they've got a, the skeleton of a big blue whale just hanging from the ceiling in there. Um, for me, obviously the, the trip down the dinosaur alley there was, was my high point. Um, beautiful little, beautifully restored skeletons and then uh, live models, things that have been sculpted a while back or more recently. So a big section there, but they've got, they've got a geology section. If you're into gems, um, if you're into natural process, they have, a, it's a natural history museum. It's like a lot of them in Washington, DC. Um, they've got a good one there. So any natural history museum that you've been to in the past, the one in New York is a good example. This is I think the one in New York was modeled largely after this one. I don't know exactly the interactions between the architecture, but uh, I, if you walk into the National History in New York, it's very similar to the one in London. And um, for me, probably the high point of the whole thing, and there were a lot of high points, but the high point was, if you know it all about fossil records, um, there is a famous, famous fossil of an Archaeopteryx, a little dinosaur bird. One of the first evidence they had that dinosaurs maybe had feathers and it's the one where the neck is all bent around backward and the head is like touching the back of the spinal cord when it died. It was in that position. And this is like the famous fossil of the Archaeopteryx. Well, it's there and it's in there. It's what this the room they call it the room of treasures. And it's the most well-known, most valuable artifacts they have in the whole museum. So not just the fossils, but the Archaeopteryx is there. And you can, I mean, obviously it's in a glass case. They don't want people touching it. Um, but uh, it's, you can, you can get your face six inches from it. I, I just had my mobile phone there just snapping photos of this thing, not more than six inches from the, from the actual fossil. And again, you know, in terms of celebrity appearance, if you're into historical old stuff, um, that's, that was for me definitely a high point. Uh, and, and obviously they've got, they've got some good dinosaur stuff if that's what you want to go see. So that for me, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, but again, almost equally, I enjoy the architecture, just walking through the building, looking at the tile under your feet. If you don't know, they've got these tiny, tiny little glass mosaics. Each individual fleck of glass is maybe one square centimeter, real small. There are millions of them. I'm not kidding. Six, seven, eight, 10 million. I don't know. They're in the floor and they do a sort of a Ro Roman mosaic style where they make patterns. And, and the entire floor of this what what'd you say that entry hall is an acre two acres i have no idea it's massive a big, like big room fifty thousand square floors. feet yeah multiple floors all the way up and just just the way they've done the building itself and to know that it stood for a century there or longer i don't know when they built that thing right around the time of the american civil war so 150 years 100 years i i don't know when they finished the blitz the finally opened it to the public and being that it has been there for so long as such an icon, there have been additions and wings and annexes over the over the decades. And so you can walk down. Oh, yes, I've seen all of. Oh, wait, no, I haven't seen all of the hall. And you go in and there's another acre of display. Anyway, you can't see it all. 
Um, Banani was good enough to give me three hours. I got to see the big things, but on my next trip to London, I'll go back. I'll go back and see the other things again. So yeah, if you get in London, go see the Natural History Museum if you have any interest in all at all in the in the in any of that stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. I didn't know I wanted to see it until you took us there because, like you said, the architecture I think stood out just as much as the exhibits and the entry there is is incredibly grand. And it's one of the photos that we posted on, on our Facebook page because it's, it's super cool. And I do want to rewind a little bit before we even went there though, while it was pouring down rain outside, you know, Jackson and Ivan had another stylish photo shoot in front of Jackson's, uh, you know, top priority that day, which was Jackson. TARDIS. Ah. So it was uh, one of the, I think one of two police phone boxes left in England. A lot of them are still up in Scotland so I, I filled in our little group on history about police boxes and and then yeah I had Ivan take take some pictures of me for my Tinder profile because everyone knows girls love Tardises right and it's just <laughs> it's instantly enamored and then when we were that was when we were walking from that to the Natural History Museum we had another quotable moment uh, so <laughs> we were walking again it was pouring down rain. And Ivan complained about how the rain was fogging up his glasses and covering raindrops and everything. And about <laughs> 10 minutes later, he's walking down the road and he says, I can't see anything. <laughs> and without skipping a beat, immediately gets like shoulder checked by a police or a, a, a street sign and just goes, uh, like as he just runs straight into this sign <laughs> without a second pause. Just, I can't see anything. Bang. <laughs> It just focus. Jamie's like, you're doing good. I was like, I can't see. And then bang. <laughs> I look, and then I look at him. And it's just like pure depression. If, yeah. if, if, if you look up that word in the dictionary for, for a photograph, it had Ivan. He was soaking wet. I honestly couldn't see his eyes because the water droplets and fog on his glasses. He's just purely disheveled in every form and uh, probably feet soaked on a side street in London getting rained on. And we haven't even gotten to, I think, our final destination at that point. So uh, needless to say, it wasn't his finest hour, um, but uh, it was it was funny, no less. And <laughs> yes. I, I will never forget that. And, and then, as we mentioned, Natural History Hall, you two, you two gentlemen, Jackson and Ivan, broke off. They went over to the Imperial War Museum. And then uh, I, I served as John's chauffeur through through London walking. And uh, we walked all the way from the museum down to Westminster. Yeah, we left the Natural History Museum a little bit earlier than you guys. I'll let Jackson see where we went because uh, it was a, a cool little gem right in the middle of London. Yeah. So on the way to go meet up with Christian at the Imperial War Museum, um, I had checked. There's this website called Atlas Obscura. And anyone who loves traveling needs to check out this website. It's a website where you put in a location and it pulls up all of the weird and you know, off the beaten path kind of one-off cool little tidbits of history or just you know culture interest and you know you see all sorts of stuff on there and one of the things that i saw uh that was nearby so the uh victoria and albert museum it kind of doubles as a small memorial to the blitz uh the whole so when you're you know walking down the road you you start to see kind of pockmarks in the walls of this building and then you keep going and it just gets so much worse. And so basically this whole side of this, this museum is just covered in shrapnel damage from the blitz and they, they didn't touch it at all. So, you know, the light posts, the brickwork, the archways, like all of it is just, it looks like it, a bomb just, just went off next to it. 
and they have a, a nice plaque uh, in one of the walls that says, you know, this damage has been left here as, you know, memorial for the Blitz. And it's, it's very, very moving considering it's really just bricks missing from a wall. Um, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around that, like this busy city and, and, you know, modern city at one point was having bombs dropped on it and stuff. And so it's well worth the stop. Um, it's very easy to find. You really cannot miss it. It's on like the, I think side entrance of the museum. It's well worth visiting if you're, if you're going to go be in the area at the natural history museum. Yeah. The pictures that you showed were really cool. And like you said, a modern, a modern city that you wouldn't think, you know, being bombed. And it, it's really incredible to see that history that's still there today. Um, you know, John and I didn't see any of that. We, we stopped by Harrods real quick. Uh, I took him in to the department oh, yeah. store. Um, yeah, pilgrim in an uncharted land, I felt. I get, yeah, I'd never been to Harrods. It's the closest I saw to a Las Vegas casino. You know, <laughs> metropolitan global destination of London, uh, em- empire of financial power, and, and they don't have a Las Vegas-style casino. Oh, wait. Herods, yes, yes, Herods, of course. So actually, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. You know, uh, going up and down the escalators and and uh, touring the gift shop, and and the perfume, the perfume. I I never smelled nicer. My whole time I know. in the UK, I, I it was never never more pleasant than the perfume room there. We walked what would you out. Call that is that yeah the perfume department. I, I guess yeah. Just a room full of perfume, lots of and, lots and, of odors. And really good-looking people with too much makeup. Yeah, 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 but selling perfume. We didn't fit in there, so we no, we, no. we just kept. There was no stuff. No, it was kind of a breeze through. Short, fat, bald little old man <laughs> just stomping my way through the perfume zone. Sir, sir, okay, if you'd like, if you think it would improve, but it didn't. Yeah, we we hit that and then left, and then it was quite a walk. But we did Buckingham Palace. Uh, walked through Trafalgar Square down to Westminster. Just really great. We kind of hit all the sites, had an opportunity to meet up with Jackson and Ivan at Trafalgar Square. There was a Christmas market there, which was really cool. You know, the Christmas season kicked off. And, you know, I think, I think Ivan out of the week's purchases, you, you, your highlight might've been there at Trafalgar Square. The donuts. Oh, Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We saw this stand we were, we were really hungry at this point, and uh, we—you just got the waft of freshly done donuts. It's like, right, we're going in. Yeah, me and Jackson had—I think they were like a tray of four. I had the Nutella ones. Jackson had the sugar cinnamon ones and a hot chocolate. And you know what? It was <laughs> the best food I've had in a long time. <laughs> it was incredible. And obviously, had to get a snap, like professional picture of the donuts with Big Ben in the background. It was—it was picturesque. It was amazing. Yep. And then we made our way across the Thames. We saw Big Ben, Westminster Abbey, cross the bridge. And then I believe we hopped on the tube and went back to where our hotel was. And we had dinner at Anchor, which was yes. a very quaint pub with very loud Americans. Yeah, it was It was a lovely atmosphere. It, we, we got the, the it, there was a nice gentle buzz of the pub. <laughs> We were open told, mic night. It's open mic night, but you can you're more than free to sit upstairs. And upstairs we sat where we enjoyed our beverages, our food, and then the music began. Everyone hushed. We started to listen to the guy playing the guitar. Jackson realizing he has some fish to try. And at the top of his lung shouts, let me try this fish. The room goes really quiet and starts looking at us. And I'm like, Jackson, that was really loud. I'm not that loud. It's like, right, we've got to go. Because we're getting daggers from everyone. <laughs> so we quietly left 
and didn't leave Jackson alone for the entire trip. Not that loud. I wasn't that loud. That loud. I really wasn't. <laughs> you really they were. They swear I was, but... We, what we've established, it wasn't the volume, it was the tone. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Very small room, too, so voice yeah. traveled, I'm guessing. The, gu- the guitarist was plucking <laughs> heavily to try and cover your volume. But we had a very nice dinner and then we progressed home. And that was the last night John was there. And, you know, you flew out early the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I just jumped on the train and headed out to Heathrow and got in the flight. It all worked great. Said our goodbyes. And then the next day, Jackson and Ivan and I went up to Cambridge area and we visited Duxford, which was, it was too short of a time for what we Mm -hmm. had to experience. Uh, You know, we were running through that museum. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't feed them. It was always the next hangar we would get something to eat. Yeah, so we'll hit this hangar and go to the cafe. <laughs> and then we'd go to the hangar. It's like, oh, so we'll just hit the next one. It's like, I want my chips. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> Those chips, too, I think were the best I had they the whole time great. I was there. I was not expecting that. I, I'll tell you the truth. Bovington's fish and chips were some of the best I had in country, too. Hmm. You know, the museums do do their cafes very well. Good, good coffee. Always a cold Diet Coke for us. So it was really good. So we flew through Duxford. Literally, we hit everything. The only building that we didn't hit was the conservation area that was open the day after we left. But we got plenty of pictures of armor aircraft. And I, I and we met another docent there. We were in one of the smaller hangars, one of the original hangars from uh, World War II timeframe with the lattice work. And it was very cool. And I walked in after Jackson and Ivan and I expected school children because they were everywhere there that day. And it was the first time where we actually had a very quiet experience. And we're in a hangar with like nine Spitfires, a Blenheim, the Sea Vixen, the Buccaneer, Jackson's two-story bus, Churchill in the corner. We had the whole place to ourselves. And uh, a docent walked in right after I came in. And we struck a conversation with him and we had the opportunity to get up and close and personal with some of the stuff, especially the Churchill. Jackson got some really good photographs of his bus, but again, another great conversation with an individual that, you know, I think he built models too, if I wasn't yeah, mistaken. Yeah, he, he's really into Japanese subjects. Yes. Yeah, he um, said he did Japanese aircraft. That was his thing. Yeah. And I, th- I think I remember his name being Bennett, a super nice gentleman. And, you know, again, all you got to do is ask and people are super nice about it. We had the opportunity to get up and close and personal with some, and it's just an overwhelming place. We had an opportunity to see uh, the B-17 as well. in the other hangar got our, you know, pre-mission shot in front of it, but yeah, overall, just another great museum. We had five hours there. Not enough time. Nowhere near enough. Not enough. You could do two days there because it was again, another museum that was put together as John mentioned earlier, one of the things I love is is reading about the actual vehicle there and where it came from, what's its story, and you could find that with all of them. So that was uh, that was really cool. And then after that, we made our way back to a very special experience, and maybe Ivan or Jackson will talk about this one. I can certainly talk about it, but I do want to bring up one thing. I'm really glad we got to do right at the end of our trip to Duxford. Oh yes, so we had like. 15 minutes to go and do this but we got to go see uh they, they've got the original kind of like war room for um like aircraft correspondence that they use during the battle of britain and so you go in and they've got their map tables and they've got their um, operator stations and everything and that room was 
so well done in terms of a museum. They had like um, either original or re-recorded um, like correspondence between the operators and the pilots, basically recreating, you know, like what you might see in like a typical air battle or dogfight that was going on. And so, you know, they were corresponding with the fighters and the fighters would go, you know, you shot one down and they basically had the operator stations light up when like that person was like talking. And then on the wall, they had this projected like footage of the Battle of Britain. And uh, it was just really, really well done. Um, I, I honestly think that is one of the coolest exhibits I've ever seen in a museum because the room is like all original stuff. It's, you know, it's, it's like you're just stepping right back into the Battle of Britain. And I wish we had had more than like the five minutes that we were able to spend in it before running to get our, our train. That yeah. sounds amazing. Uh, that, I mean, of all the things to see in London, and it sounds like the list is pretty long. Jackson, I can understand what that experience must have been like, man. I definitely put that on my list of destinations if I ever head to London. Yeah, absolutely. And then... um. Yeah, what JB was saying was our kind of rounding out experience was uh, a nice little champagne uh, experience on the top of the London Eye, getting to look over the, the the skyline. Very romantic. Very romantic. We it was all couples minus one American family and then us. <laughs> we and, uh, we do make a good thruple according to the tour guide. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I I was a little concerned about uh, maybe the way we carried ourselves in that uh in the pod but ivan i'll let you tell this story <laughs> <laughs> so jb warns us as we get on you're gonna behave here <laughs> you're gonna do as you're told and you're gonna be good we get on the pod it starts going up champagne starts getting handed out this american family the mum decides to let out the largest belch i've ever heard in a public forum she won't look at anyone in the eye. Me and John are laughing our head off. And I, losing control of the volume of my voice, say, and you were concerned about me. I don't think that helped her self-esteem. But I was laughing for a solid 10 minutes. It didn't ruin the mood. I think it might have ruined the mood for the couple that looked like they were on their honeymoon and sat down all dressed up. But it was fun. Yeah, it was a good time. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. and. Got to talk to some of the people and and the guide that we had in the in the pod as well. So I, I would highly recommend you know if you want to see London in a very unique way, check out the London Eye. Uh, one of the things you can do is pay a little bit more for that champagne experience, and it, you know it's the benefit of that is you don't have to wait outside in line. You get a glass of champagne, and then you get a private sitting area too. So I think it's a it's a it's a minor step up in cost, but you get a lot of convenience out of it, and you can pick your time ahead of time. And it worked out all again very well. We were coming back from Duxford. We had you know a set amount of time. We actually got there a little early, so we grabbed a uh, drink and walked along the Thames. So and everywhere along you know in London and some of the bigger squares Leicester Square there's along the Thames but near HMS Belfast by the London Eye there's Christmas markets so you can certainly go and you know do a little shopping grab a drink and yeah no complaints it was good i'm good i'm good and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what a what a way to end the trip because i mean it was pretty wild I, that night was crazy where it's like okay well goodbye i'll see you online in about 12 hours yeah I think I um, one thing I want to bring up is something John said. I don't remember what bridge we were crossing. It might've been Tower Bridge. It might've been London Bridge. At some point when we were walking, uh, he had said, 
uh, it's crazy that like we're here walking on this bridge because of plastic models. And that was something that I kept trying to like rationalize in my head. Like I met most of you guys at the start of this year. I mean, John, I didn't even meet you until Nats. And it's like the fact that we were able to have this completely like once we got past Telford and, and Bobbington, really, it became more of just like a trip you might do by yourself or, you know, with your significant other, you know, it was just like, or friends, it was completely unrelated to modeling. And it's crazy that modeling brought us all together. We got to meet each other through that, but then it, you know, it's, it's a further relationship where, you know, we're all just friends and can go do stuff like that. It's just crazy how the hobby brought us together in that way. Yeah, I think that's really important to emphasize. It really stuck with me. We were walking across Tower Bridge when John said it. And, you know, Jackson, I didn't really know you a year ago. Um, and I, I think that's important for our listeners is that we had this incredible experience with people we didn't even know not too long ago. And it was through the hobby, fortunately, you know, the Triple P enabling us to connect. Um, it's something special. It's something crazy, on all honesty. And you tell people about it. You're like, oh, who'd you go to London with? You did all this cool stuff. Oh, some random guys I met on the internet that we build plastic models. It's like a lot of people can't relate to that. It's it's something, it's different. And you can't find it many other places. Well, yeah, even like the pod attendant at the London Eye, she was like, how do you guys know each other? And we were all kind of struggling to be like, oh yeah, we all build models and met each other online <laughs> earlier this year. And now we're, you know, here. <laughs> yeah, because we were talking and she was just like, oh, how long you, when she thought we were a couple. Um, I still tell people we are. Um, How long have you known each other? And I was just like, less than a year. I'm in London with a friend. I've known less than a year. It's weird, but it's amazing. Well, and I'd only hung out with you guys in person once, and that was Nationals. And, you know, all of our talk had been online up to that point. I think I remember thinking that this is... This is the the bright side of Facebook, that obviously there there are problems there, but... Facebook does have a good side to it and getting the, the, you know, not just, not just us in this little conversation here, but all the other guys, Graham and Luke and Spud and this whole community of people from all over, not just the UK, but the U S maybe Canada comes in as well. And, and we all know each other because of the Facebook groups. And so to that end, um, that was something good to come out of something that can cause some controversy occasionally. Yeah, for sure. And maybe this is a good point to end on before we, you know, do a round the room kind of wrap up. It's, you know, I, I would encourage our listeners, you know, if you're interested, you know, reach out. We're, we're more than happy. You know, these are experiences that need to be shared. If, you, if you're thinking of going alone, reach out to somebody that's either going to the show, posted about it. You'd be surprised how many great people there are out there that are willing to support you know, a trip of trip like this. Um, and, you know, I'm super excited for what next year holds, because I know that they're going to people part of our group that we don't even know right now. I think, you know, we'll find them in Texas. We'll meet them, whether they've engaged with us online through Facebook, listen to the podcast in any way, shape or form, we will meet them in Texas and we'll create that friendship. We'll probably meet them again next year at SMC. Cause I think that's one show that we're going to try to hit in the, in the Netherlands. And then hopefully this Telford experience was so great. I can't wait to go back again. So, you know, I encourage you, you know, if, if you're a listener and want to be involved and, 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 and join us for one of these crazy moments, um, you know, it's, it's cool. I, I think, you know, looking forward, you know, they have the band of brothers tour where you, you have a tour group and you go throughout, you know, Normandy, maybe we have a plastic posse type of event 
where, you know, it's not only the nationals, but the, but the periphery around it. So the museums, the history, the culture of said country or area, I think it'd be really cool, but that's a delusion of grandeur. We'll see if we can get there, but baby steps. Uh, so wrapping up, I'd love to go around the room. We'll start with Jackson. One takeaway from the show, final words uh, on the whole experience. It's going to be really hard to pick just one thing. Um, I know I said it on the on the pregame live stream, but uh, as expected, the people were amazing. Um, getting to meet a whole different country's worth of, of modelers and realizing how just hospitable they are and how grateful they are and just awesome. Like they were constantly making sure we were okay. And they're just amazing hosts. So getting to meet all those people, getting to meet Spud and Christian and all the others like Dan Broker, it was just a blast. Um, I think, like I said, at the show in the U S we have model shows, you know, it's focused on, on the models specifically on the vendors, stuff like that. Uh, and the social aspect is just kind of a side effect. I think Telford is set up in a way to where the social aspect is the the leading you know focus. I, I think Telford is much more of a celebration of the hobby than it is necessarily like a, a contest, a model show. So I think that was the probably coolest factor of it for me. Yeah, very well said, Ivan. What are your thoughts? I've got to kind of echo what Jackson said. The, the people, you guys, I'll fully admit, I, I cried on the train home. And not because I was on public transport, but because I was leaving you lot behind. I, I, the people are what make this hobby. Screw the plastic. It's, it's the people you meet and the people you spend the time with. For me, it's just like, don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it happened. And that's it. And Until next time, because next time is not that far away. And it will come quick. So for me, it's the people. The people make it. Yeah, very well said. John? And for me, Mal, so much the same. Um, When we look back on our lives, when we lay on that deathbed and we think about the things we would have done or should have done, we will not care if the landing gear were straight or it was the right tone of Dunku Gelp. No one cares. It's plastic. Who cares? It's the people you knew. It's the people you knew, the relationships you had. Those will be the things you regret not being able to do again. You get too old, too sick, too weak. You reach a point in your life where going to Telford is no longer really a possibility. I think many of us have parents or siblings that are in that position now. They can't do it anymore. So if you have a chance, and it doesn't have to be Telford, it can be your local show, but get out and be part of the social group. And that's what Telford does, I think, better. Uh, Jackson said that, Ivan said that. The social groups are really what Telford is about. And at the end of the day, it is far more important to have friends than to get rid of all the seam lines. That's my takeaway. 100%. And, you know, I'll, I'll just echo the same. You know, in addition to the people, I think one thing that I'll take away from the experience is it actually reminded me a lot of my dad. You know, he might have passed away several years ago, but one of the things growing up, we always talked about attending Telford together. But there were times in the hall where, you know, I had moments of just, just thinking about what my dad and I would have, you know, talked about what we've gone seen. You know, I had a chance to meet Adam Tooby, the artist for Airfix. I mean, those were emotional moments because of past memories and what I wish we could have had together. But again, experiencing it was truly special. And it was it was not, not only the objects on the table uh, that made it great, but more importantly, the people that brought them there and the people that, you know, we had an opportunity to connect with. That'll be lifelong friends. And I cannot wait till... Um, 
you know, the Nats where we repay favors and until we meet again in Telford. I mean, it's, uh, it's been rather incredible and also just incredibly humbling too. It's, it was, it was a wonderful experience meeting all of our listeners. I can't tell you how much, you know, Ivan and I truly appreciated you coming up and saying hi, it, it really makes everything worth it at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, your comments, your message, your friendship is incredibly important to us. And we thank you and we can't just can't wait to see you again. So, you know, with that, maybe I'll, I'll end the Telford segment for me and, and Scott, we, we really hope you're there next time. Uh, cause it's something that's a life, life-changing experience in all honesty. Yeah, absolutely. That makes uh, two of us, hopefully things work out. Can't wait to, you know, see it through my own eyes, but I want to thank you guys for allowing me to see it through your eyes, both in this forum, but also with all the great photos and the live streams that you did. And I think you guys just did a terrific job really highlighting, you know, the the a tremendous amount of fun things and good things that can come about because of this community. This is what the posse has been all about from day one. Anyway, thank you guys so much. And, uh, Thanks for allowing us all to see this through your eyes. What what a what an amazing experience. Yeah, and with that, we'll uh we'll conclude this special segment on Scale Model World Telford. It's now time for our next segment, where we were joined by two of the absolutely lovely co-hosts from Black Rifle Model Work IPMS community. Luke Carswell, Graham Pearson joined myself, Ivan, JB and Jackson for our discussion where we went from Telford to Bovington. Right, so it's an absolute pleasure to bring Luke and Graham into the chat, uh, both from the Black Rifle Model Works IPMS community group. It was great to have both of them at Scale Model World this year and, and the Tank Museum down in Bovington. Uh, I'm just going to turn the mic over to them to tell us a bit about themselves again for those who who aren't familiar with who they are. So, uh, Luke, go ahead. So, yeah, um, I live in the UK. I live in the Midlands of the UK. I am one of the admin team on the Black Rifle Model Works community group on Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel, of which Ivan is one of our admins as well. Um, and we ended up obviously meeting up with with the Johns and Jackson at IPMS, Scale Model World, and what a great time we had. Yeah, it was phenomenal. So yeah, that's who I am. It could get really boring, but I'll let Graham, I'll let Graham carry on now. Yeah, um, I'm co-admin co with Luke on the Black Rifle Model Works, on, on Luke's founder, founded Black Rifle Model Works community. You hear it when I say that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we were lucky enough to hook up with these guys for... Four amazing days in and around the uh, the various modelling-related beauty spots of the UK, and it was absolutely amazing. So I want to talk about what, in, what went into the preparation for Scale Model World for both of you, because it's like a whole year builds up to this massive event, and there was a lot of planning going into this event than, than usual years. Both of you, just just tell us about what went into the prep and organising stuff and what the plans were and and, and how you went about it. I think it kind of grew legs to, towards the end of the summer because the Facebook group only really started in the summer. And then as as we came to the end of the summer and it was kind of gaining a bit of momentum and then we knew we knew these guys were coming over from the States. Um, we'd spoken at length with you, Ivan, about what a great time you had at Nats and, and how you were hosted and how you were welcomed into that community. So... Very quickly, we we kind of decided as a, as a group for those of us that were going that we 
would try. I mean, it's very, it's very difficult in the UK to replicate what the US is like, um, but certainly try and host as best we could. Um, so things like transport, you know, making sure tables were booked for dinner for everyone and all that. So that sort of grew legs as, as, as it gained closer. On a personal level, I'd never entered the competition at Telford before. Um, so I didn't build anything specifically for the contest but what i did do is pick some things and then sort of took them apart put them back together rebase them and all that sort of stuff because i knew i was going to put them on the table so so that was my preparation really um just trying to make sure everything ran as smoothly as it could incorporating the trip to bobbington on the monday so yeah that was it yeah i'm i'm not normally um a telford weekender i tend to go down on the saturday it's about an hour and a half hour and 40 minutes drive from my house and I tend to go down on the Saturday, do the full day, come home and then go back again on the Sunday. I've never stayed over for a weekend. Um, I have issues with bars and pubs and stuff sometimes, as we found out on Saturday night. Um, but this year, everything sort of just seemed to fit right and it just seemed like a good thing to do. And as the time got closer, I started thinking, oh, maybe I could stay over on the Saturday night. And then I wasn't so sure. And then just out of random conversation, myself and Ivan had just had a chat one day in a hangout and sort of suggested that we could possibly later in the year have a trip to the Tank Museum, Bovington. And then a couple of days after that, Ivan mentioned that John and John and Jackson might want to go to the Tank Museum as well. And Luke said, I could do that on the Monday. And I thought, maybe I could too. And it just sort of ballooned from there. And before we knew it, this massive sort of, epic weekend was being planned and it just sort of all ran away and then I ended up taking four days off work instead of just two and staying over and all kinds of big brave big boy stuff it was just, it was just brilliant it, it, it I think this year was the biggest buzz I've had about going to Telford I've always been excited about going because it's great but I've never ever buzzed like I was this year about just the anticipation was just fantastic and um it proved well founded as well yeah a question for me I'd love to ask is you know you talk about that buzz the build-up of the buzz you know, when we got there Friday, it started to hit me like, when was that moment, you know, when you thought like, okay, it, it's real, we're here, this is happening, holy cow. And, and maybe Luke, I'll, I'll let you start with that. For me, so my my Telford started on the Thursday. Uh, and the reason for that was that uh, Mr. Al McNeish, who's one of our admins on the group, he lives right at the tip of Scotland at Lossiemouth. So it's a long way for him to come. By, by UK standards, it's not by US standards. Um, it's a long way for him to come. So he arrived at my house because I only live sort of 45 minutes from Telford. So he arrived sort of late afternoon on Thursday. And for me, that was the moment. That was like, okay, it's real now. This is happening. Yeah, and then it just went from there. We were out for dinner Thursday night, up early to meet these guys for breakfast Friday. And that the, Thursday was the day for me that I was like, okay, packing everything in the car. You know, and that, as you worded it last time, John, the, the hype was real and it, it was happening. So, yeah, that was the moment for me. Yeah, the um, uh, Thursday Thursday night, <laughs> uh, what I likened Thursday night to was um, going to bed the night before a holiday as a kid, get a vacation. I always used to get dead excited about that. And it was this buzz because I knew I was getting up early because I had to drive all the way to somebody's house to collect him and transport him around the country and the style he's become accustomed to. 
so I was leaving at like four o'clock in the morning, something daft like that to drive up to Ivan's house. So I was early to bed on the Thursday and I just, but I didn't sleep much really, to be honest. I was just stuff whizzing around in my head and then getting in the car in the dark in the morning and heading off up the road to Preston was just, that was it now. I was listening to, I think I was listening to a back episode of the Triple P um, on the way up and it was just, everything felt great. And it was just, yeah, we're doing it now. This is it. And then as soon as the little cherub jumped in the car beside me, <laughs> we were off. We were off. Uh, that's probably when it became real for Ivan as well, I bet. <laughs> yeah, it, it was weird because <clears throat> I was working so much beforehand. I didn't really have time to enjoy the buzz. because I, was, I think I was on like a nine-day run at work. So I was, I was more thinking, I can't wait for that to end than for Telford to begin. Uh, I was up really late the night before. Even Graham was like, you need to go to bed right now. I was like, I've not packed yet. Um, it t- turns out I overpack. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it were great. Graham turned up at like half seven, seven-ish. And yeah, we uh, met met Luke and Al at about nine, half nine-ish, about then, yeah. And uh, yeah. that moment of respite became, it's like, oh, it's all happening now. This is really cool. And uh, yeah, it was, it, it was literally nonstop from there. Like, it was just a big blur, a big buzz, because... There's never a moment of just relaxing to think about everything. So once Telford began, I say Telford, once Scale Mill World began on the Saturday, uh, you guys get in at nine o'clock. What's the first thing you thought? I know you've been there before, but what's the first thing you thought when you got into the venue again? Um, for me, it was before we actually got into the venue. So we obviously met you guys in the hotel for breakfast. The queue was what really sort of, um, I mean, I've been to every Scale Model World since 2016 was my first one and I've never seen the queue like that I've never seen it that that long <laughs> that's not wrong um but I, you know we were queuing and and the IPMS organizers was credit to them because what they were actually doing was going along the queue and dishing out wristbands to members prior to you actually getting to the door of the venue and that worked really well because once those doors open the queue moved very very quickly so that was like my first like yeah this is going to be awesome because it's busy yeah that was my first moment and then as soon as we were in there um yeah it's just kid in a sweet shop mentality (laughs) yeah so the queue was the first indication for me of what a great time it was going to be yeah i haven't been for a few years um and obviously uh, last year was a lot smaller than than usual. And it was out, walking back in at nine o'clock and hearing the buzz, even at nine o'clock, was that, yeah, this is it. It's on again this year. It's definitely going to happen. Because um, it could have been a total flop. But seeing the size of the queue, as Luke says, and then just getting in and hearing that this, this, this there's, it's a weird way to describe it. There's just a buzz in that hall, whether it's the acoustics in there or whatever, but there's something, it just sounds like Telford. It just sounds like the show. And that was like, yeah, we're here again and we're off. So yeah, that, that was the, that was it then. I knew it was, it was, it was game on and um, happy days. I, I don't know if you guys would agree. Uh, Cause you've been there a few times now. Telford, the, the, the venue and the show, it has a smell. And I, I mean, a good smell, not, some of the smells we smelled. Um, there's many it, smells around that <laughs> yeah, there's, it's got a sense. It's like you know where you, if you were if you were blindfolded, you'd know you were there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. it's got a whole. Is it a, is it an atmosphere about it or a feel to it? And and coming with that is the smell, the noise. That yeah, it, I don't think you can actually put it into words, but you know you're at Telford. It's yeah, and that was missing a little bit last year. That was missing a little bit last year, but this year it was back with a vengeance. It was great to see. 
Yeah, definitely. It's it, there's a. It, I know what you mean. I hadn't thought of it before, but yeah, it's like um, old cardboard and glue. There's just this fog about it. You ask a really interesting question, Ivan, and I think it's I think it's really important to talk about. And I'm curious to see how you feel at the IPMS Nationals because IPMS Nationals travels around every year, and it's a little different. It's got a different vibe. There's a different you know club hosting it, so it has their own personal flavor where. I'm curious the next time I go back to Telford to get that feeling that, you know, sight, sound, smell, all those sensories, sensory overload for that matter, and having it familiar from once, you know, from once before. So curious to see how you take it away from the IPMS Nats. Cause again, yeah, it's just, it's a little different in that regard. There, there was certainly a buzz, like you said. And maybe even though I haven't attended Telford before, I've watched enough videos and seen enough pictures to have a familiarity with the place. And that was, you know, proven right true as soon as I walked in the door, especially on Saturday. You know, the black walls, the, uh, you know, even down to kind of the, the SIG displays, how they orient the room, how they have the competition, like all those things were familiar to me because I'd seen them so long, you know, before. And, and the catwalk is another area you get up there and you see a sense of scale of the facility. Uh, and it really just speaks volumes to the, you know, the health of the hobby, the health of the show and, you know, how, how well it's ran. And and why people want to go because of that type of atmosphere that's created there. Absolutely. Yeah, I think when we um, when we uh, sneaked in on the Friday evening, um, that was that was interesting in itself. But um, as we were walking around and getting to sort of meet people that we hadn't seen for ages, and um, I remember standing talking to somebody at one of the one of the um, club tables, and then I looked round and I saw you three up on the gantry um doing a video or something and i could see ivan was getting all excited and it was just like yeah this is telford ivan's bouncing around in front of a camera so we're happy <laughs> it was it's all so familiar but i get what you mean about it moving to different venues where we know where the shops are we know where the car park is we know where everything is because we've just been there so many times um and i think that's i think it's a good thing it's, I mean, it is for the UK because, I mean, it could be anywhere and people are going to have to travel roughly the same distance. It's, you know, there's, it's not like America where it's a huge epic journey to get to somewhere. So I think having it in the same place every year is, a, is an ideal thing, to be honest, because everybody knows where everything is and it just works because it's been set up that many times. And little things that get sorted out every year, like the guys coming out and handing out wristbands and stuff. I think that's the first time they've ever done that. But it worked. I mean, I went to drop something in the car, turned around and the queue had gone. Everybody just went in. Yeah. Well, normally that would take sort of half an hour to clear the queue. It was fantastic. Yeah. I think from memory, that's the first time they have done that, um, where they've kind of gone along the line, dishing out wristbands and stuff. Um, and it works. So long way that continue. Yeah. I'd love to go back just to what you said, Grant, about the facility being familiar with the area as well. First time being there outsider, I will say that I think that the setup that the show has in terms of not only the venue, but the surrounding area is a modeler's paradise. You know, we stayed at the Premier Inn right up the road. It's a five minute walk. There's plenty of places to eat. It's clean. It's nice. There's a great atmosphere, even outside the hall. You know, we were walking down the street and running into people and chatting to them, you know, literally meeting them from Denmark or Israel at breakfast. So the whole setup, I, I implore listeners, you know, if you want to have a trip of a lifetime to a show that you'll never forget. I would put this on your calendar because it'll it'll deliver that not only at the venue but outside and you'll run into us and other people that are attending that show. So 
I'm sold to come back just for that, knowing that it's all right there. You don't have to drive anywhere. You don't have to worry about, you know, you park your car once or twice um, and you're there for, you know, 48 hours of, of pure modeling nirvana. It's interesting to, to get your view on it because obviously you have, you don't know the venue, you don't know the area. Um, and I, I think you're absolutely right that whoever picked that venue originally uh, has picked it to be exactly what you said it's in exactly the right place it's it's in the middle of the country so everyone's journey time is roughly the same um plenty of hospitality type places around it you know and the whole of the town center really i think for the weekend it was all scale model world every pub every restaurant you know there were big groups at tables uh, and and they're all modelers they're all there for the show um and i think i think it might have been jackson that said it um and he said it's like a celebration of modeling um and i I think that's a really good way of describing what it is uh, and certainly what it was this year for sure yes uh, the location of it i don't remember it being like that my first visit so it's become such a good social hub for everything um and i do think we need to give a, a shout out to premier in for the breakfast that was really good um, I know everyone really enjoyed that. So, breakfast. Oh, great breakfast. I do want to talk about bringing your models to the shows. And I know, Graham, you didn't this year and you will be next year because we're making you. Um, but how did you you guys all, all manage that and, and deal with the transportation of, I don't know, Luke, you brought a really big model. So, transporting things like that, really risky. How do you, how do you go about doing that? And, John, you flew 13 over, I think. So, yeah, just tell us about, about that. Um, carefully. <laughs> the only way. I mean, yeah, I have moved. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm at. I play 40k, so I move stuff all the time. But it doesn't matter as much if you get to the gaming center and, and the arms falling off your dreadnought, or whatever. Um, is what it is. Glued back on. But when you when you're taking stuff to go on a competition table, there's certainly an anxiety attached to that moving that stuff around. And thankfully, there were no no mishaps. But I did have a first aid kit with me, with with three different types of glue, tweezers, scalpel blades, the whole lot in there. But considering that I travelled forty five minutes, and these guys flew across the Atlantic with their models, I think I think I haven't got anything to complain about, to be honest. So yeah, carefully would be the way I would describe it. Yeah, along the same lines, just very carefully, and I've I hit on this a little bit in our in our segment in this episode. Actually, you know, very straightforward for me, following Jackson's kind of uh, approach too. You know, armor I think is lends itself to a lot easier transportation than aircraft. I don't envy someone that's bringing a large, delicate aircraft. Uh, armor are essentially small boxes that you can put into a larger box. And I was fortunate enough to, yeah, I think I did cram thirteen, and then I bought I brought. Dan Brooker's M4 improvised back as well. So essentially I had two carry-ons full of models, but all survived. I have them out on the desk next to me, no issues, which is great. Actually one little thing, but it actually happened on the way there, just, you know, minor mishap, but easily fixed. And I think the important thing is just uh, going through TSA, again, all goes back to respect. You're nice to them. They're nice to you. If they're, if they're inquisitive, be, you know, open about it. Oh yeah, I have models in here. Would you like to look? And it's, it's a very straightforward process. Some of the most stressful times are not really through TSA, but as I mentioned before in this segment, it's like transitioning from you know the aisle of the seat, uh, aisle of the aircraft into your seat. 
but then also surviving the London tube with them as well. So that was a, that was quite a journey, especially on the day I was leaving. I wake up and I'm like, okay, the weather, uh, the weather channel says it's going to be nice tomorrow. So I'm, I'm good. And then I wake up and it's pouring down rain. I'm like, well, let's see how this goes. So, you know, walked a good couple hundred yards to the tube station, got drenching wet, box was covered in water. Um, but again, no issues, you know, and let's be honest, if there were issues, it's not a big deal anyway, but, um, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty straightforward, pretty easy. I, I do, I do think it was funny when we were pulling in on Friday, I think Ivan thought half of his stuff wasn't there. So that was a minor moment of panic for Ivan. And it was, uh, it was pretty funny to see him, uh, his, his bleach white face go, Oh my gosh. <laughs> Where's my cardboard box? Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> I must have it. I haven't bought it with me. Relax, it's there. Everything that you brought is here, so just calm down. (laughs) Although I didn't bring anything myself, I did arrive at Ivan's house, and Ivan doesn't travel light. (laughs) Just no. It's never an easy. It's never an easy packing packing um, uh, task when Ivan's around. So he turned up on the doorstep with like box after box and I've just got one more to get and so I was loading all these into the back of my car and then he presents this um exquisitely finished um Tomcat in an open box held in with a couple of cocktail sticks and I thought we've got 200 miles to go with this I'm not all that confident so it ended up sitting on the back seat of the car so I was very aware of it and all the way down I was nice and steady there was no heavy braking if I came up to a roundabout that was a bit steep I was just giving him a warning he was just putting his hand back to steady it and it was all good and then we met Luke and Al for breakfast and as we pulled out of the um the the, the pub restaurant that we'd stopped at to then head to scale model world I was quite no head to Cosford sorry I was quite excited and there was a gap in the traffic and I went for it rather quickly. <laughs> and there was this clunk came from the back seat and I just went, oh, no, sorry, mate. Luckily, there was no damage, but no, it's all good. Yeah, the, the F-14 went skidding across the back seat and hit the door. <laughs> like, Oops, sorry. That's, yeah. a, that's a good point. You've reminded me. I need to go back in time. We all went to Cosford. We did. And- we, I, I think we've all been there quite a few times, and it's it's still a really impressive museum. Yeah, it is. It is. I will say we all went. Uh, John didn't make it. No, they were in traffic coming yeah. from London. Um, they took, they took no, the zigzag. There was a, a large posse of us went to... Uh, see what I did there? Went to yeah. Cosford. Um, yeah, that, that was... Because that, that was the weekend coming together, wasn't it? Because the people we were going to spend the weekend with were all sort of arriving in drips and drabs as they travelled down. And they were waiting for John and Jackson and, and John to arrive. And it was that, that was that was all part of the anticipation because every half hour there was somebody else turning up. And it is a really good museum. It really is good. It's the first time I've been for a long time without the model show there as well. Mm. Um and it just with the yeah with the model show there it's always good but it's nice to not have all the tables in the way so you can get up close and personal to a lot more of the the exhibits but yeah cracking place yeah and it's the first time I've been to Cosford I've been many times but it's the first time I've been with people who share that kind of genuine deep seated interest in the subject matter um, and a couple of the people that are with us Al McNeish Ben. Like their knowledge about these aircraft is phenomenal. And I learned so much. I mean, I'm not really an aircraft guy, but I learned so much 
because you're walking around with these people that, you know, they know these aircraft inside out. You know, yeah, it was such a great time. I, I learned loads, learned loads. I have to give a shout out for Ben, actually. I mean, I know Al knows his stuff, but Ben just came out of nowhere and it was so casual. All this stuff that he was saying was just so off the cuff, like just spilling out. And he just didn't seem phased that he was just expunging all this like wonderful in-depth knowledge of this stuff that he had. And I just, where did this come from? But it was fantastic. Like you say, I, I learned so much. It was brilliant. Um, and I, I also learned, I also learned that that big helicopter is not Russian, but there you go. Oh, you know what I was just about to mention? I, I we can't, we <laughs> can't forget your, <laughs> yeah, we can't forget your knowledge of the Sikorsky Pavlo Russian helicopter. <laughs> so to, to explain I that. it was a hind. As Graham said, throughout the sort of afternoon, really, people were arriving in sort of dribs and drabs. And Cosford's quite a big place. So they, they were putting our group chat, you know, where you guys are or whatever. And, and we give them a location next to an aircraft and they kind of find where we were. Um, and one of the, one of the guys took a message and said, where are you guys? And Graham was like, we're by the hind. There's no hind at Cosford. We were still next to Pablo. <laughs> That's where that comes from. That's a great story. (laughs) Classic mix-up. It's all the learning curve for me. Mm. Yeah, Cotsford's a great museum. I had the opportunity to go about, oh gosh, 17 years ago now. Um, But they had opened the new section, I think right around that time where they had the Valiant and the Victor. And Mm. I think they have all three V-bombers in there, painted in anti-flash white. I know there's at least a Valiant. So it's a a gorgeous museum. I love how the lightning's going full vertical Mm. and... Yeah. I'm a big fan of the TSR too. So I, I enjoy seeing that whenever I can. And I know they have, I think they have one of the earliest Mark Spitfires too. And I remember talking to the docent when we were there and they leave the canopy open because of the radon coming from the, uh, from the gauges to let it vent. Um, so just a really great museum and seeing the, what is an ME 410, I think is there too. Yeah. Massive aircraft and you know, just, just really, really cool. Just again, a well-run museum. I will give the British a lot of credit. Your museums are a lot better than ours. I think, um, you know, even at the smaller level, they're, they're really good and tell a a really good story and always impressed with it. Well, I've no complaints over wings over Rockies. That's a very well-run museum. Well, you have to come back. You're going to be a resident, so you can be a docent there. Yeah. I was about to say, I'm I'm, I'm back in nine months. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, it's, I, I do miss, uh, you know, sad that it, we didn't get to go to Cosford, but didn't matter. Uh, it was a minor, uh, I wouldn't even say a minor blip. It wasn't even a blip. We were having a good time with John Bryan in his car and got a, got a chance to meet you all in the uh, lobby of the premier in kind of sensory overload. It's one of those moments where, you know, you think back and there's sometimes you just don't remember it happening. You know, it could be, you know, it could be even meeting your wife for crying out loud or meeting a really close friend where it's really tough to remember that first time because there was so much going on. It was like exciting. It was sensory overload. Everybody, at least for us, like, I feel like I met six or seven people in that lobby or, you know, saw people that Ivan, John, like just boom, 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 boom. And, you know, there, a lot happened in that, in that space in about 10 minutes. That's all just purely a blur, but I know that it teed up you know, a great discussion and a, and a great friendship that'll last a lifetime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Don't you think that sometimes when this, these things happen, that as we've mentioned before, we're all spread out all, all over the, well, all over the world, really. And I mean, we've never met before. I know you and Ivan have, have, have spent some time together once in the past, but all these people that come together that live in, live in different lives, different worlds, and then 
only know each other through social media and sticking plastic together, but there's never any awkwardness when we meet for the first time. It's just like, just like you've been friends for years and the conversation's flowing and within seconds, everybody's relaxed and chilled out. There's no uncomfortable, awkward sort of feet shuffling introductions or anything. It's just straight into the friendship. It's brilliant. It's amazing. Yeah. And I'll, I'll second that. I mean, I'll be honest. So I've been Graham. I've known them for years, but meeting you guys. So I've listened to the triple P for a long time, but I'll, I'll be completely honest. I had a little bit of, I don't know whether nervousness is the right word, because in my head, like you guys on the Triple P are like top of your game. And then all of a sudden there's me <laughs> turning up at the Premier Inn in Telford. And I'm like, this could be a bit awkward. But as soon as we walked through that door into that lobby, all those feelings just disappeared straight away it was like we'd known each other for years and years and years and that was the sort of thing we did every weekend you know there was no awkwardness the conversation flowed straight away even though we're in the lobby of a hotel people are trying to check in we managed to pick a hotel that you couldn't drive to and Nisha was like in a taxi rank (laughs) but yeah all those feelings disappeared straight away and it was yeah fantastic time I want to talk about the competition not actually entering it, just what you thought of it and the general standard of it, because it was it was big. It was it was bigger than I thought it was going to be. What did you think of the actual overall competition, how it's run, the standard, the layout, the lighting, just everything about it? As a, a non-entering person, as purely spectator of the competition, I think I paid a lot more attention to it this year than I have done previously. But the standard was absolutely top draw, right the way across the board, I think. Um, I mean, some of the categories... I mean, yours, for example, your um, your desolate. I, I, honestly, but then you look at that whole table, and it was just amazing. And the one that took gold, just to pip you. I mean, we Luke and I looked and just went, "Well, n- now it's going to beat that," because it was just incredible. But yeah. the standard was so high; it was amazing. And I mean, you know, I, you know, applaud it to you there because I mean, to to take a silver off that was just amazing because everything was just top dollar on that table. It was fantastic. But I think right across, and I mean, you know, Luke's all all place well as well. Just how, I don't know, because everything else was just so awesome, to be quite frank. It was, there was a really high standard this year, I thought. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, really. I think the, the standard across all categories seemed to have elevated, if that's the right word. It, you know, in previous years, you've looked around and maybe there'd be I don't know, four or five, six maybe bills that really kind of stood out, catch your eyes as you're walking around that competition area. This year, almost every build, you know, you, you're like, wow, that's incredible. Um, I certainly didn't envy the judges having to pick, you know, it, it was phenomenal. The lighting, I think, and I may get shut down by others, so when the competition has been in the, in the mezzanine, which is above the venue, um, the lighting has always been an issue in there. I think in that in that mezzanine in the hall. I mean, you're never gonna unless you sort of bespoke fit lighting for the competition area. You're never gonna get perfect lighting in the venue. You you're just not. But I think the lighting works much better where it is in the hall than it than it ever did in, in the old mezzanine area. And yeah, it was massive. There was a lot of entries there. A lot of entries. I spent a lot of time in there. Like Grand Shot, I was paying a lot of attention to it this year, um, which I haven't in previous years really. Um, which is my own fault. So I should have, because people are taking the time to to build stuff and put it on the table. But yeah, the standard was incredible. It really was. Yeah, I'll echo those comments. You know, I've I've heard a lot about Telford. 
good and bad, I guess you could say. But I'll be honest, the the work on the table, it, it would look it wouldn't look out of place at the IPMS Nationals. It even exceeded it in some cases. You know, it's it's really crazy how good this stuff was and particularly the aircraft. I mean, anything on that table could easily come to the IPMS Nationals and compete. There were some aircraft there that the ones that I love the most were the category. I don't know if they were grouped together or not. They essentially open panel aircraft. Those were unbelievable. There was a I think it was a MiG-21. It was in Middle Eastern markings that stuck out to me as a gorgeous air, you know, just really well executed. There was an F-16 as well that I I thought it was amazing. You know, all you know, it had multiple panels open to see the avionics and you know all the wiring and and support structure within the fuselage and, and wings. I just really, really well done, really well presented. And and it was like that, like you said, in every category, the figures stuck out. There were some there that they looked lifelike. I took a picture of one of them. It stood out as just purely, it looked, it looked real. I don't know what the person's name was. I think it was a World War I British officer. Um, just absolutely fantastic work up and down the sci-fi ships, aircraft armor, the Lancaster that we, you know, we got to meet the builder, Carl, super nice gentleman. Again, a stunning piece. It was big. It was well executed. Honestly, it could sit in a museum for crying out loud because it was that good. And, you know, I would love to see some of that work make it across the pond to America. I think, you know, a lot of stuff there wouldn't be out of place at the IPMS Nationals and, and would help out the show, bring in, you know, diverse subjects, diverse people, and just really spread the love of the hobby. I Nothing bad to say about the competition whatsoever, only good stuff. And and the modelers, they have a lot to be proud of for what they brought. I mean, I took I took a lot of pictures of the competition hall. I wish I could have taken more. Um, it was constantly buzzing with people. And I'll also note, I really enjoyed that they make you take your backpack off because there's no need to have a disaster. Yeah, there's been enough of them um, at, at past shows. I think strict rules came in place and it, it works. Um, last thing you want is someone's model getting but someone's model or an entire table of models getting swiped off a, off a table. Yeah. yeah. So we've gone to the competition, but I want to know what you guys bought at the traders. Well, not much uh, as it goes. Certainly yeah. not as you. Oh, Carrying no. all his stuff. <laughs> Looking over my shoulder where the purchases are. <laughs> but, What's uh, mine is yours. No, 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 no. But the majority of the purchases I made were prior to Telford. So when we met at Cosford, and we're in the car park, like swapping kits and, and all that stuff. So that was the majority of the big stuff I bought. Traders-wise at the show, um, I bought some consumables. I bought some paint masks and that sort of stuff. But actual big purchases, I didn't really make any other than a map kit um, because we, we found a particular trader that was selling those at crazy cheap prices. So you'd be a full Nazi, really. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was it for me. Um, yeah, I didn't make any real massive purchases. No, me neither. Um, yeah, a few kit swaps in the uh, in the car park. I'd bought a kit off of Adam, um, who brought that down to Cosford, um, it's a Larry Wessex. And then at the show, literally all I bought was some Infinity Sanders and a couple of VMS products, and that was it. I didn't buy anything else that wasn't, there's nothing that I needed. There was no need for me to buy anything. I was just there for the good time, basically. Didn't need anything this year. I had willpower, Ivan. Now, Ivan, what did you buy at the show? <laughs> I think it's right. <laughs> I I didn't actually buy much. It just happens to be that what I bought was rather large. 
Um, a lot of it was swaps. <laughs> Turns around and looks at the pile behind him. <laughs> yeah. oh, to be fair. Right. The things I actually bought: one sixteenth Sherman, one sixteenth utility truck, two Rubicon LVTs, a Mac kit, a Tasker M4. And I think when it comes to purchases, that's actually it. Yeah, and one small green hold all to put it all in. That was filled with my beauty products. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was the best smelling guy at the show. <laughs> Bar wasn't set very either, was it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. He, uh, yeah. You know, what was great, I, we talked about it earlier, was uh, checking out of the hotel and he's like, well, this pillow bag's mine now. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. <laughs> so, the spur pillows are usually on the wardrobe. They come in a Ziploc bag. I really needed a bag, so that bag became mine. The problem is it exploded in Weymouth, and all my stuff was just all over the floor. Everyone's going to hear this story twice now, but it's hilarious. It, it was helpful. It was just overloaded. It's designed for pillows, not Octo jigs and gin. And don't forget, you bought, you bought VMS as well. Yes. Yes, I did. And then did you get any groundwork stuff? Because that was the one thing I enjoyed is all the uh, all the all the stuff for groundwork for dioramas. No, the, the terrain a stuff. Lot of, a lot of great traders there selling that mini nature stuff and also and I didn't buy any of it. The only thing I got for ground is VMS Smart Mud, which is like mm-hmm. slightly damp cake. Do not eat it. Uh, but no, I didn't didn't get anything for diorama. And I really should have because the, the selection there was like the best I've ever seen at any show. Yeah. I mean, the, there was a lot of that stuff there, um, and I probably should have bought some. Um, but I was put on, I think you guys went there whilst you were in London. Um, Martin Drayton pointed me in the direction of 4D, um, and I've been looking at their stuff, and to be honest, that's going to be my go-to for, for that sort of stuff. It's a phenomenal company and a, a phenomenal website, and you guys are lucky enough to go to the store in London, so... Yeah, that's definitely on my list of a place to visit for sure. Yeah, Jackson hit that up while uh, while he was there a little bit after we had left, and the photographs there look really great. It's just a quaint little shop too, you know, seeing where it's located and everything that they provide. The trees they do are exquisite. I mean, I I would love to have been able to buy a couple because that's always the hardest thing. So yeah, um, I I echo your comments, Luke. Yeah, and yeah, they they they've got guides on their website, and they give you basically like a shopping list of all the products they use to. So you can either buy the tree pre-made or mm-hmm. you can sell to your own spec depending on what you're using it for. So yeah, um, but yeah, there was a lot of groundwork stuff there. I should have bought some really. Yeah, what you know what I appreciated about the traders too. I thought everyone at the at the hall took card. There there wasn't many. Uh, you know, it was it was a preference towards card and. I always like that because plastic doesn't take up a lot of room. It's always easy to give a swipe or a tap. So that was a, uh, that was beneficial. And just, just the diversity of products too. I mean, I bought Adam Tooby's artwork. I bought terrain material. I bought paint. I bought mud. That's like cake. So just a plethora of stuff. The one thing I do regret not buying was uh, the new Comet. I think that was the one thing that stuck out as something that I should have bought. It was 45 pounds, which I think is a pretty good deal for that kit. Marcus Nichols was kind enough to show us his and it was, it sold me right there. You know, I wasn't that hot about the kit, but seeing it in person, seeing how he executed on it, I was like, this is, this is really, really well done. I've just started listening to the latest drop 
of the Triple P because I'm a um, what a deputy deputy sheriff, am I? Something like yeah, that. So you're I get a Patreon it, I get supporter, it, yeah. I get it every get it early, yeah. Support the Triple P on Patreon, people. Um, <laughs> and uh, Jim, who's on there this week, is um, singing loudly about the comet and how good he says the kit is. It does look very pretty. Yeah, mine mine arrived this morning. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, and it does look it does look really nice. It's, it's, nice. Tell me, it's it's going to be a good kit, and it, it can't not be a good kit. I won't be building it for a while, but I've got it. <laughs> so, with purchases out of the way, um, not that you bought much, were there any standout SIGs or clubs that really, really got your yeah. attention? <laughs> we all we, we we've all said the same one. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. I think for clubs and SIGs. To, to just make the effort to to put on a display, you know, hats off to all of them, really, for, for taking the time. It's not an easy thing to organise, to get everything there and, and everything else. We've talked about transporting models and how problematic that can be at times. But for me, without a shadow of a doubt, the table of the show was four corners. Like, that stuff, there wasn't, there wasn't a bad build on there. They were all... In my mind, and it's my it's my wheelhouse anyway. It's armor, it's diorama, it's it's all of the stuff that I love, and it's every single build there was exquisite. Mm. It really was, and and the way it was presented, it was so uniform in its presentation, and it just drew you to it. It, yeah. it was like the magnet of the show for me. I kept going back because there's so much going on on that display that you go back the third, fourth, fifth time. And see stuff that you've missed. You know, it was just phenomenal the way they did it. And it, we're we're going to have a stand next year at Scale Model World. And and for me, it was it was it was really inspirational to see how it can be done and done so well. Not that the standard of the bills would be the same, but just the way it was done, mm. very clean. You know, it was just yeah, it was exquisite. Really, the experience going to their table. Yeah, and, and every single person behind their stand was more than happy to to engage with people you know there was no smoke and mirrors they tell you exactly how they did stuff it was just yeah it was a real good experience to to go to their stand which is why i kept going back to it yes it was it was it was really it was an amazing table um the other one that stood out for me and maybe it's just because i'm a little bit um sort of on that perspective trail at the minute was the tornado sig i thought there was some cracking models on there really good because i was half thinking about building a tornado before i got there and then i saw a good few of the builds on there and they, there was some crackers on there really good i mean a lot of the a lot of the sigs were good to be honest but that tornado one just stood out for me and it, and again all of the guys and girls on the tornado sig are more than happy to to engage with you and talk about the kits and you know don't follow the instructions and how to build the kits whether it be a 48th or 32nd whatever I built the GR1 last year. I bought it at Telford last year. You know, I made sort of a beeline for the Tornado SIG to say, right, how do I put this thing together? Because, you know, it's not the best of kits. And they couldn't be more helpful. They couldn't be more helpful. Um, And throughout the build, I was in conversation with a lot of the people from that SIG um, and sending them pictures. And they're like, no, don't do it like that. Do it like this. Yeah, really helpful. Yeah, and I'd just echo that for all the other SIGs. You know, some of them certainly stood out to me, and I, I talked about it earlier in the segment. But but it's universal. Everyone at every SIG was very open, very, you know, like you said, no smoke and mirrors, here to have a great time. And, and those conversations were both around the technique. So, 
you know, four corners was a great place to learn. Like this is master class. How do you, how do you achieve that? Where other SIGs focused on, you know, as you mentioned the tornado. So discussing the kit itself, understanding the problem areas, understanding, you know, what to look out for, what's great, what's not, where can you find decals for it? I was in another SIG that talked about, you know, the, U- the U.S. Air Force SIG, you know, they discussed a lot around, you know, what aircraft the Air Force flies and displaying those. And the one SIG that I, I also mentioned earlier is the aerobatics team. They, you know, highlight a demo team, their history, the aircraft they've flown and help tell that story, you know, through scale modeling. And I think that's something that's super unique to scale model world that you can't find anywhere else. And it kind of hits all those major things that we love as modelers, the history of the actual vehicle, the kit itself and how to build and, you know, accomplish something great and put it on the table. And then also, you know, the techniques to support building that kit and putting it on the table. So there's a conversation for everyone that enters that hall. So if you have an itch, you can certainly scratch it and spend a lot of money too. Certainly. <laughs> so for you two, what what was the highlight for just scale model world, not the entire week of just scale model, what was the highlight for you two? Um, I mean, the show itself was phenomenal. The the work and, and just the, the interaction, be, as we talked about, between the SIGs and the clubs and everything else. But without a shadow of that, the highlight for me were, was hanging out with you guys. It That made the show. And without doubt, the best Telford experience I've had and the best experience in the hobby, I think, that I've had to date is to just hang with like-minded people. And the conversation didn't always surround the hobby. You know, we were talking about everything across the board and it it just, it was just so natural. It was so flowing. As I said, you know, from the moment we met in the hotel lobby, it's like we're old friends. And it, and it was an absolute pleasure just to spend the weekend with with everyone reading. Um, so that, that was the highlight for me. I've been on a bit of a downer this week to be honest, <laughs> because I was just like, oh, real life sucks. <laughs> I want to go back to scale model world and do that all the time. But yeah, that was- I would echo that. Um, but something that's kind of, I'm quite passionate about, and I've, I've, I've sort of harped on about quite a lot, certainly recently, um, stand out for me, and this is going to come as a, as a shock to some people when I say this, but was ethics. I am gobsmacked Green. at how much of a change, sea change, that company seems to be making. Um, that Spitfire looks absolutely tremendous. The Anson is beautiful. The moulding on that is exquisite. Um, I know somebody who does some work for ethics and he was singing the praises of the new starter kits that they're putting out, the little 172nd starter kits, which for a long time now, I've said that FX need to up the game on that because there are people going out and buying starter kits because they hear the brand Airfix, they want to try a model, they're buying starter kits, they're made from 1960s knackered moulds, they don't fit. That's no introduction to the hobby. And Airfix need to take responsibility for that as a brand. And they seem like they've done it with this new range of kits they're putting out. From all all I can from all the chatter that I heard around the show, that looks like they've done it. And that was, you know, as much as all these fantastic builds that I saw, I think my passion is bringing new people into the hobby and the Airfix are the ones that's going to do that. And it looks like they're actually going to do it. I'm well chuffed to see all that happening. Yeah. I'll, I'll double down on that, Graham. I thought their, their stand, their presentation, high marks. 
absolute first rate, first class operation. You mentioned the Spitfire. Ivan and I walk up to it. First off, I didn't think the Spit was that big. And I got confused with Ivan. We thought it was a Tamiya kit sitting on there because it was that crisp. It looked that good. And then when we went and looked at the Anson up close, I'm telling you, Tamiya quality. It looked, if it looks, if it assembles half as good as it looks on the sprue, Modelers are in for a treat because the way they did the the fabric on the wings, the 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 texture of the rivets, the the big you know greenhouse canopy. I thought the models that were very well built, you know, just really told that story. The yellow one was fantastic. Yeah, you you know a company's done well when it convinces armor builders to build an Avro Anson. It's, it's not the type of aircraft you draw people in with. It's a very obscure sort of aircraft. It's not a Spitfire. It's not a Hurricane. It's not It's not a 109. And they've give it so much love and attention. Like, I, that was... Everyone was crowded around it. We, we spoke to the designer for uh, God, God knows how long, and you can see just how much love and attention has gone into the production of that kit. And, yeah, it's... it's it was like standout. I know the kit was already out at that point, but the standout release from the show, because it looked astonishing. Yeah, and I, I think with Airfix, it's such a, particularly in the UK, it's such a synonymous brand. You know, Airfix is British. It, it is. And we all want Airfix to do well. And we, we want them to leap, you know, into the 21st century and be producing top quality kits. And... Fingers crossed from what we saw that weekend, it seems like they're they're really up their game and long may that continue. And yeah, I'll be building that new Spitfire and I'll be building the Anson as well. Yeah, I take that back. One of the other regrets from the show, not buying an Anson because they were there and I should have got one. Again, the displayed airfix. It was going back and even seeing Adam Tooby there and he had the box art in print that you could buy. I mean, it told the whole story. And and like you had mentioned, Graham, people are going to get into this hobby and airfix is going to be that conduit. And the way they're doing it right now, it's uh, it's knocking it out of the park. And uh, major kudos to their professional marketing team there as well. Every person we talked to, extremely respectful, extremely passionate about their work, the work of Airfix. They really created a, a great atmosphere, a great vibe around their product, their brand, and certainly told the story of it at the show. And I and I also got to thank them. You know, they don't have to go to scale model world. And, and the same goes for manufacturers that come to the IPMS nationals. I am grateful that they choose IPMS events to be their conduit to the market, to be that launching place for a new product, to tell the story, to show people what they're going to have coming out. It's just, it's just great. And I, I think it really shows the strong relationship between the society and manufacturers. And, and again, a huge thank you to them for, for that, because it, 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 again, it adds to the experience. Telford Scale Model World, I will always share You know, one of the best stands there, Airfix, got to go see it. It's a stop. And it was really great seeing all their kits there too, you know, the lineage of, you know, the smaller scale older kits and what they've gone. And you can even see the progression and evolution of their design quality and, and just, you know, again, overall kit being, being what it is today. And the Anson is probably the the pinnacle of that right now, maybe. I would agree. Here's a borderline controversial question. Was there anything from scale model world you would like to improve on this year? I'll answer that. Hey. <laughs> the show itself phenomenally well run. IPMS do a great job running the show. The issue comes between the venue security and the IPMS marshals because they don't seem to communicate with each other. 
um, and, and that was proven on the Friday. So for those that don't know, Friday afternoon from four, so from 4 p.m. Friday afternoon, if you're entering the competition, you can take your entries into the venue on the Friday afternoon and put them on the table so that basically you can empty your car um, and all that sort of stuff. So we did that. So we spoke to security, the venue security, and they went, yeah, you need this entrance. So we take all the carefully packed models out of the car, walk across, and then IPMS are at the door and say, no, it's not this entrance, it's the other one, which is like halfway around the building. So just that communication between the venue security and the IPMS marshals would solve every single issue for, for people that need access. Yeah, other than that, no issues at all, really. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Uh, I, I think it was Saturday morning we had an issue. We had our wristbands on, we had our media passes, but it was the, the venue staff who said, no, you've, you've got to join the back of the line now. It's like, no, <laughs> not doing that. And yeah, it's only when we actually got to the front, the actual IPMS uh, Marshall's was like, yep, go go straight on in. So like you say, it's just that little bit of communication, but apart from that, couldn't fault it. I'm trying to, I'm really trying to think. And it's it's those little things that you just mentioned, Luke and Ivan. And and as you mentioned, it's it's a minor blip on the radar. If we gotta pick something, we'll pick this because you know it is an area of opportunity. That said, I mean, it was a clean facility. I mean, the bathrooms were even clean. They were, you know, the food and the drinks available on site there. What I appreciated was the ample seating in the one hall where you could sit at a table with people. There was a bar there for crying out loud. Like in America, we don't get that. So to grab a drink in the same room as traders and the, the SIG groups, it was like, where, can, can I stay longer? Can we, can we extend this? Can this be like a Disney World experience where it just kind of goes on? So really it's, yeah, it's just that they, they did a lot well. They probably did a thousand, a thousand things right. And that one little thing we just mentioned, you know, one thing I would love to see the show, you know, evolve and, and certainly something that maybe we can even offer help in regard is, you know, seminars. I, I think it's really interesting to see the IPMS nationals, you know, there's, there's three, there's, you know, big three things, you know, contest uh, vendors and then seminars. Those all play a large role in the, in the convention experience in the U S and coming to the UK, it's a little different, but they had, they had some seminars and I think that would be a great opportunity for them to grow that aspect of the show. I could certainly see them being popular and also increase the value of attending the show as well. And I just backtrack a little bit because I've just realized that I've forgotten to ask the question going back to the positives. So what was your take on the um, uh, 11 o'clock Sunday morning silence? Very moving. We we talk about this in another portion of the episode, and I'm really glad you brought it up. You know, as an American, as someone that's, we don't experience that. You know, the closest we get potentially is, you know, the plane of taps on Memorial Day. But that in the hall with that many people standing in silence, in respect, you could feel it in the room. It was an experience unlike any other. And I'm super yeah. grateful to have experienced it. I think it's very unique. It's very special. And it's very honorable. And it's it's really I'm glad IPMS UK does that. It's it's yeah. a it's a proper nod to uh to the significance of that of that ceremony. And I I was I was I was honored to be a part of it. And yeah, it's um, it's an amazing experience. And I think we're looking at what four thousand people probably in that venue at that easily. time. And literally yep. off silence. And I think there was one, maybe two mobile phones went off. Yeah. But other than that, it's just 
of two minutes of just silence and 4,000 people getting them to shut up. You, it's tough. You, you, you can't do that anywhere. <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean? If you're standing at the front of a convention center trying to deliver a TED talk, you can't keep 4,000 people quiet. Yeah. And that is just, it's an amazing experience and it always gets me right in the fields. Well, yeah. And, and that's it. I mean, to be honest, if you, I was moved during that moment, you know, even yeah. talking about it now, you get, you get this, you get a little choked up and you kind of, it really puts into perspective a lot of things and it's special. Mm. No, it's, 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 it's weird. It's like, cause it's like, everyone knows the time. There's no, there's no one saying, right. Silence in five minutes. Or we're <laughs> doing the didn't. silence now. <laughs> ben was running off to go and see somebody. <laughs> of course he wasn't. <laughs> okay. Everyone apart from Ben knew. <laughs> um, and it's weird. Like everyone says hustle and bustle, then boom. Yeah. Nothing. Um, it's, yeah, it's a special moment, and I'm, I'm really glad it happens every year to experience it. Yeah, and I think, you know, the hobby, we spend a lot of time researching these vehicles, researching these aircraft. You know, the hobby is predominantly military. It is. There's no two ways about that. Certainly from first, probably more so the Second World War. Um, and we spend all this time researching these vehicles and what tracks were on this particular tank. And, and I think sometimes, even as a veteran, it is easy to kind of forget the sacrifice and, and how bad it was. And I think that moment at Telford, I think there is, there's an ingrained respect in, in pretty much every modeler that's there because they have that vested interest in in the subject and it's a phenomenal thing to see that many people just stopping and they stopped before 11 it was about 5 to 11 and you could hear the volume in the halls coming down and everyone started to slow down a little bit and start to look up towards the the gantry because they knew that's where the bugle was going to be and that's where the parade was and yeah it, it is an amazing thing so with Telford winding down we then head to Bovington we don't talk about Packing, we're not talking about that. Once we're already, we on are the road, talking about packing. So, You're not so, getting off that so, one. No, 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 no. We are, we are already on the road. <laughs> no, no. And you no. guys hit traffic. No, what we're talking about here is standing outside a hotel with a pile of kit boxes in the on the pavement. <laughs> the problem, right? What we've established was I was not the problem. The problem was Ben saying, "It's not going to fit in there. It's not going to budge," and it's like. This is what happens when you let civilians pack cars. Yeah. You and Luke come over and boot less than 30 seconds, cars packed for on the road. Yeah. I I think at that point, Ben had kind of lost the will to live. And he was just like, it's not going in. It is Ben, there's loads of room in there. As I was the point, he's that adamant. I'm going to buy an Uber. It's 268 quid, but I'll buy an Uber. For everyone listening, at the point we're stood outside the hotel with kit boxes and products and all over the pavement because Benny's adamant that that's not going to fit in his car, which it absolutely did. Ivan actually has the Uber app open on his phone, checking the prices to get an Uber from Telford to Weymouth. <laughs> it's like, just hang on a minute. Just I looked, in, looked through the tailgate of Ben's car and I just looked and I went, what are you doing? Put your phone away. Luke, look at this. And he, we just came over like, right, open the boot. In it all went, slot there, slot there. Move that. Get that out of there. Right, there you go. Sorted. Boom. Lid shut. Off you go, boys. The problem was he wouldn't... The problem have- was, no, no, no. The problem was that somebody who has no mode of transport and was planning a week in London still went ahead and purchased half of flipping Hannant's. I disagree. Um, the, problem- <laughs> <laughs> the problem was when I tried to look in the boot, he locked it. 
and said <laughs> no. He said no before he even tried. Oh, dear. It's funny how HMS Hood managed to fit in. Mm. He forgets that. <laughs> but anyway, we're on the road. And yes, we're on the road, slowly. Look at, uh, luckily for me, Jackson and Ben, we just, we're at the front of the traffic because there must have been a bad accident on the motorway. So you guys are like just behind us, but yet an hour behind us. Yeah, you took a slightly different route because you actually turned off into the superstore as we pulled out, we drove past mm-hmm. you, and then somehow you ended up in front of us in this mammoth, like, 20-mile-long traffic jam. So, yeah, you, I think you went... There's a there's a two ways you can go, and you obviously went the separate, with different way to us and skipped it. I mean, the traffic was annoying. Now, mm-hmm. as, I, as I said in the journey on the way down, so, it, so in our vehicle, there was me, Graham, John Everett, and obviously JB. And I tend not to get that frustrated in traffic because generally the person who is involved in the incident that is creating the traffic in the first place having a way worse day than I am. So you kind of just go, it is what it is. However, what we wanted to do was to get to Weymouth in time that we could do fish and chips in the harbour, couple of drinks. As it turned out, the traffic was so bad, we got one beer in the bar, and that was about it. We stopped at Burger King in the in the dodgiest service station ever on the way down. But with hindsight, actually, that journey and being stuck in traffic paid dividends because we had such a long amount of time with the four of us in a metal box to, to just chat. That was when we're talking about highlights of the weekend rather than just scale model world. Actually, being in that traffic and it taking so long was actually one of my highlights because it gave us the opportunity just to talk. So yeah, yeah, that was that was a really good journey down, despite the fact that we were bumper to bumper for what two hours nearly. It was it was it was great, and I kind of it was exactly how I'd planned it because within the group of what the six seven of us. Obviously, Ivan and Ben and Jackson are all about the same age, and then the rest of us are all a little bit older. So I figured it made more sense to split the group that way because, you know, if you get stuck in traffic, you don't want to be listening to, um, like, youth music. So um, I thought it would work. It would work really well. And I think it absolutely, certainly in our car, I thought it was it was fantastic. You know, it was, yeah. like, like Luke says, I mean, I wasn't driving and, you know, I, I know it's frustrating when a passenger says, oh, it wasn't that bad being stuck in that traffic jam. Um, it's not my right leg that was going numb from like holding the throttle all the time. But I thought it was a really good journey down. And I think it, it sort of did us a favour in a little way. I thought it was really yeah. cool. Really yeah, cool. It, it, we've no complaints. I think we stopped at the same services. They were, they were, they were dodgy. <laughs> Bit weird. Yeah. But yeah, apart from that, we we got to the hotel like an hour before you. My my cupboard with a bed in it was really comfy. The hotel was all right. Um, <laughs> I have a penthouse suite. I was doing fine. Yeah, the, the- we were sort of an hour behind you guys, weren't we? So within the last hour of our journey, JB was getting text messages from you complaining about the hotel because it wasn't up to your usual standard. We arrive at the hotel. I couldn't find a thing wrong with it, to be honest. <laughs> It was clean. It was quintessentially British seaside town. Yeah, I think that's my issue. Yeah, I I was struggling to see the issues that you've been highlighting to JB for the last hour. (laughs) It's had that um, seaside town, small hotel B&B scent about it as you walked in. Yeah. Um, everything was just a little bit run down and ramshackle. What that what really got me was the fact that we got to the bar. Oh, okay, it was late. It was Sunday night. So we got a beer. And then they told 
us that we were closing the bar. I was like, but we're residents. Can we not get a drink? No, the bar's closed. But we're residents. Surely residents have a bar. No. And that was it. Usually, if you're mm-hmm. residents, somebody will come off reception to serve you a beer. Mm-hmm. Or some hotels I've been in, they'll just say, help yourself and chuck some money on the counter. But no, <laughs> there was nothing. Just like, absolutely no. So we nursed a pint for an hour. But it was and a the- good hour. It was a pleasant hour. Yeah, there's a snooker table downstairs that I've seen better days. It looked like the Battle of Waterloo had been fought on it. And there was a ballroom where an elder clientele were enjoying the evening. Yeah, it, the hotel was, it was the type of, it's like someone was watching me from the cupboard and I wasn't alone in my bed. I, I had a perfect view of the full moon over the bay, so I was I was good. Of I'm course, good. of course, John Bonani has the <laughs> penthouse suite. Top floor, double windows. Beautiful view. And then waking up in the morning, even better. I'd never Champagne seen Champagne white... and caviar. <laughs> I'd never seen the white chocolates before. We go down. We had a nice, pleasant walk. Had a great, another great breakfast, cheap breakfast. Well, can I just say, I, I had to pinch myself at one point, sitting, eating breakfast. And I just looked around and I thought, blimey. And then I realized I'm sitting there having breakfast with Spud. Yeah. I'm having breakfast <laughs> with John Murphy. I'm like, hang on. How's this happened? Yeah. Why have I? How have I ended up here? This is amazing. There were absolutely a few of those moments. Yeah. Kind of looking around, going, "This is some sort of terrible mistake." <laughs> I sat here with these yeah. people. There yeah. were, yeah, there were definitely a few moments. I mean, like these, these like names that I've heard and you know, in reverence, and then suddenly I'm sitting there having breakfast, I'm eating my sausage sausage sandwich next to them. It's just, I will tell you one thing that really got me was going back slightly, walking into Telford on Sunday morning, I think, and I think it was. JB and Jackson were in front of me and Luke. And as we walked in, there was two guys standing in the entranceway, just looking at the, the, the show guide, working out where they were going to go. They obviously hadn't been in on a Saturday. And they looked, one of them looked up and saw John. And then he sort of did a double take and he turned to his mate and he nudged him and he went, that, 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 that's the, the plastic posse guys. That's, that's John. <laughs> I'm sure it is. And he was like shaking with joy. And his mate went, is it really? He went, yeah. And then we sort of walked past and then I heard him go, and that's Graham and Luke that were on their show. <laughs> <didn't we?" laughs> They're from the Black Rifle. And I was like, oh God, this is surreal now. This is just getting beyond. It was, there was a few little pinch yourself moments like that. It was brilliant. Yeah. But yeah, sitting eating breakfast with Spuds. Yeah, that was a, another highlight for me. Like, how hang on, this woo wah, This is just me who sits in his shed sticking plastic together. How am I? How am I sitting here? We had a very similar experience to those gentlemen when we saw Plasmo. So Plasmo was walking around the hall in incognito, and we're standing there by the tables. I think it's me, Ivan, and Jackson. We're just hanging out, and we see them, and we're like we got to say hi. Like we're, we're shaking. We're, we're like, Oh my gosh, this is Plasmo. And uh, I'm like, we're doing it. Let's go. So <laughs> let's we'll ambush just, him. Let's ambush him. He can't get away again. Super nice guy that, you know, just like you said, it's, you watch his videos, you hear his voice, you know, he, he's shaped the hobby and to have the opportunity to meet somebody like that in that type of venue, like you said, Graham as well, like Spud and anyone at the Four Corners table. And there were a few other gentlemen like that. You know, Marcus is a good example. Chatted with Spencer Pollard as well. Like those types of people that, um, you know, quite frankly, influence you and having the opportunity to just casually chat with them in that type of environment. There's nothing better. Yeah. I didn't have the bottle to speak to Plasma. I wanted to. And I, and I was just every time he walked past me, I was like, I could just go and but no, and I, I just got starstruck, and that's not normally like me. But no, I couldn't bring myself to speak to him. He was he, he was to, trying to be incognito. You managed to speak to Kathy Miller though, didn't you? <laughs> yes, 
So right, okay. So somebody in our group um, who didn't actually even come to Telford, um, it may not be anymore, but he did used to watch all of. The, there's a, a modeler on YouTube called Kathy Miller. She's she used to do railway modeling. She's moving into sort of war gaming and stuff now, 3D printing and things. Um, fantastic modeler. She does some great scenics and stuff. <laughs> our friend Carl uh, always used to talk very highly about Kathy Miller. I saw her walking across the hall in front of me behind Luke. And for some reason I blanked out and thought Luke was Carl. And I just tapped him on the shoulder and went, Kathy Millett's behind you. I said it in rather a loud voice. She heard me and an awkward moment ensued. <laughs> so if Kathy Millett is listening, heartfelt apologies for me because Graham said it in such a loud way that it almost startled me. So I just <laughs> around to look at the point she had heard Graham and we kind of made eye contact. And I had nothing to say at that point. So all I said in like a real starstruck schoolboy way was, oh, it's Kathy Millett. And she just looked at me and went, yeah, and just carried on. <laughs> and I, I can't use the words that I called myself at that moment. I, 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 um, it's the word you called me that was better. <laughs> He just yeah. looked me straight in the eye and went, you beep. And I went, oh, I'm really sorry, mate. I'm really sorry. <laughs> it just popped out. Apologies for me. If I'd been more prepared, I would have said something more profound. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I, I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> just flew <laughs> out. <laughs> sorry. So, Weymouth done. Then we head to Bovington, which was a first for me. Loved it. It's, it's hard to describe words for that place. One day's not enough. Well, I remember showing up and we're in the, we hear the, we hear the Challenger training tank drive around and uh, it comes up the road and I was riding in the morning. Jackson was in our car. He rode, uh, he rode in the middle because we had to squeeze because of all of Ivan's things. So we were squeezing and I think Jackson's just looking forward like laser tunnel vision. And on the left, there's a Challenger going up and down the obstacle course and, you know, going through it. And I'm like, well, there's a tank over there. He's like, whoa, oh my, oh my gosh. And he's like going crazy. And then we turn the corner, we park. And then that training tech actually comes up into Bovington, the tank museum's parking lot, practically. And uh, we scurry across the road and, and Jackson goes full tilt towards it, gets up by a tree to make sure he gets his uh, good footage. But, you know, it was a great way to start the day with some uh, heavy armor flying by us. Um, it was uh, it was cool. It was. And then, you know, going back to what you had mentioned, Luke and Graham, about the people, it, it was really incredible being able to enjoy Bovington, a museum with significant pieces of history with uh, with your mates, with with friends that, you know, we might have just met. But to be honest, I, I could pick up a conversation with you guys anywhere and think that we've been friends for 20 years. And, you know, going through the different rooms and, and experiencing it together was something special. Taking plenty of happy snaps for profile pictures and cover photos and um, Tinder profiles. Sim simply unforgettable uh, in that regard. And then the conversations that spurred next to those vehicles themselves, uh, just you got to pinch yourself. And I almost want to hit the rewind button because it was almost exactly, you know, seven days from where we sit today. Um, it was, uh, it was remarkable, something that I'll never forget. Yeah. And I think I, I've been to the tank museum. I think that was my fourth time. Um, and it never, it never fails to impress each time you go there because it is a phenomenal place. But echoing what I said about Cosford, the knowledge of the people that we were with and the enthusiasm for the, for the subject matter just made it a whole new experience and yeah it was it was absolutely phenomenal i loved every second of it um and, and we kind of all sort of bomb burst in different directions you know we weren't all walking around as a group of eight eight guys looking at tanks 
you know, everyone sort of went off and did their own thing, but then we'd sort of converge on a particular area. And yeah, it was just a phenomenal experience, really. Um, yeah, it was the, the, the knowledge, the knowledge from the guys that were with us was phenomenal. And the, the staff, it, it was Pete that came over when we were stood by 131. I didn't know anything about 131. I, I knew nothing about it at all. Um, and Jackson and um, Dan were telling me the story of what happened to it. And you can still see, I mean, you can still see where the shell went in, where both of them, because there's a glancing blow on the right-hand side as well. Um, and they were telling me how the shell went, you could actually see it. And I'm picturing this happening in my head. And they told me the story. And then one of the guides from the museum came over, a guy called Peter Peter, I think he was. And he started telling us a little bit more. And there was a slight change in the story that Jackson and Dan had said. And it was only very small, but it was a slight difference. So when we finished talking to Pete about that and lots of other kinds of stuff, I just said to Jackson, oh, um, Peter's just said that there's a slight difference to the story. And so Jackson said, oh, yeah, what's that? They got talking. Turns out that they... I've got a connection through Brit Modeler. So they were sharing photographs and talking about nuances of the Sherman and all kinds of stuff. And they were locked together for about half an hour in the middle of the floor. And I just thought, first off, kudos for the, the, the museum guy to spend that much time with a visitor. But secondly, it just again shows that that um, connection just through building models that they found together. I mean, Pete must have been in his 60s and there's Jackson in his early 20s. But these guys were like just bouncing off each other for ages and getting on like a house on fire. It was great to watch. Really good. But yeah, that that the, the whole, the, the knowledge of you guys around me, man, because I know nothing. And, you know, the, the, every everything I looked at, somebody was just giving me a little gem of information about it. It was phenomenal. Brilliant. It, it was weird. Like, geez, we haven't mentioned this. It's like, you have to think, it's like we were stood all chatting in front of like a king tiger, an actual like king tiger between a two, three, four. It was, it's, you forget where you are sometimes. Um, but I certainly won't forget that. It was a, it was a special day. Did you buy anything in the gift shop? Because I didn't, because I was threatened like with threats of death if I bought anything. <laughs> the um, only thing I would allow you to buy in the gift shop was a rucksack. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't really. I bought just the usual things like a fridge magnet and, I did, I mean, to be fair, for a museum gift shop, they have a very well-stocked selection of kits, products. They really do. Um, so so hats off to them. And, you know, it's all on their website, so you can go and buy direct from them, which supports, obviously, the, the museum and what they're trying to do down there. But, yeah, I thought it was a really well-stocked hobby shop. <laughs> but it was a museum gift shop. But, yeah, I just bought the usual bridge magnet, pen, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, a couple of little. Before we move on, really to what people bought in the gift shop, I think we've got to put a shout out for for organising us to get into the conservation center. Oh, for Spud. Yeah, I mean that yeah, legend. <laughs> I've never been in there when I've been because it's not always open to the public. Um, so for those that don't know, across the the sort of car park from where the main entrance is, they have what they call their conservation set, which is like this massive hangar almost. And it's a working area. So it's all the vehicles uh, and pieces of armour that they have, but they're working on them to keep them running. And it was just phenomenal. And I think as we walked in there, we were on this sort of observation gantry looking over. For the first three or four minutes, no one said anything. We're just all sort of scanning across this vast array of vehicles. And uh, yeah, um, and that was organised by Spud. He managed to make mm. that happen. So yeah, 
fair play to him for that. I think the best thing someone said in that room was, I really like the green one. <laughs> Sorry, it's only like 50 of them. <laughs> yeah, amazing place. It was really cool. Did you notice on the subject of models, did anybody look in the bollards at the little dioramas? Yeah. They were really cool, weren't they? The little concrete bollard mock-ups, and some of them have got little windows in with an illuminated diorama in the bottom. And it was a, that was a really cool idea. The Talking about the conservation hall real quick, I thought it was awesome when the the person who escorted us there was like, oh yeah, it's it's the gray, th- it, you know, it's the tan thing over there. And you have to kind of like jump to see it because there were so many vehicles and there's a there was an M103 there, which was, it's a massive vehicle in real life. And it looks like a toy because it's, you know, it's so far away because it, it reminds me if you've ever seen the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark for Indiana Jones. And it's at the end where they, the gentleman pushes the crate into the vast warehouse of, of wooden boxes. That's what that room replicates, you know, in my mind is it is a sea of vehicles and literally they just push another one in tons of historically significant vehicles in there as well. You know, you have everything from, you know, World War II vehicles, the T-14, which I think is the only one left and Jackson, we had to stop him from creating an international incident and trying to jump the jump the railing. I think we were up there and he mentioned me like, you think I can make it down there? How far do you think I could go before they'd stop me? I'm like, please don't do this. Um, but you know, they had a, they had a Churchill there that was taken essentially right out of the desert. I believe, um, it was, it was really, 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 really cool to see everything. And then a lot of modern vehicles. I think I've never seen so many T-55s in a, in the same location. And then the weird EBR kind of armored car stuff. And they had a, you know, a comet sitting right there that was ready to drive out the door for crying out loud. So overall, a really, really cool place. And, uh, you know, super, super kudos, big thank you to Spud again for, for organizing that because it was, uh, it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah. It's not, not a chance everyone gets to, uh, to explore that room. It's, uh, so yeah, (laughs) another shout out for Spud. Massive, massive. Thank you. And then unfortunately the day has to kind of come to an end and, uh, we all ferry ourselves to, Wool train station. That was a new location for me. I'd never heard of it. And then, yeah, we do all our goodbyes of moving one stuff from one car to another, and 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 that's that's that. It was it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> we took a photo. Oh, John took a photo of the group as we all split. And I said to Luke on the way back. In fact, Luke said it. We we both said it. I was pretty sad at that point. Happy because we'd had such an amazing time, but yeah, it was it was all coming to an end, but not quite because we still had the journey back. It was that was <clears throat> it's it, it it was quite a sad moment because the group's now fragmenting. Everyone's going well. The majority of us were going back to like real life at that point, and and yeah, it, it was a it was a tough moment. I think. I mean, luckily, me and Graham, Graham were travelling north together, so it wasn't like your world's ended, you get in the car by yourself and drive off. So we, we still had that journey back. But, yeah, it, you know, having such an epic time for the previous three, four days, and then, bang, it it all it all ceases, and you've got to go back to the real world. Um, I'm sure if my partner's listening to this, she she will have something to say. What do you mean you were sad at coming home? Well, I was sad. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, and I've been, uh, the whole week, really, I've been walking around a little bit, letting it all sink in because there was so much that went on 
Um, we met so many people uh, and it takes a while for that to kind of process. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I absolutely love my job, but this last week I've, I've struggled. I've really struggled because I just like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to get back on the world again. I want to go back to fantasy land and just live like that. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, it's, it's really interesting what this hobby, you know, in terms of power on someone's, you know, emotion, mental state, it's, it's a moment where if you tell the story to outsiders, they don't necessarily believe it. How can you meet somebody, you know, within three, four days beforehand and having an emotional goodbye like that, you know, never meet someone in person, but you have these three, four days where you're connected almost at the hip throughout the day, dinner time, evening, you share experiences, you go to significant places, you see significant things, and you just create a bond that is very hard to find in the real world, to be honest. This hobby is it just does something special. You know, I've played golf, I've I've done fishing and other things, but it's never it's never given me what this hobby has has given. Saying goodbye at the train station exemplifies the best parts of it. It's 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 not goodbye, it's see you again. Damn, we'll see you again. You know, Luke's coming to Texas. Graham, I hope to I really want to come back to Telford next year. It was that special. Ivan dropped a gem the other night because I was thinking about trying to come to Texas. I don't think I can do it next year, mm-hmm. but Ivan dropped in the um, possibility of going to Eindhoven in October. Yes. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, and if you can get to Telford as well, that would be amazing. Can I just throw back that this friendship thing, we really impressed the woman in the gift shop at uh, <laughs> Tank yes, Museum. Yes, that's what like, did, yeah. Where did you guys meet? <laughs> Online? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's cool. That's wow. Yeah, and then like as as you started talking, and more and more of us just started popping up like little whack a moles around you. She was like, "So you guys all know each other? Yeah, yeah. We're we're all from all over the place. That was really cool. That, that sort of summed it up, I think, in that sort of brief little conversation. It was really cool. And and I think you're absolutely right, John. In to try and explain that, explain that bond that's created through gluing bits of plastic together, which is ultimately what we all do. Is, is very, very difficult for someone outside of the hobby that doesn't get it. And that's why for me, and I know Graham's the same, well, all of us here are the same. That's why I'm so passionate about the hobby and about mm. the people that make the hobby. You know, it, it's about the people. And mm. it, if you surround yourself with good people, good things happen. It's just, yeah. yeah. And everyone that we met that weekend, they were all good people. It was great. Well, I'm going to pass this on to JB to wrap up because uh, I think that's that's like the best possible place to to wind this one down. Yeah, certainly hitting the nail on the head of why we all do this is really the last few moments of this conversation. We're the best of friends now, to be honest. It's that's something that we've discovered over the time we've spent in England, and and it's something that I'll always cherish and value. And you know, I encourage our listeners, you know, make make the pilgrimage, come to Telford, go to any show, bump into mates, and you know, connect with people and 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 experience the things that we have because they're they're unforgettable. I can't think. Graham and Luke enough for the time that they spent with us, catered to us, took care of us, uh, took care of Ivan, you know, hats off to you two gentlemen. And I think this is the perfect, you know, send off. And again, thank you both so much for not only what you've done in the past, but present and certainly future. 
yeah it's, it really just no there are no words it was just so good it's so good i would do it again tomorrow in a heartbeat you're absolutely right there's no words to describe how epic that whole weekend was thanks on misplaced really it was an absolute mm. pleasure yeah to, to try and host you guys and make sure you got from where you needed to be to where you were going and all that sort of stuff and from my point of view i think you know he sat there very quiet at the minute but ivan needs if it wasn't for ivan then that whole group that sort of spent the whole weekend together w- wouldn't have happened it, it wouldn't have yeah, happened it's true. so ivan needs to take credit for that um he needs to work on his planning he needs to work on his logistical know-how but other <laughs> than that you know i'm i'm happy to pack the car for you ivan <laughs> We can engineer this meeting of, of minds that happened that weekend. So, yeah, you need to take credit for that because that was all down to you, really. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you lot have done a lot more for me than I've done for you. So, really, it's it's nothing. We were talking with somebody. I can't remember who it was now. We were telling them laughingly about your extravagant number of boxes that we had to try and fit into a car, which you had no... At that point when you sort of told told us how much you'd bought and I and I said to you so how is that going to get to London and then back home and you just looked at me with this like blank look and went I don't know and I just thought I guess we'll sort this out then and somebody <laughs> said to me when we were joking about it and you weren't there we weren't talking about it behind your back because it's exactly what we said to you first 10 minutes previous and somebody said but do you not realize by you guys running around and picking it all up and facility you, you you're enabling this you're you, you're facilitating this behavior and I just kind of thought yeah, but it's Ivan. And we love He's him. worth it. He's worth yeah, it. Yeah, we, we all love him. So we're happy to run around like headless chickens, picking up his Alili Swarman. When I got home, I was, I was unloading the car. So for those that don't know, pretty much everything that Ivan purchased that weekend is currently sat in my model room. I brought it all home because there's no way he could have taken that to London. And I was unloading the car with all these boxes and bags and all that. Uh, and my partner was like, how much did you buy? I was like, this is not mine. <laughs> it's not mine. <laughs> you know, I said, it's all Ivan's. Now, for those that know me, I, I don't mix well with others generally. And I'm quite, I get quite frustrated at people, but there's something about Ivan that you just can't help but help him. You know, you're just like, yeah, put it in my car. We'll sort it out in January or whatever. Just, yeah. just get it in there. And yeah, it's it's just Ivan. Yeah. <laughs> just Ivan. Simple Ivan. I've made the commitment now to never burden others with my out. stuff. Get out. It's not a burden, Ivan. It, it, it is. It's absolutely it's... not a burden, because I'll tell you what, that Sherman's goes together really well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, him and Spud have a buddy build going on right now. You didn't get the invite? I didn't no, swore never, at you then. <laughs> it's never, never a burden, mate, honestly. Great times. Well, gentlemen, thank you again. We will catch you soon to next year's Telford. Yeah. Thank you very much. Cheers. It's now time for our third and final segment where we had a great discussion with three of the members from the Four Corners Modelling Club. Peter Rusher, John Spud Murphy and Dan Sankey. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to them and get to know a little bit more about the table, which clearly was the highlight of the show. 
we're continuing our Telford special with three very interesting guests that we had the opportunity to meet at the show. Really honored that they've taken the time to talk with us. But before we get to them, I'll briefly introduce Sir Ivan Jensen Taylor is joining us. Good evening. Who is at the show. And then also Scott is stepping in as well because he could not miss this segment. Absolutely. So our esteemed guests today come from the Four Corners Modeling Club. They're a new club out of the UK, and we are delighted to have three of their members that were at Telford. So today we'll have Pete Usher, John Murphy, aka Spud, and Dan Sankey. So we'll go through and do a brief introduction with each of them. So Pete, how are you today? Thanks for coming on the pod. All good, living the dream as ever. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Your work was certainly inspirational at the show, and we will definitely jump into it soon. John, welcome back. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks very much. I'm really pleased to be back. And last and certainly not least, our technologically inclined newest guest, Dan Sankey. How are you? I'm fine now, thankfully. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, again, as I mentioned, we are certainly honored to have three of you here. For our listeners, again, it's Four Corners Modeling Club. They were at the, uh, you know, at the start of the convention, right when you walk in, had probably the best display there, at least from my point of view, I really enjoyed it. And we're going to talk about it today. We're going to get to know each of the members that have joined us today, a little bit of background on them. You've heard from Spud before, but I think it's important we get a little intro with Pete and Dan, and then we'll jump more into the show itself, what they enjoyed, what they brought, and then what they look forward to next year. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Pete. If you could just give us a brief introduction, maybe talk about, you know, your background in modeling and and what's your what's your main area of interest? So background in modeling is been modeling since you know knee eye to a grasshopper really since you know early early days. My my dad was actually a you know a bit of a figure painter. So I kind of picked up from there. He'd paint those um you know you know you get the cowboys and Indians with the big plastic bases on. I think they were airfix weren't they? He would paint them for me. Yeah so kind of and always loved the military sort of side of it. So um yeah that's it really the um Always been interested in armor, even though I deviated out into all sorts of different things, aircraft, sci-fi. And as you know, from um, childhood and profit and loss, I, I stray straight off into, you know, into civilian stuff uh, and slightly more gnarly subjects. So, um, yeah, I'm, I can sway into anything. No, not anything naval, but um, armor. Armor figures is is what, what I do best. And I think probably diorama storytelling is where I'm probably at my A game, really. That just seems to be where my sort of niche is to get a punchy story out. Yeah, and that's the background. Background in sort of, a, you know, construction, manufacturing. I'm now a, a sort of director in an IT company, which is a really weird transition. But it's, um, yeah, it's uh, sort of 10 years in construction, 10 years in manufacturing, and uh, 10 years with this crew now. So I moved around a little bit, always, you know, ended up in management positions. God knows how, but somehow it's happened again and again but um yeah that's me that's me really just a you know, fairly simple kind of guy so our listeners you know pete's extremely modest he says he's you know the a game i would say on a four point grade point average scale you're like a 4.5 so i i think it's really important to highlight pete's modesty because his stuff is world class and you've certainly seen it on the cover of afe modeler and then also, you know, weathered models is if you look at some of the most popular posts, I bet you're going to see Pete's name to it. So really excited to learn more about the work that you specifically brought to the show. And, and we'll get to that soon. But before we get to any further, we're going to we're going to turn it over to Dan Sankey, give a brief introduction and, and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I'm pretty much like Pete, really um, grown up as a kid with my grandfather introducing me into modeling just to 
I noticed there was rainy days for projects, uh, starting off with the, uh, the little matchbox with the little dioramas that you build all in one. And it sort of getting hooked through that, really. Uh, probably came away from it a little bit from going to school. And then meeting up through mountain biking with Darren Thompson, uh, he showed me a, a FAMO DMAG crane that he built. And I think I was just hooked getting back in again, really. Got introduced into uh, going to the, the club that he was in, to which then we met through Spud and just got sort of into it that way, really. Yeah, I kind of had a question about that. You know, John had mentioned to me uh, in one of our earlier conversations. Tell us a little bit about, you know, how, how long have the three of you known each other and what's the genesis of the Four Corners Modeling Club? How did that come about? I think I'm probably the sort of linchpin, really. I, uh, I was based up in uh, an RAF base called uh, Lynham, and I went to the Swindon Club where Pete was a member, and that was probably mid-1990s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we became friends from there. I then eventually moved back to Plymouth, and the sort of local club was one in Newton Abbott, and uh, Dan was a member, and obviously I knew, I'd known Darren previously. Dan came to the club. Uh, and again, just hit it off um, and the friendship sort of grew from there. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting that I've got a group of friends in the sort of Plymouth, Devon area and group of friends uh, where Pete lives. And, you know, we've all sort of amalgamated, really. Mm. And we went off to um, we went to World Model Expo. I've been doing the European stuff for about five years now, and it's just a game changer compared to the UK uh, modelling scene. And um, and we'd been in the in, in a, the Dartmoor club, I think it was. And um, and then we, uh, I said, look, you know, I'm I'm going over to the worlds. It'd be mind blowing, guys, if you want to come. And it, they was all up for it. So we had a bit of a road trip over there, which was great fun. And um, and then the show was just absolutely mind blowingly good. And we had a we had a club stand there, and and then we sort of decided there that you know actually we really like to sort of be able to display our, our stuff. And it Almost more than a club. I mean, uh, sort of Spider spoke. It's more than a than a modelling club with members and anyone can join type stuff. It's more a group of really good pals. And like Spuds just said, we've been friends for the best part of 30 years, really. So it's just a group of pals that have kind of, you know, put a ring on it, so to speak. <laughs> and we've, um, we kind of thought we would, would have a table so we can just display our stuff. And then everyone, especially the UK, you know, because it, you know, it's a complete different game changer compared to Europe. And it's somewhere that Telford, for instance, the big, biggest sort of show that we've got, we can display our stuff as a club uh, and then people can come up and say oh my god I've not actually seen this in the flesh because it would have its big day out in Europe I tend to save my stuff for the shows and then just get it out there then it would go into a magazine so it never really go out anywhere and then the name Four Corners was uh, because we're sort of from all over the place Andy Evans is up north sort of somewhere Nottingham yeah yeah Nottingham so we're from the Four Corners of the of the of the country Darren's out in France a lot of the time Phil Sadinskis who's just joined us uh, he's further up north uh, Leicester he's up Leeds I think somewhere that way so you know Dar- we're all over Darlington. the UK where is it Spud? Darlington uh, Leicester's Darlington. from Darlington and, yeah. and, and yeah. Phil's from Stoke-on-Trent there we go yeah all over so that's uh, that's when I kind of thought of the name actually a good name would be Four Corners we played around with lots of different names but um, the Four Corners seemed probably the most uh, professional because <laughs> the others were like Hell's Angels <laughs> gangs you know the nomads the no mates it was all sorts of different things i think it well, started that... off it started off at wme with uh, the john murphy gang didn't it it did yeah 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 that was because 
for years I was supposed to go to that show. Rob Crombecki had invited me when I was editing magazines and for a multitude of reasons I never attended and then just never got around to attending the show. So when it finally came to fruition earlier this year, when I said to Rob, I can actually get over. So they they gave like us a table and like I say, that was where, as Pete said, the sort of whole club sort of hatched from there. Well, that is quite a roster of uh, names that you guys have. And obviously from the photos that John posted, the work on the uh, your tables uh, speaks for itself. But if people can't come to Telford or to the shows in Europe, is there a place where people can see uh, your collective work as a club? Yeah, what we're hoping to do is obviously the majority of the members are from sort of southwest of England. So we will do a fair selection of shows in the southern part of the country. But with Phil and the and Leicester, being sort of more northern and Pete to an extent if if we're not all at a show at least some of some of us will be able to attend and still represent the sort of club so they may not get to see sort of like all eight or nine members work at one show but they'll see uh, a good portion and a, a really yeah. great spread of models and then hopefully we'll all get together for Telford next year yeah I think Telford will be the one where everyone because Telford is so central to the UK anyway we'll always mm. uh, we'll always do that and I think um you know, uh, SMC next year as well. It'd be a full, it'd be a full, um, you know, invasion. Full that. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, what is a group, you know, when it is a uh, full group of, uh, four corners what, what would we be known as actually uh, like yeah a nerd of modelers yeah i was thinking like you've got a herd of cows well we could be a nerd of modelers couldn't we yes yes yeah, i think that's yeah and considering me and you spud nerd is actually fairly pc oh, it's probably not very PC, <laughs> so, is it? Like, PC. yeah that's right yeah yeah but we are also <laughs> we're also um just trying to get our facebook page together now as well aren't we Try to get us yeah, there. yeah, a group four callers Facebook page is under construction, I think, isn't it? Should we say that? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the place where I've put in there. There's been a couple of technical hitches. <laughs> nice. So, you know, you mentioned your club so far. I think two of the names that we haven't mentioned, just wanted to call them out, you know, Kev Smith and then Ian McGonagall mm. were the other two members yeah. who displayed at Telford. And oh, we'll have them on soon enough. Two other inspirational <laughs> modelers that that really brought their A-game to the show too, I thought. It was really cool yeah, to see. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. So looking forward to Telford, or I guess we're looking back to Telford in a sense, you guys had prime real estate there. You know, we mm. came in late Friday night. We we saw your initial setup. It was pretty crazy to see what you brought and, you know, where you were located. So maybe just go around the room. We'll start with Pete and then we'll go to John and then Dan. Talk about what you brought to Telford and, may, and maybe why you brought it. Okay. So I brought to Telford the um, profit and loss vignette of the, uh, you know, the ivory, the, uh, the elephant with the ivory taken. Childhood, the kid on the rubbish dump, my two kind of like non-military ones. Uh, then I had the mine intervention, the uh, sort of German border stuff, uh, mine the gap diorama, the train yard, the Battle of Kohlberg, and and then I had the Panther, the Italian Panther, Italy campaign, and the yeah the Church of the Normandy Church of the um, the Royal Engineers version of that with the, uh, with the with the German mine on the back. So that's what I brought to the show, and I think the main reason for bringing you know all my stuff I've done recently was is what I mentioned earlier on, giving it a day out in the UK so people can see it because Mind the Gap um, well all of them actually all of them are SMC display competition entries and um, 
and they hadn't been out in the UK at all. I think I'd put uh, Mind the Gap, actually, on Dartmoor last year. I had a lot more stuff finished since then um, for the, you know, for the Worlds. Obviously, went, you know, went up to the A game for the Worlds with the um, with Profit and Loss and Divine Intervention. So, yeah, it was just to get them out so people can, can see them, really, because it's not... They've seen them on the internet, and you know, whatever, a million times on Facebook. Um, but it's, it's been able to get out. And then to talk to people and then to say, how'd you do this? What's this? What's that? And that's what I... I love about it the most because you know you can get some people that can be really clicky in the uh, especially in the older days not so much now I don't think but I can remember being at Euro back in the day say, speaking to a figure painter saying you know how do you do this how do you do that and they were so unhelpful you know it was like and I think there's even given me red herring you know red herring colours to use because I'm thinking yeah I don't think that was right actually so yeah so I, that's what I love about the club most of all is people can say you know how, wow that's cool and and you you'll know Ivan I'll, I'll pick it up that you hold it have a, have a look at it I mean a lot of people won't hold to be honest but it's nice to be able to get hold of it and turn it around and look at it from the back and and look inside the house you know on on um divine intervention and proper you know get involved in it because it's to be looked at isn't it so looking at it on the other side of a table isn't isn't it's great but it ain't as good as proper getting hold of it and and yeah (laughs) that was gonna be one of my questions like how are you just kind of so okay with grabbing it and just being like, right, hold that. And it's like, this is worth more than my life if I drop this. <laughs> when when Ivan came back from not this year, but the previous year's Telford, he was telling us about what happened. And he talked about when you when you handed him your piece and put him in your hands and he, he about messed himself like, whoa, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I should not be holding this. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, well do, do you know what? Of course, I wouldn't give him to any maniac to hold. And, you know, obviously, you know, we all, we all understand what what it is that we're holding if you were to hold someone else's piece. Model, and, you mean. You know, and the chances of you dropping it would be... <laughs> um, but the chances of you dropping it, would, you ain't going to drop it, are you? And you can probably, mm. probably look at it. And I just think, I think that's probably, you know, a reflection on my personality is, you know, have a look at it. It's, it's, you know, it's here for you to have a good look at. So get hold of it. Mind you, Pete, you like to drop stuff when it's in the box, don't you? I think I did drop the Mind the Gap, actually. Oh, no. you did, yeah. I didn't drop it hard. I didn't drop it just, you know, but there's, there's not a lot I can't fix or get over. So, and do you know what? That's what I know about, you know, it's kind of slightly a rambling answer, but and me and Spud have spoken about this before. There, there's, when, when now, when I'm modeling, there's nothing that I can't sort out, you know, realistically, it's something you go through lots of years of thinking, oh my God, what if this doesn't work out? And you're shaking with the airbrush, thinking, oh, but let's just say you pull back the airbrush and it just goes. <clears throat> We've all been there. We've just like obliterated something with a load of whatever, tummy and olive drab. And you just think, well, in the old days, you just would have thrown, literally thrown it straight into the bin and that would have been the end of that. But now you just, I just get that Mr. Muscle gel, clean the stuff, rub it in that, chuck it in a plastic bag, wash it off the next day. And it's down to the undercoat and it's like, right, here we go again. So, you know, I'm very relaxed about it now. It's uh, often the second time you repaint it. It can often be better the second time you repaint it though, can't it? You know, where it's like a happy accident. Yeah, yeah. I mean, most, 
most of my stuff gets uh, most of my stuff gets two goes. <laughs> the first go is always a practice. That's what my uh, that's what the PE t- teacher told me back in the day. I think you know, to answer the question is it's nice for people to be able to get older stuff and properly see it more than anything. And I wouldn't give it to anyone to hold, but of course I'd give it to any of you guys to get hold of. So it, it was really cool to. Uh, oh yeah, because I gave you the panther, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. You know, it's uh, and we talked about studying. You know, it's really interesting when you when you're able to you know hold it up close, really understand the finish, look at the you know the micro types of work that you've done. It's it's down to the scratches, the chipping, you know, the wear, the dust, even seeing this subtle camouflage pattern on the side skirts. A lot of those depth of finish are really hard to pick up when you're three feet away. You get the overall picture. And I think that's what's stunning about all of your works. You know, from three feet away, it tells a story. And then when you get three inches away, it tells another story. I think that's where the depth, the complexity, and the overall thought behind the piece's composition at that micro level really shines when you have that opportunity. So I, I'm very thankful to to have had that, you know, chance to, to hold the Panther because you really appreciate the work up close. Um, and it's, it's something you rarely can find elsewhere because you can't get it in print sometimes. You know, before recording, we talked about it, where sometimes seeing it in its physical presence is the only way to really pick up um, the true complexity of the piece. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And quite often things change colour. I mean, I'd only seen Spud's uh, 116 scale stuck mm-hmm. in pictures when we, you know, sharing pictures. And um, but seeing it in the flesh, oh my God, I love it. Yeah. But the pictures that I'd seen of it, the, the colour had rendered, and I just thought it looked a little bit yellow, maybe, but mm-hmm. I knew we'd be seeing it in the flesh. And it's it's you know, it's not at all it's perfect, it's the perfect colour. So they can be misleading, they can be derogatory to the item. Good photographs and, and i've just put my um my 250 my little 250 vignette yeah i love it today. Yeah, with the two guys with the two guys yeah and um yeah and uh and, and the, those pictures have come out really well actually um it's kind of it looks quite similar to how it looks in real life actually and, and ari my lad when we was looking at it he was like yeah that's how it that's how it looks because yeah the black background really sort of i don't know closed it in it was, it was mm-hmm. spot on mm-hmm. yeah you get the cool feeling and, and i think this is a good sweat segue over to spud you know you brought the Doug, you brought a bunch of other 35th scale stuff outside of your big boys. Maybe talk about, you know, what you brought. And then again, looking at what Pete just talked about, your experience at the show. And yeah, um, uh, for me, it was really a case of pretty much bringing everything that I've built recently um, and trying not to bring the same stuff year in, year out. As Pete said, for mine, there'd been the the um, Israeli D9 bulldozer that had been in the AK Weather Magazine, the uh, M10 Achilles that now Scott's hopefully... Either he's getting it or he's, he's got it. Right um, next to me Yeah, that was that was uh, to me a magazine. Um, same with one of the Sheridans, uh, the second Sheridans going in a special issue on the Sheridan from the Abram Squad magazine, which should be coming out quite soon. Which also I think uh, Stan Spooner's got his um, Gulf War Sheridan in there as well, which I think he's posted up on Facebook recently. I did bring a Dornier 335, so there was an aeroplane on the stand because uh, <laughs> apart from Ian's helicopters, it was very armour-based, biased. Yeah, and uh, I think the the latest one, obviously, the 116th scale Stug and the Australian Vietnam Centurion, which had been in uh, the Inside the Armour special issue on AFE Club kits. I think um, we've, we weren't really sure because it was the first time we'd all got together. We weren't sure exactly how much we were all going to bring. So yeah. I think for myself, we brought most of the stuff we had just in case it was rather have too much than not enough. Mm. Um, you know, I didn't want a minimalist, minimalist looking stand. 
round. Um, unfortunately, the way the tables worked and we had the corner that we could basically display everything that we brought, which was which was great. Yeah. For the for the show itself, obviously having attended last year, which was the first post COVID show with a lot of restrictions, it was still a really good show. Uh, obviously, Ivan stayed with us at our stand. It was great. It was it was fairly busy. Good atmosphere. Very positive vibe. But this year just seemed the next level again. It was almost back to pre-COVID days. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I'd it was say a little it was bit smaller. It was back, yeah. But and the whole atmosphere it, that very... was better, I thought. It just seemed, you know, it seemed yeah. to have a little bit of energy. I think maybe even pre-COVID, it seemed, it was getting almost, it felt a little bit dull. I don't know quite, yeah. you know, yeah. just... Mm, no, I think, I think you're right. I think at the end of the Sunday, normally on pre-COVID Telford, you sort of just think, right, I want to go home now. But I think we were, we all felt the same where we didn't actually want the show to end and it was, no. we'd had such a good time, you know, and it, it definitely definitely had a different and a much more positive vibe to the whole, whole event. I think the only downside which had been mentioned was the poor lighting for some of the competition area. It's just a shame yeah, they couldn't shame, have used. Yeah. yeah, you know, and, and I think you get spoiled, as Peter said earlier, going to say like the World Expo in Eindhoven and you know, the competition area is purpose-built. The lighting, everybody gets great lighting for all of the, the uh, entrance. So you get to see the models in the, the best light, so so to speak, where it was almost like an afterthought. And, you know, I think, I think Pete had mentioned before, you know, if you've got to use your own torch off your phone to look at models then there's something definitely not right with yeah. that area as, it, as a you know competition area the lights that you get at the uh, how you've seen it on your workbench at, at the worlds or smc that that's how that's when how everybody sees it like you see it mm. at your bench at telford it's like looking at it in a warehouse and it's just it's such a mm. shame because people have put so much effort into putting what they put on the table and and you can't you you can't see it as much so that would be the one ask that i could ask from the ipms um you know the Telford light. Is if we could, if there was a, a light, some kind of lighting system that they could get, just to illuminate maybe yeah. the darker yeah. ends of the, because there was the, on the right hand side where the figures were, it was it, it was almost a light. It was at its worst um, for the figures, mm. which is almost wants to yeah. be at its best for the figures. So it's. And again, you, you know, it's just um, they've got something wonderful there, all that people's work, and it's not it's not in view. So it's 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 just, it's a real shame. So I don't know. I think the challenge is is that they're like I say, pre pre COVID, they had a, a dedicated room for this, and now building the show back to what it should be. I think that dedicated room will be coming back with the better lighting. Mm. But I don't think the lighting was even very good in that room. It, it was quite good on the mezzanine by the windows, but yeah, it was, up on the mezzanine. Mm. It was, uh, yeah. I think it was better for sure, but it was certainly isn't, you know, as good as it should be. When it's a national competition for the IPMS in the UK, they should really put a, an onus on having the, the best lighting, the best uh, visibility, you know, even the fact that the tables are very low and everybody's got to stoop down to look at them and you've got tassels off of mm. hoodies dangling in amongst the models. So you either need stuff to be elevated a little bit higher so it's almost at eye level yeah. um, and, like I say, better lighting. And so people know that when they put the stuff in the competition, it's going to be viewed in the best possible way to give everybody the fairest chance for their work to be judged on its merits, you know, and yeah. and not the fact that you can't see it in that corner, so you just bypass it. Because I, I I won't compete at Telford 
because it because they're you know you can't see can't see it properly so you know that's if that's there's and i bet you there's lots and lots of other people like that thinking i'm not putting mm-hmm. in a telford show yeah it's yeah. it's it's something that we struggle with in the united states as well it's, it's unfortunate that the venues just aren't built for a lot of the for this mm. hobby. Um, but that said, you know we have taken steps to start to define lighting requirements for shows. So this year in Omaha, we actually had a light meter. Uh, someone took into the contest room and, and measured the light. And I would say that's bare minimum. And what we're looking to do mm. is, you know, the facility. Fortunately, you know, in Madison 2024, that was one of the things we asked about was what what are the lighting, you know, what are the lumens in the room uh, for the competition mm. because we want to be able to show this work. And there's even been, you know, minor discussions around potential uh, transportable light or something like that. But, you know, it's, it's again, a logistical question that we have a lot of, you know, a lot of things behind. But all that said, I think from my takeaway from Telford and talking to the folks at IPMS, I, I think, you know, they'd be more than open to that type of feedback and look to, you know, how do we make it better? Because they want to make sure that the best models are being put on the table. And, you know, there's this post-COVID, you know, learning experience, as Dan mentioned, they were down on the floor as opposed to upstairs, which I've, I've never experienced. So I, th- I think it's a point well taken. And, you know, fortunately, some of the show organizers do listen to our show and hopefully, it, you know, it, it sparks a conversation around, you know, what, what can we do to make it better? Because they did a lot of stuff right this year. I'll be honest, like a lot of lot. Yeah. Of stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 The energy yeah. is back at Telford. Definitely. And, it, and it's not been back. As I said, by Sunday, you're, you're kind of thinking, I'm glad to go home now. Whereas we were all gutted. It was over. <laughs> yeah. It was too quick. Yeah. And, and, mm. Not just the lighting either, but I think Pete makes a great point about the height of the tables, you know, getting work up where people can see it without bending over and getting, you know, getting their phones over the models. Um, you know, when you've gone to a show where the tables are elevated, I think that makes a huge difference. And I think, John, that's a little bit easier to address than the lighting requirements in a, in a venue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those where the, the the kudos of the show as well, when some of these things do put people off. And, you know, I think also there's the, the age old complaint about judging. And when you walk around the halls and there's often much better models on club and SIG tables than there are actually been entered in the competition. So really, you, you'd like to hope the very best models that are in this huge venue are all in the competition area and not actually on on club and six stands. Yeah, that does sort of speak volumes as well. Yeah, it's a really good point because um, at the European shows you'll have um, judges' models on a table or, or in cabinets, and then you say, "Well, right, who's judging armor?" A, B, and C. You can go over and see their stuff, and you think, "Yeah, okay, <laughs> they know their onions." And if they've given you a silver or a guy, you know, if you're lucky enough to get a gold. Think, wow, I mean, if they think that's a gold and they can produce that, then, or if it's a commended, or do you see what I'm saying? It's all, it's, it's something that, that Telford could adopt, I think. Yeah. And now I, w- I will say one thing interesting. Uh, and Dan, I promise we're going to get to you. We have not forgot about you. Uh, <laughs> you're the star of the show, my friend. You know, one of the big things here, we're talking about the competition. We're talking about the SIG tables. I will say, I think the SIGs and what you, your team did couldn't been if it couldn't be facilitated if if your work was in the contest hall. So I think it's, and maybe it's like, oh, we bring our newest stuff to the contest and it's in there this year. Mm. And then next year it's on the SIG table because your conversations and the display at the SIGs, from my perspective, was 
I got so much more value, more value out of that experience. Don't get me wrong. I saw some work in the competition that was world-class mind-blowing, mm-hmm. but I, you know, yeah. unfortunately it's packed in there. You know, it's really hard to understand who built what, where yeah. this big table gives you that, okay, these are the folks that did it. I want to talk yeah. to them. Yeah. And it's that rotation, isn't it? You, yep. you put your newest stuff in the, in the, you know, in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, in the competition, and then you just rotate it into the club for the next, you know, the club stamp for the next three or four years until it's you get sick of it and throw it in a box somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I think this is a good way, a segue to Dan in this point where, you know, a personal story that, you know, Ivan talked about throughout the year, he saw your World War One ambulance in the competition last year, and then it showed up on the SIG table. And I think that gave, that made Ivan very happy to have the chance to understand, you know, who built it and talk to it. So Dan, this is a good introduction for you. Maybe tell us a little about, about you know, what you brought to the, the SIG tables. And then I believe you entered stuff in the competition as well. Let us, let us know how everything went there. So yeah, most of my uh, most of my work is biased towards First World War. I bought a, a French armored tractor, a Flitz tractor. I bought a uh, the German twenty one Moser cannon, the the Ford ambulance, uh, bringing along with the the one sixteenth FT seventeen. Taken towards the, the the competition, we put in the uh, the Mark V female. First World War One. And first so, off, I will correct myself. Uh, it is a club table, not a SIG. So that's my bad. Ivan politely reminded me. <laughs> One of the things that stood out to Ivan and Jackson was your competition piece. And maybe I'll turn it over to Ivan to talk more about that specifically and, you know, really what he enjoyed about it. Yeah, the Mark V, that was astonishing. I, I love that. And like I said in in our last segment and last episode, is not only the model is absolutely exquisite, the groundwork, but the base as well. Because at first, when we arrived at your table and I noticed it wasn't on the display at the club I was like oh he's not brought it but luckily it was in the competition and deservedly got gold is just exquisite so I'm so glad that piece was there because I'd seen it progress and come to life on on Facebook or seeing it in person was something just special Thank you. So I like to um, try and include the whole base rather than just just the model. I think it's an extra way of being creative. Uh, well, I think that the, the great thing with Dan and his models, everything he brings along to the club, and he'll bring it as a sort of part-started project, is like a kind of information sponge. And and sort of it's, it's great. It's with Dan, he'll sort of say, what would, you, what would you add? What would you do? And we all have our inputs. And he'll go away, take away that information, come back. And then when we've got the next club meeting, it, we're all just blown away by what he's incorporated and everything's very unique and it's it's got a style that's his own and they've all got like a they all start, tell a story there's either sort of like a dy- dynamic aspect to them or just you know like the ambulance for instance with the the wounded soldiers obviously just sort of drunk the pain away with the sort of bottle of you know the the demi jar type things of, of brandy and it's just it's just a great little scene and and like Ivan said bases themselves they're not just a, a black base which I go for and wimp out Dan puts a lot of thought into the actual base as well which also tells part of the story which you know it just gives a complete scene it just finishes it perfectly yeah and I'll just add to that as well Dan you know I'm really appreciative that you actually brought work in progress to the show as well I think that mm-hmm. was really cool to see you know when when we look around the table everything's finished master class but have the opportunity to see something that's in progress seeing where okay it's almost like I see what's on the table it's finished and that is way out and that is a goal of mine someday and then when I look at your piece that's in progress I can see it's like okay I think this this progress step 
is achievable for me. And, you know, that was one of the things that we talked about leaving the show, Ivan and Jackson was seeing your FT-17, seeing the progress that had been made and understanding, okay, I think we can chip away to get here. And then it's understanding what are those next steps that really elevate the piece and having the opportunity to talk to you and understand where you're at, where you're going and telling that story. And you had mentioned maybe figures, maybe not. So I think that piece drawed a lot of conversation as well. With with the uh, with the FT-17, it was, it's, it was where it was at before the show. Been working quite closely with Spud, sort of like you guys were saying before, the previous cast, you know, going to the next step. I'm, I'm always having great mentors in the club like Spud uh, who can push me for the next sort of technique, the next level. But having those guys in the club, it's, it helps. And then I suppose taking it to, to the show, you can communicate with that across people that are coming over, you know, having a, um, a work in progress. It gives that sort of uh, conversational starter as well. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great to have that work in progress stuff. And, uh, and Dan's is a great example of of the bravery of putting some of this work in progress because it's very easy to not because he could think, it looks a bit crap before it's finished. That was, a, that was a really nice standard. You could see the quality of the build and you could see the potential of the of the diorama. So what Dan had done there was, you know, was was great. And I think we should all probably put a bit more work in progress stuff. I think your Stug Spud was not, it's not quite finished, but you know, so it's the stuff there. My 250 dio was nearly finished, but do you know what? It was at the stage where it was close enough to being finished, but if you'd put it out, it would just look like it was a bit shit. Oh, he's forgot to do that. And, well, that's rubbish because he's got blue tack on his feet. But, um, <laughs> you know, so um, so what, you know, Dan and, and Spud had put out, it, it's great to, to have it, I think, um, you know, because it's a great conversation piece as well for the guys that, you know, come up and say, oh, God, that's great. I've not seen that. What are you doing there? What's the plans for the diorama? So, you know, Dan, you need to, it's, uh, you know, it's you were braver at the show than I was because you put something out that's half done. But you can also listen to, other ideas to maybe change the direction of the diorama or of the single piece. That's a that's a great point, Dan. You know, it seems like uh, I oh, I wasn't there. I, I, I would <laughs> so wish I would have been. But um, not only are you guys collaborating within this group and encouraging each other, and I mean that's awesome. But the the way that you guys had a table together and you could talk to people and interact with them, I mean that's the crux of it, right? Is hanging out with your friends, hanging out with your buddies at at an event like this is a great time, but then allowing other people to come in who get to see your work and have them ask you questions and being able to have those conversations. I mean, that's, that's what events like this are all about. Yeah. And I, and I think we've all learned the m- most of what I think we touched on it earlier on from, if you meet someone at a show and they give you their diorama to hold and say, and you can say, have you done that? And they say, I've done this. And, and how did you make the coal? And da, 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 And you know, it's, um, you know, it's, that's, that's how you, really, and, and I think it's true inspiration. We've all been inspired by, mm. you know, great modelers, you know, over time. And if you can meet them at a show and say, have you done that? And they'll tell you in a realistic way. Then you know, because I, I had I was chatting to someone at a show actually. I don't know if it was one of the, one of the guys in the club. If um, obviously we're a good bunch of modelers, and then you know you get some people which, which are, you know will be they don't want to tell people how they've done it, and they're a bit cloak and dagger and stuff. But what I said to someone was the fact is if I tell someone exactly how I've done something, what happens is they go away and they create something, and all that happens is we get to see more cool. Sh- in our hobby so rather yeah. than strangling the hobby we are 
we've turned the lamp on it and you know put the plant food mm. on it and making that little plant grow into a mighty oak and we can say whoa did anyone I, see I the bio you know yeah I think it was for, for me it was like when I was editing the mag- magazines I got more pleasure out of the fact that a person would come up at a show and say oh I've read your article I tried your technique it worked which means they buy some products they buy another model they're infused and they keep the, the industry going you know that me- meant more to me than say the uh, published saying oh we sold x Mm. thousand copies this month which is great because that keeps me kept me in a job but for me the biggest buzz was that someone's gone away you've given them a little tip or a technique and it's worked for them and it's meant that they've wanted to build another model which keeps the hobby alive you know and that's the main thing yeah you you, you, know, you did it with jackson you you talk about the, the the big stewart you did you told him about a mr color paint that's like a perfect faded olive drab color and you can wear it down the second he did that he ran off he ran to the nearest paint shop he was like right i'm gonna go and buy this paint because spud said this is the one he was giddy it's, it's stuff like that it's not only seeing the work amazing but the the, the time you take and like you say it's, it's not a lot of effort to tell someone this is what i did a lot of people yeah. are like well it just takes practice it's like thanks that was useless but you guys have really <laughs> gone out your way to just say well this is this is what i did like take the knowledge and run with and that's why yeah. I, you were such an attraction at the show i think um like pete said we first started modeling in a period where you'd, you'd look and see how someone had painted something you'd go and ask a question and they didn't want to tell you because it was that fear and you know knowledge is power and so i always vowed that if i ever got to that sort of level if anybody asked me how i did something i'd be completely open and honest because you know I want to like say I'm really passionate about this hobby I love, love its bits and I, I want to be able to pass it on to other people you know and and not just be all sort of insular and sort of standoffish you know and that, that well, doesn't like, nobody any good like Pete earlier John you're, you're being modest I mean you know for those out there listening I mean I asked Spud a question about an Achilles and he went to Bovington and took pictures of it and sent them to me me. I mean, you know, it's it's incredible. So you guys are are incredibly generous with each other and and with the community, and it just it just feeds this hobby. Like you were saying, Spud, there's no reason to be tribal. And Pete, you you hit on this as well. I mean, the way that you share information with others is just going to bring it back, you know, to all of us tenfold. Yeah, I'll just echo that. You know, one of the things Ivan mentioned an instant with Jackson, I kind of had the same moment, not with a product, but really around composition and technique. Pete, having the opportunity to talk to you around Mind the Gap and literally going around the diorama and picking out the little things that you did that, that you can't get anywhere else, to be honest. And, you know, the one thing that stuck out to me specifically was, you know, you have the soldier in the center of the scene reaching out to his comrades, but you talked about making the dirt darker around that individual. So he pops more in the scene as opposed to his buddies and really drawing the attention there, talking about composition and how to orient, you know, the, the locomotives and, and also the little things around the locomotives and, you know, making the stack of railroad ties and the different weeds and the colors there and how they flow over. And it just all flows and really makes a lot of sense. And you talk about the corrosion and wear on the locomotive, like all these things I'll, I'll never forget because it's honestly like a master class uh, in the moment and something that you can't find anywhere else. And, and just goes and reinforces the thing that you said where, you know, knowledge is power, but sharing it is even more powerful because you're, yeah. you're just helping the entire hobby out. And, you know, yeah. this spawns something else and, you know, it's, it's a butterfly effect almost. And, yeah. you know, it can really help, you know, just again, 
looking at the positive aspects of it, like I'm telling everybody, like you need to go to Telford because you have the opportunity to talk to these people, see this works of art. And, and it only garners more excitement around the hobby itself and makes the event bigger and better and, and more opportunities for modelers to attend. I, bottom line is, I guess what I'm getting at is just thank you. It's it's great to have those time, types of conversations. Oh, yeah, well, no, it's great. It's great to interact with everyone. So it's um, we have a great time doing it as well. So I mean, we, we've said a few times about how much we didn't want the weekend to end. And that and that's because, you know, we've been chatting with you guys and, and, and the sort of general public as well. It's just, uh, it's so nice to, uh, what's a phrase? Caring is sharing. Yeah. So. <laughs> it create it created a nice buzz around our club stand as well. We had but from both sides. It wasn't just a one-sided thing, was it? But yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's important too to highlight is literally both sides of the table where we had never met you before and other people as well. I, I saw you talking to it's like it was it was developing that insta friendship instead of them standing on the outside, you're like, well, come around, take a look at this. And that mm. constant, you know, very jovial, very relationship building type of atmosphere. And then just the, the swarms of people around your table and, and the prime real estate that you have there. It was just an overall, uh, you know, really, really good effect. And again, we, we say thank you for letting us claim it as almost a home base, uh, you know, throughout our time at Telford as well. That was certainly something special. No worries. No we will repeat it next year. Outstanding. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'd love to transition to something special that your club did this year. I, I look at what, you know, your the way you recognize work. I thought it was really special that your club had a special award. Um, presented to someone in the competition. So maybe I'll turn it over to Spud to talk and anybody as well to please chime in, you know, around what that award was, why you chose the specific piece, you know, and just just tell us a little bit about that unique thing that your club did this year. Yeah, I think it was a case of, um, we've seen it on European shows and uh, and witnessed it on some shows over here, certainly the IPMS Nationals where you would, uh, a friend of mine, Michael Mass, uh, the owner of Desert Eagle uh, Publishing uh, would go and place uh, like a medallion on all really nice Israeli subjects that he'd seen and then caught his eye. And it was something we discussed and Ian was really kind of him, got this beautiful piece of glass engraved, um, you know, the, our, our sort of best of show winner. And we decided we initially were going to look and present it to the best model in the, the in the hall or, you know, in the whole venue. But it became impractical to try and look at so many models. So we, we did limit it to the competition and we saw a really beautifully painted and weathered IS-7 by a guy called Jan. Um, from Czechoslovakia and we were really shocked that it hadn't actually been awarded anything and we all unanimously said this is just a stunning piece of work and so yeah he was the recipient of our our sort of uh, club award you know so we all said it was really it was great to give it to something that you know we all felt should have been awarded something by the official sort of judging you know criteria but yeah it was just something really nice to do and yeah we some of us have received it in the past from other clubs and it's a it's a really really sort of humbling award to get so it was nice to be able to return the favor is that it's is that peer to peer peer to peer appreciation which is really nice yeah. to get if you've got you know people in the hobby that you you admire if if they've given you an award or a club that you know that they're kind of the head of you think wow mm. that's 
you know, that's super cool. So cool, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, so it's it, just it a shame. Yeah. It was a shame we had a little bit of a mistake with that as well, though, wasn't it? Because we ended up giving it to the to the son, <laughs> son. Chap, didn't we? Was that his yeah. son? That was his son. Yeah, it was it was it was lost in translation so, to start yeah, with. Yeah, we, we, we didn't speak we asked, any yeah. at all, really. It was a bit of a, yeah. a bit of a shame, really, but um it was so bad. But we, it was bad. sorted out in the end. Yeah, it was, it yeah. was sorted out in the end, which is great. Yeah. That's in, that's incredible that you guys did that. And who knows what the impact is. You know, we have some some people in the U.S. that do that. They go to shows and uh, they put uh, coins or medals next to builds. And, you know, you'll, you'll walk past somebody that receives one of these. And and like you said, Spud, um, sometimes that has as much or maybe even more meaning as, as getting a trophy from the show. The fact that other modelers felt like that their work was worthy of recognition. And and uh, that's terrific that you guys did that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for sure. So as we look at Telford scale model world as a whole for your club, you know, I'd love to go with through each of you again. And just maybe talk about like if there was one highlight or or some takeaway, like wh- what was that? Was it a moment? Was it the entire event? Just maybe talk about, you know, what, what was your biggest takeaway from the event and, and why you loved it so much? And, and like you've mentioned before, why you're coming back next year. And, and Pete, maybe we'll start with you. Um, yeah, thanks for starting with me because now we have to think of something. Quick. <laughs> Thank you so much. I was so going to throw it over to Dan, but that would have just been. Um, <laughs> well, you can if you like. I, I don't mind. I'll pitch in. I go on, Dan. Say, you go. The, the takeaway moment for us, and I know it's quite selfish, was actually not wanting it to end. The, mm. the show it does get a sort of bad press from time to time but the show overall is it's not purely just about one element in that show it's the whole thing it's and and for us as as our club and as our group it's the whole weekend and it's the road trip up it's it's the, the evenings in the pubs but then as we've just found out you know that weekend having that interaction full-on for the two days and it just non-stop i mean poor ian was just stood wasn't he for like the both days having to explain that his you know sky crane was scratch built but yeah it created it's, that buzz was just I've never never we've, well I've never been to the show as our clubs before and experienced experienced that no so, we, we, think, so it was almost like a tag team you know when we were behind the stand literally it was one after another someone would come yeah. up and say who's built this model so we'd literally be pointing at oh that's Ian or Kev or Pete or whatever and, and it became like Ian's corner where he was just stood near the sky crane and it was just one person after another asking you know often the same questions and all walking away shaking their head and couldn't believe that he'd actually scratch built a 30 foot scale sky crane i still can't believe it either but yeah i know yes it's the icm kit but you know we don't want to tell anybody also (laughs) also, when you you walk away with an award but finding out that it's far more rewarding to see a father with his three kids turn up and they've all gone out and bought models and they've come back to our table and they're pointing at different different ones going i want to build it like that dad that's that's a reward in itself and that's that's what I guess yeah. that's what was creating our, our buzz and trying to, you know, the younger generation is, is what we need to, to bring through. Absolutely. Because there's not a lot, is it? I think me and you, Spud, were chatting, um, <laughs> saying that the, you know, demographic of the of the show is probably a 55-year-old wandering around yeah. in, in a Mac with a carrier yeah. bag. And, um, yeah, which, which is our so, age group now. <laughs> yeah, that is our age with our Macs. But, you know, there's, there's, there, there's not a lot of younger people coming through on the hobbies. And I think that's where if we can, mm. we can really really promote you know you know let's just say necessarily teenagers to be coming in but if say you've got a 30 year old guy who's now you know got some kids and he's got evenings at home and he did modeling when he was you know in his teens and he's wanted and he sees us and has a chat 
and he thinks, oh, I'm going to take it back up. You know, 10 years from now, he's collecting golds at, you know, SMC. Mm, yeah. So, you know, it keeps the, it keeps the hobby alive. So it's, it's, it's kind of where, yeah, it's where a lot of us started, actually, wasn't it? You know, coming back into the hobby after, you know, as, as kids and, you know, like say families, education, jobs all get in the way. And then once you've got that bit of time and, you know, disposable income and, you, you know, you sort of, the, the, the pilot light never really goes out because you started no. it as a, as a child. Yeah. yeah. I think my, my highlight actually, uh, John is, is similar to Dan's. It was, it was lovelier as a club to be, to be there because SMC uh, at the world, sorry, we was, we was there as a club, but we wasn't in such a good position. So mm. even though there was a good, there was a good footfall um, past the table and the world's was, was ma- mad anyway. So it's, I was in a bit of a frenzy for three days myself. So whereas at Telford, you could nip off, do some shopping. The shopping was really good at Telford. Actually, mm. I picked up, there was a, a guy that was selling lots of um, Mr. Hobby paints and he had all the, all the Mr. Hobby stuff and they, Selling airbrushes. That was a that was a really good. I bought an airbrush there as well, and, and I've got some paints, and he threw in some free paints, and um, so I'm really looking forward to to doing that. So that was a highlight for me meeting meeting um, meeting that guy. I can't bloody remember his name now off the top of my head. But um, yeah, the shopping was really good. Seeing um, Spud's Stug was one of the highlights for me because um, I love the Stug. It's one of my favourite vehicles. You know, it's so gnarly, especially the one with the, the stumpy barrel and that scale. It's just another level, isn't it? It's like closer to the real thing, really. So um, I'm not venturing into it. I'm so tempted to start to play at it. But it's like, and I will at some point. Well, but, um, and, and Pete, that that model is so spuds, right? I mean, he yeah. he took the base kit and he just really made it his own with his weathering and the extra features that, you know, he, he really went outside of the box, no pun intended, and really made it his own build. I mean, so... Uh, you know, same could be said for, you know, your pieces and everything, but, you know, it, it turns into an expression of who John is or who you are on, on this work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there was some good feedback, actually, on um, on the My Elephant, the Profit and Loss diorama of Vignette, because that's kind of quite different as well. So that makes people, there was a, uh, there was a guy and he actually went, oh, like, was almost physically shocked by it and that and that's interesting isn't it to get a physical reaction from someone they're like whoa what is that what about it, you know in a, it says in a it's told a story way. instantly mm. yeah yeah and yeah. that's why i love to be able to hit them straight with it you know because we've all been at shows and you've looked at a diorama you thought i don't know what's going on <laughs> well yeah. that that sort of answers that is modeling art question doesn't it i mean if it's mm. eliciting a response an emotional response to me that question has been answered. Yeah. 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 And I think you did the storytelling diorama. If you can, if you can nail a story like we've seen with the great stuff from Euro back in the day, we just see it and you think, Oh my God, that's just absolutely. And you know, the ones where you look at something and you look at it for a second and you don't quite get it. And then you see it. And I had that with Dan, your tractor, um, you know, grandpa's bird table. Yeah. Mm. I looked at it and I kind of thought, oh, that's nice, a rusty tractor. And then I moved on and then and I didn't I didn't notice the birds because you know you can get in a bit of a frenzy, can't you, when you're looking at pieces, looking at pieces. And then we were, I went back and looked at it, and then I got down at a lower angle, and then I saw all the birds. And I was like, boom, that is one of my favourites of all time, the birds. All the birds on the tractor, Grandpa's bird table, it's ace. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. (laughs) Give me that tenor in a minute, yeah? 
I mean, I'll add to that as well. You know, Dan, your work, the the artillery piece with the sculpted figures, that was a really great conversation that we had. I, I thought that was a lovely piece. And, you know, looking across the table and, and each of your pieces telling that story, you know, whether it's a diorama, you know, divine intervention is, is a great example to Stug's singular vehicles telling that story, you know, the idiosyncrasies around the grease from the machine guns being on the turret dust where people don't understand it. And you tell them, well, this is why, and you can show them pictures and walk them through like these unique things that, you know, it's, it's an educational experience in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, Dan talking to you about altering and sculpting figures was, was a really valuable conversation as well. So like, you know, I guess I'm answering my own question, those types of engagements and, and the value in which you've transferred over to me and my fellow mates is uh, really priceless. And, and that was the best takeaway for, uh, for the show as well. So a bit like Dan said before, Sometimes Telford gets a bit of a bad rap or people like to say things uh, about the show that it's not going to be what it was or it's not going to be great. But a very simple question to you three. Would you recommend people a 10 scale model world? Definitely. Yes, definitely. Why why wouldn't you? Absolutely. Arguably the biggest model show in the world. Huge amounts to traders, lots of stuff on discount. Thousands and thousands of models to look at. Yeah, yeah, just there's no reason to not attend. You've got this, you've got the social side, haven't you? You've got got people Mm. that you haven't seen or people that are the other side of the country that you want to meet face to face again. It's it's all of it. It's not just about a competition. Mm. It's just that part of it. It's a small part of the show. It's it's everything else, isn't it? Just the scale of it is a mega show, isn't it? It is. And then you've also you've got sorry, you've also got the remembrance thing going on, on Sunday as well. You've got the buglers in there. Mm. That that again, that that experience where you've got thousands of people in there and you can hear a pin drop. You know, and you've got mm. you've got veterans in there that are welling up listening to it all. It's it's mm. it's everything the show. It's everything. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I think if they could lift that um they could lift that competition area just up a notch. You know, mm. from, from you know, from good to excellent, then it's a it's a world class show again. You know, yeah. it's a good time of year as well because the modeling season, the show season has died down, so it can be the big show of the year in the calendar. Yeah. So especially yeah. like the, the finale, isn't it? It's a finale, yeah. I think um, mm. I think that's it. Just sort that competition lighting out, and bang, it's get it's it's, it's a global show, absolutely. Well, the, well, the thing you think, you know, you've got lots of hotels around there. You've got Telford Centre, which has got an incredible shopping mall, huge shopping mall. So, you know, even if, uh, say, guys came with their partners, wives, you know, they can spend the day shopping, the weekend shopping. You've got RAF Cosford Museum just down the road. So there's an awful lot around there, as well as, you know, this huge venue um, for the for the IPMS Nationals. Yeah. And the traders have uh, got a lot of flex as well. You can always get a deal on stuff you can always get and you ain't paying no postage mm-hmm. etc yeah. et so and those little traders that have got their little kind of one-man band stuff yeah it's cool. stuff you don't normally see yeah, yeah. absolutely and, and for instance that mr hobby stuff um that i got mm. and the guy showing me at you know what's best to use it and this and mix it with that and then ratios mm. getting that when you buy that over the internet yeah 
and this is a great point to wrap on. And, you know, I, I think it was said best by one of our friends, Jackson Telford, you, you three would probably support. It's, it's a show that's unlike any other, and it's really a celebration around the hobby. You have the world's SMC that are top tier world-class artists, you know, competitions, mm. IPMS nationals competition is a large piece of it. It kind of gives them the flavor of their show where Telford, it's like that overall experience of engagement, collaboration, and quite frankly, meeting like minds in the hobby and, and something that mm. I'll, I'll always treasure. And my only regret is I didn't go earlier. I'm very thankful for meeting you three and certainly for the time that you've given us today. Likewise, it's been a pleasure. So if there is any parting shots, you know, Dan, any parting shots for the, for the group here, you know, no problem. Yeah. No problem at all. No problem at all. That was, um, just to mention that the guy who was doing the Mr. Hobby stuff, that's Matthew John <laughs> from Albion Alloys. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great yeah. guy. Yeah. What a great guy. Yeah. yeah. Apologies for slipping his name there. But um, yeah, great. And so knowledgeable. And like I said, he said, mix it with that, ratios of this, try that with that. And just like, bang, I can't wait. I've got a um, Brumbar planned. Thank you, Pete, Spud, and Dan. Really appreciated the time that you've spent with us today. It was so great to relive some of the experiences we had at the show and certainly look forward to creating new ones next year. And we look forward to seeing you know the Four Corners Facebook page come live. We'll certainly share it. Your work is inspirational and we can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you. Yeah, look forward to it. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, Yeah. thanks for the time, guys. Continued continued success and just thanks for the work and the inspiration and uh, your contribution to the community at at large. It it really makes a difference and people uh, are drawn to you, not just because of your work, but because of who you are. So anyway, thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. You didn't mention our our good looks. They're normally drawn. That's what we initially. Fairly easy on the eye, every one of us. So, uh, yeah, first the looks and then the monster. I was going to say, I noticed all your shirts were about two sizes too small. (laughs) That's all the kebabs the night before, I think. And the the beer. Uh, Well, gents, again, thank you so much. We look forward to talking to you again and the other members of Four Corners Modeling Club. So, adios, amigos. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning into this mega episode. We know it wasn't short, but it was certainly fun. So thank you so much. And before we end, we definitely have to take a moment to thank our generous sponsors, Bases by Bill, where you can find the best custom bases for your models, and also Tankcraft, the maker of premium hobby products from cutting mats to scale rulers and glue bases. And last, but certainly not least, our Patreon supporters. The list is long, and this community is an incredible value to the Plastic Posse podcast and themselves. So we cannot thank you enough for your continued support. This is not possible without you. So again, our heartfelt thanks. Cheers.
favorite poem is written by Percy Shelley. His wife was Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. Um, additionally, Carl Sagan uh, had a had a, a famous a famous thing he had written called the Pale Blue Dot, and it was about our ambitions of powerful people on Earth and how, in the end, they doesn't really matter. A bit like our plastic, it doesn't really matter. It's what we leave behind in terms of human relationship that's more important. So I met a traveler from an antique land who said, two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them, on the sand, half sunk a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command show that a sculptor well those passions read. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look upon my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains around the decay of that colossal wreck. Boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. So yeah, that's a poem. Um, yeah, then on the bridge, I remember on the bridge, we were, and again, again, I hadn't been drinking. I haven't, I don't, haven't had alcohol in a long time, but uh, Stone Cold Sober, here we are. We're walking through London towards the Globe Theater. And I remember a thing that I had, I had, I was so moved by the speech delivered by Kenneth Branagh in his Henry V that, that I actually, I, I went, I, I memorized the speech and it's at the Battle of Agincourt. And if you don't, that's where the English longbow came into its own and the, the English were outnumbered five to one, the French were going to beat them up and the English had the longbow and the, instead the English took the day. And uh, the, the English are worried that, oh no, we're going to get beat and uh, maybe we should maybe we should surrender or something like that. And um, Henry V rouses his troops and um, says, uh, that he who hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. His passport shall be made and crowns for convoy put into his purse. We would not, uh, let's see, the day, this day is called the Feast of Crispin. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when this day is named and rouse him at the name of Crispian. He that he shall see this day and live old age will yearly on the vigil, feast his neighbors and say, tomorrow is St. Crispin. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, these wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet young shall be forgot. The good man shall teach this to his son. Anyway, it goes on and on, but that's a good speech there. I need to go back and truly memorize that. Um, and of course, there was uh, absolutely no reason at all. I memorized just because I wanted to um, call me Ishmael some years ago, never mind how long precisely, having little or no money in my purse and nothing of particular interest to me on shore. I thought I would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world. It is a way I've have of driving off the spleen, regulating the circulation. Whenever I grow grim about the mouth, whenever it is a damp, drizzly November in my soul, and especially whenever my Hypos get such an upper hand of me that it requires a strong moral principle to prevent me from deliberately stepping into the street and methodically knocking people's hats off. Then I account it high time to get to the sea as soon as I can. This is my substitute for pistol and ball. With a philosophical flourish, Gato throws himself upon his sword. I quietly take to the ship. 
There is nothing surprising in this. If they but knew it, almost all men, in their degree, sometime or another, cherish very nearly the same feelings towards the ocean with me. That's the first paragraph of Moby Dick, Herman Melville. I've not read the rest of the novel. Um, I don't think any of us have. In fact, I don't believe anyone has ever actually finished that novel. Um, gosh, what else is floating around up there? You know, um, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is oft interred with their bones. So let it be with Caesar. The noble Brutus hath told you that Caesar was ambitious. If it was so, it was grievous fault, and grievously hath Caesar answered it. Here, under leave of Brutus and the rest, for Brutus is an honorable man, and so are they all, all honorable men. Come I to speak in Caesar's funeral. He was my friend, faithful and just to me. Yet Brutus says he was ambitious, and Brutus is an honorable man. He hath brought many captives home to Rome, whose ransoms did the general coffers fill. Did this in Caesar seem ambitious? When that the poor have cried, Caesar hath wept. Ambition should be made of sterner stuff. You all did see that on the lupercal I thrice presented him with a kingly crown, which he did thrice refuse. Was this ambition? Yet Brutus says he was ambitious. I speak not to disprove what Brutus spoke, but to speak what I know. You all did love him once, not without cause. What cause withholds you then to mourn for him? It goes on and on, but essentially what's happening there is is, is they've all murdered Julius Caesar, the Ides of March, the middle of March, the beware of the Ides of March, it's where we get that. There, the crowd is kind of like, the crowd's kind of like upset. Hey, you murdered the emperor. And they're, well, we'll get Mark Antony. Mark Antony will come give the speech. And so Mark Antony's like, no, actually, uh, Caesar was a good guy and you guys are a bunch of traitors. So that, that was a good speech. I like that one. That was fantastic. <laughs> that was great. Sorry, that sounded very American. Peter, <clears throat> I need to see that video again. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, do you need a glass of water, Ivan? I need a glass of water. <laughs> it's now time for our third and final segment where we. Just... <clears throat> I'll get it in a minute. Watermelon. <laughs> With the whistle. 